Hey, welcome to the 267th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Sometimes I talk about old, weird, or cool movies. Sometimes I talk about things off my mind. Like, it could be just any topic. Not, like, a a positive rant. Not necessarily a bad rant. And sometimes I talk about old, classic, or weird comic book story arcs. And, like, like last week I talked about Batmite being uh, Batwoman's publicity agent. And I'm talking about the original Batwoman, not not the, the current one. And it also has Ace the Bat Hound in there. Really weird comics. 1960. So you can hear about stuff like that. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash heck, And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That is ko-fi.com slash heck. So we have another full episode this week. And this this was also this was a crazy week for me. So I still had like parent-teacher conferences at school. So, you know, that, that takes up some of my prep period time and like after school time. So it's that, that's my excuse for not getting as much done as I wanted to. I did not get a chance to read all of the, the comics. I'm like literally down to the wire last minute trying to get, get through everything. And I, I did as much as I could. Um, there was also a lot to watch. I didn't get a chance to check out Werewolf by Night, so I will talk about that next week. This week's movie feature will be the new Hellraiser movie. If you know me, maybe, or maybe if you know me or not, I love the original Hellraiser. I love Clyde Barker. I've I, I just uh, Hellraiser, Nightbreed, you know those original his books. I'm a big fan, and um, Hellraiser. You know I love Hellraiser. Hellraiser two. I'll, I should talk more about that when I get to it. I re- rewatched both of them last week. I watched back to back, and uh, Hellraiser three. Uh, don't get me started on that. And then uh, some of the other. You know, I honestly don't think I've seen all of them. So they really they went downhill very fast. And so now we're starting over. Got a, a female pinhead. Things things are. You'll, you'll hear about that. Uh, finally, this week, as I promised last week, we are finishing Cobra Kai. So that that last episode, so much happened. So we'll talk about that. Star Wars Andor, that episode, like nothing happened. <laughs> this is like the slowest. I love it. It's such a, it's such a well-made, well-done show. But oh my goodness, it is going so slow. And no wonder there's like 12 episodes this season and a 12 in the second season. And we got She-Hulk, good episode. And we got uh, Chucky is back. We have Stargirl. We got the Morty Patient, House of Dragon, things are crazy. Rick and Morty. Oh, I did not go to the movie, the theater this week. I was going to see Amsterdam. I do want to see it. But early reviews were not good for it. I was just like, oh, man. And, you know, part of it is there's like so many actors, but I think some people were commenting on the direction. Or I, I don't know. So I will see it at some point. I'd like to see it in a theater. I just don't know if it's going to happen. And so I decided, like, well, maybe I won't go because there's so much and I barely had time to do everything else. So I should get started with the news. There was a new trailer for Wakanda Forever. And I'm I'm really not sure how I feel about this. And, you know, part of me... It seems weird without Black Panther, and you know it sucks that 
it's without Chadwick Boseman. Nothing to be done about that. I still don't know how I feel. I, I feel like I talk about this all the time, and you're probably tired of me. I'm tired of talking about it. The fact that I, I feel like they should recast. If if they feel like, because Kevin Feige said it, it, it's not, it's too soon. We can't do that or whatever. All right, then then put things on on a, on a halt. You know why you from everything it seems, unless there's like some trickery, they're basically and hopefully you're not like avoiding all trailers and everything. This is a huge spoiler, but they're basically saying Black Panther's dead, so let's move on. But I don't know, couldn't you just say he's missing in action, or, or is that like an insult to the character, or I don't know? But it's just. As, as I keep saying every single time, I feel like he's just way too important of a character. It's one thing like, oh, you're going to kill Star-Lord, or you're, even if you're going to kill Thor, or, or actually, let's go back. Or you're going to kill Iron Man, <laughs> or you're going to kill Black Widow, because they, they kill, you know, stuff like, even Black Widow, they should have killed her, because there's not like a million, you know, female characters. You got so many dude characters, so many white dude characters named Chris, which I, I, I'm bummed that Captain America's gone. So, you know, the, the thing like that, there's so many, you can kill him, replace him, whatever. Not whatever. But with Black Panther, I feel like he just meant so much. And I, I still remember seeing all those videos, all these people just in tears, you know. And and I, it may seem silly for people who, who don't understand, I can't relate to it. But the whole, like, oh, there's someone that looks like me, you know, that, that that's a big deal for a lot of people. And... I think just a lot of people take that for granted, and and you know it's it's not a huge deal for some people. For me, I just never thought one way or the other. You know, what everything that I all the media I consumed was was white dudes, and I'm not exactly a white. I'm not a white dude. There's no not exactly about it. I'm not a white dude, but it, there's something about that, and it's just a shame that they're just gonna kill out the character. But then it's Marvel. You know, it's what things? Who knows? They could always come up some way. The other thing we have, we, we see more Namor. And uh, I, I don't know. One, I, okay, the, the, there was the, the first image that we saw where he didn't look like he was as comic book fit as you would expect. Way better shape than me. I don't, you know, whatever you want to say that, about that. But we, we, when we see fully him, you know, fully him, we see him fully <laughs> and for like from the front. So yeah, okay, the guy is in shape. Uh, you know, he, he looks better from what we see here. But part of like the boy, I don't know when when I think about Namor like Imperius Rex, you know, just booming that out. I, I didn't quite get that, and, and who knows, you know, once you see the movie, it might be be a little different as well. And there's just the thing, the little wings flapping, it it just seems silly. And you know, Namor is a fierce character, but there's just something I don't know. He's flying by these little ankle wings. It just seems. We'll we'll see what's gonna happen. I I don't know. And the idea is, is you know Namor the villain and. Oh, we'll see. But I, I I got my tickets for it, so I will be seeing. Actually, you know, I think I'm pretty sure I'm seeing it in 3D because I, I at my theater when they were selling tickets online, like 3D showing. I can't remember the last time I saw a movie in 3D, and I love 3D. It may not look that great, maybe because you know I doubt it's like when we had the the semi recent 3D phase, like maybe five years ago or six or whatever. It seemed like there was a lot more, you know, things were specifically filmed. This, it, they're probably just like faking it, but the fact that they did it, okay, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. We'll see. Uh, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. So that was a, you know, last week I, I mentioned New Planet of the Apes. I didn't read anything about it, and I was just like, oh, we'll see. So I, I did read a little bit about it. 
uh, the the big, not really big news, but the recent news is Kevin Durand is joining the cast. Some other people were in the cast. I, I didn't immediately recognize the names upon skimming uh, the the internets. And but Kevin Durand, he's looks like he's been playing the villain, the villain ape. He was a uh, the the bad guy in Lock and Key, and I'm just like, oh man. I guess you could say he was a good villain. I didn't like him, so that means he's a good villain, right? You're not supposed to like the villains, but I, I also thought he was a little cheesy in Lock and Key. But you know, that was just a character, and so we'll see about that. What's interesting because I was like, is this a reboot? Because you know, this is the first Disney Planet of the Apes since they were acquired Fox, but it looks like that. It's taking place several years after 2017's War for Planet of the Apes and where, you know, the death of Caesar and all that. So I'm glad that they're keeping the continuity. You know, they could have easily said, hey, let's just start over. And but this way, it's like, why reinvent the wheel? You know, because those aren't that far off. And they they bought it. You paid for it. Why not just, you know, they were done extremely well. Throw them up on Disney Plus or whatever and Hulu have people watch it and then you know just build from there so i I think that that's great looks like it's going to come out 2024 uh lecture news sort of not really this 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 really annoyed this pissed me off so isa gonzalez i don't don't know her from from anyone you know i've never never in the same room with her never did anything like that but regardless so there is somehow i didn't hear anything about this there was a rumor going around that she was going to be that she was cast as Electra in the upcoming Daredevil Born Again or, or what it was Born Again and she started getting a lot of hate uh, like uh, social media people and that's the thing is like if if you're not happy with something it's like you don't need to send your or spew your hate to the person whatever but a lot of people were, were accusing her of stealing a role and just all the stuff like that and everything because uh, oh no someone else played electra they sh- they should get but one one <laughs> there this wasn't true she she went there and she like basically denied it she's like i don't know anything about this and but the the main thing is you shouldn't be it's, it's just why are you sending all this negativity towards some this hateful vibes or just just spewing this hate towards someone because let's say it was true one maybe the actress who played Electra before maybe she's just like no I'm I'm good I'm done or maybe the studio's like yeah we want to kind of go a different route you know you don't know what the factors it's like it does not matter yes you can be bummed or disappointed or whatever I honestly and that this is a fault on mine I couldn't tell you then who played Electra I remember her. I, I'm totally drawing a blank right now. So it's just whether they recast or not, it, it's not necessarily the fault of the person. If if a job offers out there and someone takes it, you can't blame them. They say, you know, there, there's a whole thing like if if there's a strike and pick it or whatever. But it's just the fact that she's she, there's just totally false. She's like, I have, I'm, I'm involved with something else for like the next three years or whatever. And I'm not doing this. I didn't have anything. And, but then she's like, you know, I wish the cast and crew luck. She's like, Oh, I, I'd love to someday, someday play a superhero, but that's not happening. So it's just people just, I feel like that's, that's, I mean, that's the problem with, with, with social media, with Twitter or whatever, where a lot of people just feel like they can just easily say whatever they want. And I've had minor things like that where some people just, they, they get overly familiar. It's like, you don't know me. And I know, you know, I totally put myself out there. 
And, you know, if someone replies to me, I, I will most likely, I'll reply back to you, you know, unless I, I'm just swamped or whatever. But the thing is, by doing that, it's like, you don't know me. And, you know, there, there are certain ways you, you can talk. Like, you know, a good friend of mine. Yeah, I, I'm happy to call a friend of mine, Rich. If you, I know you're listening, Rich. I, I give him so much grief and sometimes I feel bad but that's that's our relationship he he know I mean he he's he's a great guy I I, I am so grateful for him but I, I can egg him on or say something like that and you know sometimes he'll throw it back at me and and I deserve it but like if you don't know me if we've never had that relationship it's like even though I'm an you you don't, you don't do that I would never say something to some you know like brad pitt he's i don't think he's on social media but i want to say hey brad pitt oh my gosh i can't believe this you shouldn't do this you you, you you can't believe you you combed your hair to the side in that movie that was like ridiculous you, know, you just don't do that <sighs> anyways <laughs> this could should be off my mind because if you want to hear it you can hear it otherwise it's derailing the show but so uh bottom line isaac gonzalez is not cast as electra so Leave her alone, unless you're just going to say nice things to her. Cause my goodness. Uh, Jacob uh, Batalon, Ned Leeds, is that his name? I, I'm, I am hor- horrible with names. I'm surprised I know my name. But he says he's not sure if, he's, if Ned is returning to the MCU. Uh, the main thing is, and you know, he, he even said that, I know a lot. Of, you know, a lot of times people say that, or you know, they're being coy on purpose and all this stuff like that. But he's like, N- I don't know. And you know, a lot of times it's a last minute thing. Uh, who was who it? Uh, uh, Anthony Mackie recently said that. You know, he doesn't know if he's in Thunderbolts, and you know, they, they call him like two weeks before, and they're like, Hey, get your butt over here. The thing with Ned Leeds, he does. He has spoilers. <laughs> he has no recollection of what what happened before. He doesn't know who Spider Man is. So. It could make sense that he's not involved with it, but I don't know. I believe he has a, a vampire show now. When I watched Chucky, I saw a commercial. I'm like, I didn't even hear about this because how I don't know how I'm so out of the loop sometimes when I'm also trying to go into the loop or whatever to, to get all this new stuff, but I, I didn't check it out. <laughs> uh, Titans season four. So we're getting some images for, for that. So HBO Max. And uh, we saw images for Mother Mayhem, for Jinx, for Hobgoblin. I mean, uh, Brother Blood. Did you see Brother Brother Blood? Look up Titans season four, Bro- Brother Blood. It looks just like Hobgoblin. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a good thing or, or a bad thing. I love Hobgoblin. I love Hobgoblin. It's, it's just like what the heck? You look. It's almost like a virgin, like like demo goblin, which I hated demo goblin. <laughs> I can't even say it. God blah blah. Oh, I love Hobgoblin, but my, my, I don't know what the heck is going on. Uh, Margot Robbie is basically, she's like endorsing Lady Gaga being Harley in Joker 2, even though it's not official. It hasn't been like 100% confirmed. But she basically said that like Harley is kind of like a character like like Macbeth or Batman. I love the fact that she's you know putting Macbeth and Batman in the same sentence because they're both awesome characters but she's like it's you know it's a character should be passed on and you know other people you know it shouldn't just be one person my fear is it hopefully doesn't doesn't mean she's she's done playing harley because she is an amazing harley quinn i you know i love her as, as harley i would love to see her in something else you know another harley but so she's just like yeah and does she 100 percent mean that is that i, I don't care I, i'm gonna believe that she does mean it because it, it sounds like you know a cool thing i don't know how i feel about 
Harley being in Joker. I don't know how we feel about Joker too, but that that's my problem. So we'll ha have to see how that goes, if that even happens. But going al along with Harley, there is also going to be an animated Harley special in February of 2023. So they're going to do a Valentine's Day special. So you know there is another season coming on, but we're going to get a holiday, you know, the Valentine's special because there's no way the season will be done in time. So at, at least we'll, we'll, we'll get that. So that is good. Um, also on HBO Max, the Penguin series that, that's supposed to be coming out, uh, it looks like they have a director, Craig Zobel, who worked on Mayor of Easttown. So if you have not watched that show, I, I talked about it on this podcast. Kate Winslet was, was she's crazy good. I mean, that, that sh oh man. Uh, that was, I'm just thinking about like this one thing that happened. It's just like, whew. So you, you should be watching. You should have watched that. Um, it's also, speaking of, of HBO or Warner Brothers or, or whatever, Dan Lin. So remember Dan Lin was like in talks to be like the head of DC Films or whatever like that. And then he decided he passed on it. There's some speculation that it, it might have to do, the reason he passed might have to do with Batwoman getting canceled. And I guess he had expressed some concern or some, like, not being happy. They just so casually scrapped the movie that was, like, almost finished. You know, so here, we're supposed to get this Batwoman. You know, they're like, oh, no, it's not a big deal. It's blown out of proportion. No, it is a huge deal. A lot of people put their blood, sweat, and tears, maybe not blood, I hope, into this movie. And then there's like, oh, tax break. Ding. So it's just... It, it, and you know, the, the, and that character means a lot to a lot of people as well. So it, it's it's a bummer. And what was the movie just so bad? I mean, how how could that? How's that happen? You know, there there should be some quality assurance, or I don't know, but who who knows? But whether that's the case or not, but he's just like, yeah, because you know, that's something that would be out of unless he's gonna get complete control. But you know, they they could easily come in and say, yeah, okay, let let's let's you know crush this we're not gonna do it let's go somewhere else uh keanu reeves i guess the, i don't even know i i saw like this and this i don't know if this is really news or not but there's that berserker comic at boom studios that he's like co-writing with uh um ron garney's doing the art and i jeez, oh, i'm totally blanking on who's writing it's not matt kent anyways i i'm i'm feel, I feel bad now for that but he, they're gonna be doing is it, I think it's a Netflix thing now. I, I thought it was going to be just like a regular movie, but I think it's a Netflix movie. He might be directing it, you know, because he, he's really interested. He wants to be involved and everything like that. And he talked about, you know, directing before and, you know, if he's really into it, and it you know, he wants to do it. So, okay, yeah, that, that, that could be interesting. And, and it, it's it's good that, you know, he's so, obviously he, he cares about it. And I would, I don't know if I would say passionate, but, you know, it's something that he's been working on. And, and it's cool when, you know, you want someone to be interested. It shouldn't just be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do it. This is my next my next paycheck. All right, you know, tell me what to do. But we're just something that you really believe in and want to do it. So I, I think that that's great. And then um, I don't know if there's any other major news. I feel like there there was. Oh, there, there's a, it's a little bit of comic news. So Jonathan Hickman looks like he's, it's, it's weird. Like the, what I saw is like he's back at Marvel, but he, kind of sort of didn't really leave or, or go that far so him and valero shitty 
Shidi, <laughs> Shidi, are are working on something. It's supposed to be like top secret. So you know we have New York Comic Con. Sadly, I'm not there, so I'm like totally missing out on everything. Plus the fact that I've been so busy. So normally I would try to be attuned to like what's going on. So there may. So I'll, I'm gonna apologize right now if there's any like big breaking news that I just totally miss because like right now I'm not glued to my social media because I'm just focusing on recording this. So I may have missed something. There's some like character design came out. We see some dude like white streak of hair. It's got to be Doctor Strange, right? You know, Doctor Strange is currently dead, but he's probably going to come back if you've been reading the series, maybe. So there's probably going to be that. And then the other crazy thing, which is awesome, uh, is Joe Quesada is going to be doing some some covers at DC Comics, which is crazy. Like, how, how does that happen? So he's going to be doing a Batman cover, Batman 132, uh, I'm going to talk about Batman. I forget what issue Batman is on, but we'll, we'll we'll get to that. That that's yeah. February is is when that comes out. So that that's awesome because it it's it's great when you can, you can see you know these artists that you know when was last time you saw and and yeah on his Instagram you know he he would do like the drink and draw stuff and sometimes post you know stuff that he's done. So it's always cool when when you get to see that's that's the whole point when I do awesome. When I do record scratch, when I do amazing art picks, it's a chance to see the artists draw different characters that they don't normally draw. You know, where you might get someone like Ryan Stegman drawing Popeye. <laughs> Ryan, if you're listening, I want to see you draw Popeye. I'd love to see your take on Popeye to Sailor Man. Has he ever drawn? I don't think he's ever drawn Popeye. But I think that'd be cool. Like Scott, Scott Young. Scott Young drew Popeye one time. It was amazing. It was crazy. It's so interpretive. I, I loved it. And so it's not quite the same. But Joe Casada hasn't you know, really done anything. He may have posted some DC characters, but it's, it's going to be cool to see. Anyways, <laughs> the last bit of news. <sighs> Super Mario Brothers trailer. It starts out, it's like, wow, this 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 looks pretty slick, looks pretty cool. Looks like, you know, video game graphics, with, and in a good way, I mean that. And then you see Mario, and then you hear him talk very briefly. And I do not detect that much of an, an Italian or a Mario, Mario accent. I, does Mario really have an Italian accent? Maybe? Hey, it's a me, Mario. I don't know, is that Italian? It's just, it's Mario accent. It didn't really sound very Mario-y. And that really kind of bums me out. I don't want to watch a Mario Brothers with Chris Pratt's voice. Just Chris Pratt's voice. Chris Pratt, if you're listening, you're not listening. There's no. If Chris Pratt is listening, I, I'll, I don't know what I'll, I got. Nothing. I'll, I'll eat this piece of paper that I wrote some things down on. Uh, so okay, I better make a note of that. Anyways, I, you want to mix it up a little bit? Yeah, do it. But I just feel. When you you're doing a voice, you're you shouldn't it shouldn't just be yourself, and that was the thing where you know like Dwayne Johnson as crypto, it kind of sounded like Dwayne Johnson. It you know there's I mean maybe it was changed a little bit whatever, but I just feel like if you're gonna do a, especially if you're new a character like Mario, not saying you necessarily have to, you know try to mimic or emulate what's been done before, but it should be there's a certain you know you're gonna voice Shaggy. You know, let's talk about about uh, Matthew Lillard, um, the amazing Matthew Lillard. Such an awesome, cool guy. 
his Shaggy, you know, compare his Shaggy to Casey Kasem's. You know, it's not the same, but it is close enough. It, it basically, it's the essence of Shaggy. He has nailed that character. This is why he should be Shaggy. I didn't talk about the Velma news. I should talk about that. Okay. So it'd be like if all of a sudden I started doing Shaggy in my regular voice, that's not Shaggy. Chris Pratt, he's been doing a lot of voice acting roles now. So maybe he's a pseudo voice actor now. You, you can kind of give him that credit because he's he's has a few under his belt. But I'm sorry, man. You don't do it in your regular voice. You have to change it. It's like Kaylee Kuko as Harley... I'm not super crazy about it, but she does a good job. She's like she puts that energy in her. She's not doing her regular voice. You know, she's not just talking her line. She's putting like the emotion and like the screaming and just the outrageousness or whatever you want to call that or whatever the scripts call for. But it just sounded like and and yeah, maybe it's not fair because it's just a, a couple seconds, if even that, in the trailer. It just sounds like Chris Pratt's just just talking in the studio. It's like that's not Mario. And and that little part almost makes me like I don't want to watch it. But I I really like Mario. I mean I I can't say I love. Mario. I mean I I grew I played Super Mario Brothers on the NES, and and I played you know the, the other Mario's on. It just makes me sad, man. And then we have the Velma. So uh, there's there's a couple of Velma news, and now I'm getting them mixed up. Uh, there is one. Velma Scooby News or something like that where all the headlines are saying Velma's con- confirmed as a lesbian and but then uh, you know looking at all like the Twitter replies they're like but she was kind of you know it was very strongly implied that she was by in Mystery Incorporated the, the amazing Mystery Incorporated if you have nothing to do this week or next weekend or whatever if it's still on Netflix, I hope so. Or it's it's on definitely on HBO Max. Watch Scooby Doo Mystery Incorporated. Oh my gosh, it's, it's like it's like fifty episodes. Such 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 an amazing Scooby Doo series. I love that series so much. And and she was definitely into Shaggy in that. But then there's a question: What about her and Hot Dog Water? I don't remember so much of any, but I think there might have been a little tension there. What? So, anyways, I guess uh, they're saying that she's confirmed as a lesbian because I think there's like some woman designer, and maybe Velma's like goo goo eyes over her or something. I don't remember. I I, I didn't check it out, but you, you have that. And then there's a Mindy Kaling uh, Velma series, which totally different cast, or it's a very diverse cast. So here's the tricky part. Here comes a tricky part. <laughs> Who needs a quickie part? I, I don't know how we feel. It's like, should, one, should it matter what the voice actors look like if they're doing voices? You know, you don't necessarily need to have all, but here, again, this is a weird thing is, so they're casting all these different ethnicities, which is great. Give people opportunity. You know, it shouldn't just be like, okay, you, all our characters unfortunately happen to be white, so we're only going to cast white pe- people to do the voices. Because again, you can do a voice, you can do a voice. But on the flip side, you know, we're, we're seeing where white people aren't doing the voices. Like uh, Dan Kesson, or is it Dan Kesson? No, Hank Azaria is not doing the voice of Apu anymore because, let's see, that's different because that was more making fun of his race and everything like that. So I, th- I think that's why he did it. But then, the, was it some show? Was it Big Mouth? I've never watched that show. I don't know if there, there was. I think there was a black character 
and the voice actor she's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna step back let's let a person of color you know do that role because that's i don't know and then there's there's like clip that was released for for velma did you see it where she's like in her her house and she gets a call from some serial killer inside the house and then she gets killed or something happens uh we'll see i like mindy kaling uh so just because i like mindy kaling i i will watch that i don't have i it just seems weird and the, the thing is like velma they've also changed her skin color which should that matter it shouldn't it's it's weird because they're changing the skin color and I, 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 I'm so conflicted because I don't, I, you know, I'm not that I want to be PC because, you know, it's again, it's opinion. I, I'm not, I don't want to be racist, but it just seems weird. You know, so if I speak to my race or ethnicity, it would be like, uh, hey, I, I want to watch The Simpsons. I, I think you should make him a Latino. <laughs> I don't can't even I can't even think of a Spanish version of Simpsons. Maybe I shouldn't. But it would just be weird. Then that's maybe that's not the best because all the Simpsons are mostly yellow. But if all of a sudden you you changed the ethnicity, you know, if if all of a sudden you're gonna make Batman, well, they do have the Aztec Batman, but that's the whole like Elseworlds thing. Oh my gosh, this has been the longest news. I thought there's like no news. That That's the news for the week. Cut, move on. Okay, with comic books. So as I mentioned, I unfortunately did not get a chance to read everything. I, I know I did not read everything at Image. There's, and this is the thing that, that doesn't necessarily drive me, me nuts about Image. But there's some weeks where, and, and it's just my personal preference also, but there's some week where maybe... I'll just, you know, there's only one image book that I, or not one, but like one or two. And then other week there's like, there's like 15 books. So it's just weird how I would think they would try to schedule it or whatever. One book that I, I, I want to read, um, I, I have it, but I haven't had a chance to read it is uh, three keys. I don't really know anything about it. So it's, it's David Messina. Uh, he, Invites you to explore the mysterious worlds of Three Keys. Did the inhabitants of another dimension flee into our reality to save themselves from the terrible wrath of the Great Old Ones or to help prepare us for a final devastating invasion? And what if humanity's only chance against these Great Old Ones is an impetuous, mischievous young woman and her sardonic, furry, and surprisingly violent mentor? All questions are asked and answered in this five-part introduction to writer and artist David Messina's epic apocalyptic universe featuring 27 full story pages. I'm curious about that. I didn't read it. Um, what I did read is Dark Ride. Dark Ride by Joshua Williamson and Andrea Bresson. This, th- those two worked on Birthright, which I never finished at. Uh, for some reason, I don't, I don't remember why I stopped and then I just got behind I need to read those traits. So Dark Ride is such a uh, such a great first issue. I'm I'm so hooked to, to this. Um, Devil Land has been the world's premier horror themed amusement park for over 50 years, home to the scariest ride ever created. The Devil's Do, but when lifelong fan 
Owen Seasons begins his first day on a job, he will discover the true horrors happening behind the scenes. The truth about the park's reclusive... I feel like this is saying too much. About the park's reclusive creator, Arthur Dante, and that the job of his dreams might just be a living nightmare. Okay, so basically we find out about this, this Dante dude who designs up the park you know there's a little introduction whatever then there's this this theme park so that this kid he gets a job there and he's like totally like obsessed with the park he like knows everything about it and then you know you, you find out more so there, there's like a dark connection with the creation of of the park you know something happened to this dude in the beginning that maybe kind of he was always into it and you know then he for his inspiration whatever so it's it's just really cool because it has like that horror angle and it's also like theme park angle. And Joshua Williamson, I know he just, and he talks about it at, at the back and and, and like the, the the page, the editor's page or whatever. He he's like super into like theme parks. Like I know he was like way into Disney Plus. He like knows all the secrets and everything like that. You know, he's he's written a couple of the I forget if it was like the not the Matterhorn, the the train one. Oh, I don't know why I'm blanking. Do I have it right here? I have one nearby. Um, he's but he's written some. I think he. I don't know if he did Figment or not. But he's he's done some Disney stuff. You know, he's really into it. And you know, he he talks about you know the other theme parks and you know Knott's Berry whatever Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> and and uh, this this is going to be a good. So you don't want to miss out on this. This is this is going to be a really. I'm assuming it's going to be a really cool series because it's it's off to a really good start. Um, image anthology issue six i didn't read this the, the one of the reasons i was like holy crap there's just these are tend to be like like 80 pages or something like that and for me some of the stories are, are hit or miss now here it looks like there's a matt fraction gabriel ba fabio moon um there's a new casanova story jimmy palmiotti and amanda connor they're bringing the pro back and then you know Jeff Johns and Andrea Muti, they they're that the Blizzard. I'm really like hooked into that story, like what the heck is going on. And then there's like so many other like Eric Brendan Fletcher and Erica Henderson and Tim Seeley and um, I don't know Joe Casey Nathan Fox. I'm not sure if Scotty Young he's been doing uh, something each issue. Yeah, he's in here. So those those are are just cool books because it's just it's such a I don't know if saying it's a hodgepodge if that's good or not. But the downside is that you know there's going to be some stories that might not appeal to you, but there's there's a lot of good stuff there. There was also uh, let's see, Joe Hill Rain came out. Um, I, I don't know if this did was this released before, because uh, I feel like I don't know if this is collected. This was a hardcover, so I, I don't know about that. Junkyard Joe came out. Oh wait, okay. There is a color version. I see. I read the black and white version, which which was was cool. So there is also there's a regular, a regular and a color. Uh, so Junkyard Joe was mentioned in uh the the last <laughs> the Geiger Geiger, not the Geiger that that series. So Junkyard Joe, yeah, from the pages of Geiger comes Junkyard Joe. The world knows him as a comic strip by cartoonist Muddy Davis, but the truth stretches back to the Vietnam War. This is their story of sacrifice and brotherhood. So it's just really, I mean, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank, it's like these guys are just such such an amazing uh, creative team. And uh, the, the black and white version 
is just it's it's just cool because you i i mean i love the color in comics and sometimes i get bummed if i'm reading a black and white comics i want the colors but the same thing with with the black and white you get a, a chance just to really see the like the pencils and the inks versus the colors you know sometimes that adds old another layer as well so you know there's pros and cons to that but this is a really cool story and uh it, it, yeah, it's it's worth interest. Or it's worth it's worth interesting. It's worth reading because it's very interesting. Kaya number one. I I didn't get a chance to read this, but you should. Wes Craig. Uh, he had there there's some some Kaya stories in the the image, thirtieth uh, anniversary. Right. I'm not crazy about that. So it's a jam packed season premiere with 31 gorgeous story pages plus bonus material and Jack Kirby inspired variant cover. <laughs> okay. After the destruction of her village, a young girl with a magic arm and a fighting spirit is tasked with delivering her little brother to a faraway safe heaven haven. There, he's destined to discover the secret to overthrowing the all-powerful empire that destroyed their home. I love what's Craig's art. I mean, deadly class. I I am scared to read that final issue when it comes out. I kind of don't want to. It's a whole thing. Like, if I don't read it, then I'll there'll always be like one new issue for me to read. So I'm. It's it's gonna really be such a bummer. Uh, so with this, it sounds like it's it's probably collecting like the first, few, you know, chapters that have been released, you know, in small little bits. So this this is a this is definitely interesting. Like just a whole character design and just this world here. I'm I'm really intrigued with you know where where that's gonna go. So you should check that out. Um, then there is Revolvers number one. Did I I didn't check this out i don't think yeah i wasn't sure about this one hampton wales a detroit homicide detective finds himself trapped in a mysterious and violent reality only to find himself dead while attempting to solve a seemingly average and routine homicide confronted by an immortal tormentor known as la python the python hampton begins a dark and twisted quest to find out why and how he died to do so he must face off against a legion of gun-toting deceased revolvers with Within the moratorium, a hellish version of purgatory. Hampton will need to kill or be killed to have enough time to unravel his demise and discover it was by his own hand, someone else, or something more sinister. Hmm, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, it, that's, that sounds interesting. So you can check that out. And, uh, yeah, that's all I read at Image. Didn't read anything at Boom. Um IDW, please no GI Joe. Okay, I didn't read. Any, I'm, I know I didn't read the last GI Joe. At DC Comics, so at first I was a little hesitant. There's a the Joker, the man who stopped laughing. So I'm like, all right, do we really need another Joker story? I'm just like, come on already, so much Joker. But it's written by Matthew Rosenberg, so I'm like, okay, yeah, I got to read that. And this was. This was interesting because at first when I'm reading this, um, what I talked about recently and off my mind about continuity, when I first looked at this cover, this comic, and this this the you know, first pages, I'm like, where does this fit in? Is this in regular continuity or not? Because it's it's not a black label book, so is this currently? Because the first page it's like Gotham City four days ago, so is this current? And I believe it is, but. At first, I was just like, I, I don't know if it is. So it's interesting to see like where where like what the Joker's mindset is and what he's doing. One of the things I love about the Joker is like every time we see him, 
you know, you don't know what you're going to get. It's like a different version, which fits along perfectly with, you know, three jokers because that would explain a lot there. So here, you know, Joker's, I don't want to give stuff away, but Joker is unleashing some plans and everything like that. And there, there's a bit of a mystery going on. It's like with this one character, it's like, wait, who is this? Like, what's going on? So I, I definitely recommend you check that out. And, you know, and I, I can't believe I'm saying that because I'm so burnt out on Jokers. Like, I, I don't want any more Joker for a while, but this, this was good. Sort of Azrael issue three came out. I, I didn't read that. I'm just, I, I just, something about, I don't know, Azrael. It, it's not that it's like too religious or anything like that. You know, just, I, I don't know, something is not, not working for me. Poison Ivy issue five. So we, we get like a flashback of Poison Ivy's origin. Uh, and I realized it's like, I guess I don't really know her origin. I mean, has, has, was it in an animated series? Has it been there? I must've read something with it, but we see some stuff and it's just, as I keep saying with this series, it's just so crazy how like final, like her, her plan is like the stuff that she's doing and, and how, like, what is, what is she trying to accomplish? And this is like such a huge, you know, end of everything, but there, there's definitely some, some cool things here. Uh, monkey prince issue seven <laughs> this this character i really don't know what to make of this character uh he's just it, it's like it, it's it's it is ref he's refreshing in a way because he's so different and i he you know he's kind of got this good attitude or not really good attitude but it, it's a refreshing attitude because it is so different like when you know he went up against batman he was he was a little freaked out or whatever but here he's going up against aquaman and he's not like intimidated or anything uh, but it's just it's kind of it's it's interesting to see like how he approaches you know the whole thing with with aquaman and stuff like that there's just it's it's such a wacky book but not like totally off the rails it almost is off the rails but uh, so yeah it's, it's just so, so so fascinating then there's a gotham city year one all right i this is a book that somehow i haven't heard anything about you know i didn't know what the heck was going on here so that this book is is by tom king with phil hester doing the art i love phil hester's art i love phil hester phil hester's like such a nice guy i uh, he he's i he's just such a nice guy to talk to and everything like that and his art i like over every time i read his something that he's done i i, I just appreciate his art more and more and I, I feel like it's it's evolved. To, I don't even know if I want to say it's evolved, you know, because that makes it sounds like it's it's changed, you know. And I, I just there's something about about his style that I just I really dig, and it's just oh, uh, it's so cool to see. And this is an interesting story. I don't really know how this this fits or works because it takes place in 1961, and we have. Um, so basically this the princess of gotham has been kidnapped so helena wayne has been kidnapped uh she's a daughter of the a millionaire tycoon richard bruce wayne so this is 1961 so obviously it's not thomas wayne it's not necessary i don't think it's bruce it's not bruce wayne because richard bruce wayne and then uh his wife oh, who was his wife i forgot um Helena Wayne with her parents. Um, who was her wife? What was the wife's name? Anyways, so it's almost like this is like a completely different story 
there is a is there any mention of the batman it's 1961 i i guess i shouldn't say anything maybe maybe not so it's but we have slam bradley in here who he's in in current so it's just what's going on here and and you know it, it if it's a elseworlds book that's the again the continuity thing at, at first i'm reading this i thought it was in continuity but clearly it can't be and that's fine just let me know <laughs> don't make me like get, get all confused and try to figure it out uh dark crisis the deadly green i didn't read that it's yeah it's it's one of those return of justice league uh dark crisis on infinite earths number five this one i will admit you know i'm curious to see what they're gonna do i had to kind of skim through this this is one of the, the later comics well it's, oh not really but towards the end i'm like trying to rush and, and trying to get through as many comics as i can so it's just more on un- unleashing the infinite universe uh, i just don't know really what's what's going on and maybe it would help if i actually read this issue but i i didn't couldn't do it um there was another black adam in the justice society i didn't check this one out it's dr fate i should check it out but i didn't uh batman night watch so I was, I was you know gonna look at this one i don't remember if i checked out the did i even talk about the first one this one i you know looking at like preview pages you can see it has a very slick style and everything like that, but the age it's like rated eight plus. So then I'm like, oh, is this like an animated series, you know, um, inspired type book for younger readers? Which that's great, you know. We need books for for the youngins as well. You know, it can't just be for for adults because we need young kids to be interested so they grow up and and keep supporting. But I, I didn't check that out. Then there's Batman one twenty eight. So man, things are are just so so nutty here. Because basically, Batman created a failsafe, hence the story arc is called Failsafe, where he was just worried about not being kept in check. So he creates this thing. And now it's just, I feel like I kind of miss why is this thing like attacking him and everything around him. So he's been having this hard time just surviving this thing because it was meant to take him out. And, you know, this is Batman we're talking about. So he's not going to design something that can almost take him out when the the whole point was to take him out in case he ever crossed the line or something like that the other problem is as the justice league is trying to help out and everything like that this thing knows their secrets as well because batman designed it so it's almost like the whole tower babylon you know mark wade thing again and things are going so well like at one point they're in this part of gotham and Barbara's like, wait, where are you at? You're. It's like, didn't like Bruce owned that block? He kind of lured them there because he had built in a bunch of like weapons or, or you know things that could help take out the Justice League. And so it's like he, so it's it's, it's pretty smart to lure them there. But yeah, there, there's a uh, uh, Superman gets stabbed by a big chunk of kryptonite. He's dying. So it's just like it's 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 bad news for everyone. So very very intriguing stuff. It's almost like oh man, this is too much. It's like you're you're going too too far. How do you come back from this? Because like, what does this mean? Like wh- like where Gotham City is because of this? It's 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 pretty extreme. Okay, then over at Marvel, oh goodness, like these books. We know a couple Axe books, the Avengers, X Men, Eternals. There's a Star Fox book, and I was never like 
a huge Star Fox fan. I think he was he might have been in Avengers when I was starting to read the Avengers, you know, and he was he was always a okay character. I didn't quite get it. It's like okay, he's kind of got weird powers that he can influence people's emotions or whatever. It sounds very very uh risky, very um dangerous if you know what I'm talking about. But where I'm a little confused, if you look at at Star Fox here, it's like he he's he's got a bunch of piercings in his ears, which you know that doesn't mean anything. There's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I am you know have no no problem with that. But it's just weird because he never had all these piercings before. He's got a lot. His hair is longer in like certain parts, like he has longer bangs or whatever you want to call it. He always had these weird little like tufts of of hair, like like two almost look like horns or whatever. And and then some issues like. Wait, is he wearing lipstick now? Is he wearing eyeshadow? So it, it feels like they're trying to make Eros a little more androgynous to try to be more embracing, more, I guess some people would say more woke. Is, is, that, is that, am I using that correctly? Is that how, how it is? I think that might be the first time I've ever said it. So it's just, again, I don't ha- have a problem with, if, if they're trying to say he is an andro- androgynous person, because the thing is, I'm, I'm sure it's been established that when Star Fox uses his his love power, he doesn't care if it's a guy or a girl. You know that that's not really a surprise there. Again, this is kind of creepy, Star Fox. You shouldn't be influencing people. No, that's not okay. But it's just weird that I'm almost like, wait, who is this? Is this Star Fox? It's like what he went through some changes, I guess. And when did this first happen? And I, I don't know. But just this whole story arc with influence, I don't even know what's going on. And then the, the X-Men one, just got Jean Grey on the cover. I love Jean Grey. I just, I fl- fl- literally just flipped through the pages. And I'm like, oh, he, look, this looks like a cool flashback to Jean Grey day one. I, it's not enough to make me read this. And I just, I'm, I, I, I feel like the more of these are, I read, it's having like the opposite effect Marvel wants. It's making me, like the Eternals less because it's just, it's feeling like such a chore because there's like a million, not, there's always like three or four books each, each week. And it feels like it's just going on forever. And it, I don't know. The whole thing is like, Oh, everyone's being judged for this or it's, I, I don't know, but it's, it's just not really working for me. Then, um, wasn't there a Spider-Man book this week? I feel like, wasn't there was a spider-man book i'm not seeing it did i not read the spider-man hang on a second oh i know okay because i'm looking at a marvel app and i'm like it's alphabetical order which i like you know it's axe axe amazing spider-man facsimile edition amazing spider-man trade ant-man you know i'm like there's a i thought i read there's a spider-man i'll get to it in the s's uh ant-man issue four so this has been like a weird story I love Tom Riley's art, you know. So Tom Riley also did that thing series. I that still was a weird series. I don't know how I felt about that that story. I love his art, but we have this Ant Man for the future, and I don't know how I feel about that. But this is the last issue, so it like wraps things up. So there's just cool things, and I really think the art does help. For me, it helps the story because I just love the visuals and everything, the art and the colors and. Uh, so I, I can't wait. Um, they did actually, let me look at this. There is going to be a wasp 
story coming up and i don't remember if it's oh no it's a different artist so al ewing's gonna be writing that but uh cassia nye is going to be doing the interiors tom riley will be doing the cover so the first cover looks like it's going to be as cool as these these ant-man covers man if you you look at those those are just it it's just like a shot of like the torso like holding the helmet ant-man helmet like under the arms so you just see kind of like just the top of the thigh up to the shoulders and with the helmet i i think that this it's, when you look at all four of them it just this would be like cool to have like a kind of like the andy warhol like the boom 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 the four and one because it's just really cool except for this i don't know how i feel this future ant-man is like hey, let's get you out of there but whatever captain america um sentinel liberty issue five i feel bad because i was skimming through this issue just so i can see like okay does anything crazy happen here and yes yes indeed crazy things happen here uh, this series has been the, the first couple of issues i'm just like eh, whatever but then as we're getting into this kind of conspiracy stuff like what what's going on with with uh captain america and this like secret organization and how is it involved you know how was how's the deal with him and, and everything like that so just for some crazy things with with him and and bucky and things get tense at the end and uh yeah that that last page is just like um now what are you gonna do uh edge of spider verse issue five i don't even think i i looked at this one i i'm just three brand new spiders get their start here and I just, I don't care about just seeing a bunch of new spider characters. It's, this is exactly the issue I have with the Avengers Forever, where we're seeing all these different versions of Captain Marvel or Captain America or whoever. And then and then that's it. So here now we're, we're getting like eight pages of new, you know, different characters. It's just like, I, I don't care. Give me just a story and not just introducing me to this character. Maybe we're going to see, maybe they're going to appear in like two panels in a big fight at the end. I don't know. Um, Hulk issue nine. So this is the beginning of Hulk planet. So unfortunately I skimmed through this one. I'm, I'm going to be totally honest. I do not want to fake it and make it, you know, I'm not going to sound like some fake expert because I, that's not cool. So I just started skimming through this and, uh, there are some crazies. I hate that I did this because it's kind of ruining it for me, but I have to do it for you guys. I am I'm willing, more than willing to do it for you guys. But yeah, so it's, uh, by the time at the last page, it's just like, wait, who is, who is this? What what is this? I almost said something that would spoil it. I'm not gonna say that. Jane Foster and uh, Mighty Thor. I did not get a chance to look at this one. Um, I didn't even like flip through it. Oh no, I, I did. I take that back. I did start flipping through it, and it's like there's Ares. How's Ares here? And in, in continuity, Ares here and Ares and Punisher kind of seem like different, but whatever. Marauders issue seven. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't read that one too. See. I, I just I didn't get around to a lot of stuff. Um, I do don't I'm not reading New Fantastic Four. I'm curious, uh, but yeah, I, I didn't even look at that one. Then uh, Savage Avengers. I I you know I don't know what it is. Uh, looking at like on the cover, so we have Anti Venom, and I should be like eh, I don't know, but I'm I'm not 
super crazy about the character. Let's see. Escape from Nueva York. Following their harrowing journey to the Hyborian Age, the Savage Avengers have learned no good deed goes unpunished, not when they're stranded in the Deathlock-ruled dystopia of 2099. As our shell-shocked heroes are swarmed by cybernetic soldiers, will the Punisher 2099 prove to be the Savage Avengers' salvation or their ultimate downfall? So I'm I'm curious with that, but I'm I I'm behind on that series. I gotta see like what the heck is going on with with Deathlock. Then this is where I was like, I know I read Spider Man, Spider Man number one. So there's a new Spider-Man series by Dan Slott. Dan Slott is back on Spider-Man. Dan Slott and Mark Bagley. The end of the Spider-Verse is here. Morloon is back. Ugh. I don't like Morloon. But um, I do will say, without spoiling things, I am kind of curious. Like, What the heck is Morloon doing? What's he up to now? Morloon is back and he is not alone. Allied with one of the most powerful beings known to the Spider-Verse, the scariest spider villain of all time is making his biggest play and no spider is safe. Especially not the chosen spider himself, Peter Parker. With Peter working for Norman Osborn and using a glider, does he have does he have it coming? <laughs> Spidey's 60th anniversary is no joke as two of the most legendary spider creators are working together on Spidey for the first time. Wait, really? They never did anything together? That seems weird that... Uh, for the first time, and you know it's going to be... How could they have never... Dan Slott wrote Spider-Man forever, practically. And they never did anything? That, that, that seems weird. Anyways, this was uh, was kind of crazy. So it just really kicks off. And see, like this... The Into... Or the Edge of the Spider-Verse, I'm just like... Oh, snooze. But this Spider-Man, it just... It cranks things up. And it's like, holy crap. And... uh Things don't look too good for one character in particular. So the whole thing about spider characters not being safe, yes, that is is 100% true here. Although it's comic books, so who knows. And then, holy crap, I just realized, even though I have it on here in a Marvel app, X-Men Red number 7, I didn't even open this. Oh, but it's a friggin' axe tie-in. Oh my gosh. I So yeah, I... I Final judgment for the Red Planet, an axe tie-in, yay. As the dust settles and the costs are counted, changes coming to Rocco, starting at the top, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. <laughs> I, I just don't care. I can't care. I, I'm, I'm waiting for axe to be over. So I'm sorry. I got to put my foot down. So um, that is it. <laughs> and, and that's going to be comics for the week. All right. Rick and Morty, season six, episode five, final desmithation. Deeth Smithation. This this was a kind of a weird episode. Uh, I liked it. I didn't like it as much as the the, the Night People episode, but I, I did like it. So the fam- <laughs> the family's eating at Panda Express. I don't know if this is like an ad for Panda Express or a dig at Panda Express. Rick comes in angry, <laughs> asking who changes ringtone to the theme from Taxi. And if you haven't ever heard the theme from Taxi, go to YouTube, look it up. It's just like some whistling or whatever. It it, it cracked me up. Morty and, and Summer they like high five each other, and so apparently it's a TikTok thing because some kids decided the theme slaps. Rick is supposed to 
follow up by sending it to like 10 other people or something like that. But he's like, I don't care. It's dumb. And some are quietly like, well, it, it helps raise awareness for leukemia. <laughs> so they, they talk about the food and then summer says, uh, fortune cookies, the, the fortunes from fortune cookies only come true if you eat the cookie first. And hers says, hard work often pays off. And she's like, lame. Beth reads hers. Family time is time well spent. And she's like, that's not only empty, but it's been disproven. Morty's turn. Family time is time well. Oh, man, I got the same one. And then they're like, boo. Morty asks uh, what his, Jerry, what his dad says. And Jerry's like, you will have sex with your mother. Then everyone in the restaurant, not just the family, everyone in the restaurant just like stops and stares at him. So Jerry's lying awake at night and he's like, they're, they're not always right. Right. All right. And Beth's like, Jerry, are you seriously asking me if you're gonna have sex with your mother? And he's like, no, he's like, I was going to ask if, if I can go throw up my cookie. And then she's like, fine, you can do it quietly. She's like, just don't, don't hand that advice to summer. So Jerry's like, and, and she's like, and be quiet about it. So Jerry's you hear him in the bathroom. He's, he can't do it. He can't make himself throw up. So next day he's still obsessing. And then, and he's like looking, he's like, and why are numbers a few numbers off from her birthday? So he asked Rick, he's like, have you investigated this? And he's like, why is it so specific? And Rick's like, it's not an X-File. He's like, you got the la the world's last interesting fortune. So Summer holds up her phone and asks dad if he can explain what's going on with his mom. And he's like, no social media. He's like, what if Mima sees it? He's like, she can't find out about something that might happen. And Morty's like, whoa, might? And then so Morty, Summer, and Beth, they all laugh at him. Then his mom calls. And he's like, what if she's calling to say that I'm adopted? <laughs> so Morty says, he's like, then you should totally hit that. And he high five Summer. So Jerry's like, you know, he's like, stop laughing at me. And Jerry's like, we're laughing because you're taking it so seriously. And you better not let this ruin our trip to the zoo. So they had a trip to the zoo plan and they're like making this big deal about it. I don't know why. Jerry asks Rick if he can use science to make it impossible. And Rick says that he's insulting science. He's like, as the most powerful man in the universe, if I invent tech to prevent a random occurrence, I'll end up making it more possible and random. And then Jerry like kind of like tosses his phone. And then he asks, he's like, when are we leaving for the zoo? And Beth's like, you have one hour to get over this. And he's like, I'm already done thinking about it. And then in the bedroom, he's like duct taping his genitals. Summer opens the door. She's like filming, like TikToking and laughing. More, then in the other room, Morty like photoshops Meemaw's head like on some woman like in lingerie in her body and texts it to him. And then they hear him in the other room. He's like, oh, and they laugh at him. So then Jerry's sitting alone in a closet, and then this Amima doll falls over on him. So they actually took the time to make a doll somehow, and they're holding the door shut as he's like screaming to get out of there. So Beth finally drags him out, and Summer's like, "Why are you dressed like Morty?" He's wearing like you know jeans and a yellow shirt, and it, it like barely fits him. So it's like literally Morty's clothes. He says because Morty's mom is Beth. <laughs> so Space Summer, she's in the driver, she honks her horn, and Rick says like, Rick's like. You, they should probably go without Jerry. He did a scan and his fortune is giving off some strange readings. Then as they leave, Rick tells Jerry that, you know, he's like, Oh, I'm glad you're, you know, you're taking it seriously. He's like, you're not even close to being right. He's like, I just didn't want to see anyone bullied into going to the zoo. So Jerry says, thanks. But he's like, if that device says it's okay, then I guess I could go to the zoo. And Rick's like, this detects aberrations and probability waves. She's like, I didn't even turn it on. He turns it on and it beeps. He's like, huh? And like nothing, he's like, he still could use his help to test something. So outside he puts two empty shoe boxes and there's like a hole in the side. He, he said he wrote his mother's name inside one. 
And Jerry's like, it's like, oh, I was like, I'm not putting my penis in there. And Rick's like, good. It's like, I didn't want to do this anyways. Then Jerry's like, can I just say which box I'd put my penis in? And Rick's like, oh, whatever. Then he's like, but then he, you know, as he says it, he's like, well, saying it makes it sound worse. So, you know, first he's like the right one. And then he tells him, turn around. He actually doesn't switch the box, but he doesn't switch him. He leaves him the same. So then he's like, I'd put my penis in the right one. And Rick's like, you don't have to keep saying penis. So then this time he switches them around. Jerry says the left. Rick switches them again. Then he's like, right, switches them, left. And he switches them, right. And he's like, Jerry, are you bleeping, peeking? So Rick scans himself. And it says that, so for Rick, he's as likely to poop a balloon as he is to become a dolphin. And Jerry's like, those things, those are things that could happen. And he's like, like everything's possible. Then he scans Jerry. So he says anything is as likely as anything else, which is why it's weird that he's likely to, and he's like, to what? Rick asks if his mother has been leaving him messages. He's like, yeah, three texts. He's like, I'm scared to read them. So she wants to come visit. Why would you want that? Rick like, says that he's going to tell him something he never told anyone. They need to go to Panda Express. <laughs> so they, they land and he says, like, you know, if they wanted his respect, they could have just gotten a liquor license. <laughs> Jerry comments that now Rick thinks this is about him. So he says, of course it is. The person involved has God powers. So who does he think is in this? He is in the story, the father-in-law. So he uses this device to unlock the door. They go to like the employee's only door. And he's like, you guys want my attention? They all pull out weapons and they start shooting. Rick slams the door and Rick says, he's like, now it's confusing because I'm getting mixed signals. Jerry freaks out because he's getting a text from his mom. It's like, I need you. And the next one says to pick up the phone. So Rick pulls out two like space guns or something like that. He calls out to the ship. He's like, play, play my favorite playlist, track one. And it plays the theme to Taxi. <laughs> and he's like, all right, fine. He's like, no wrong answers. So as the theme is, the, the song is playing, he goes in. Like, he has these like laser guns. And they, like, they slice away at employees while firing at them and like, all this stuff. And the ship's firing, too, at, at the restaurant. He points a gun at one time at the end. He's, he demands to know where their fortune comes from. And it's like, and we can all walk out of here because there's another guy's holding a gun up to him. He's holding an Uzi. He's like, and he yells at him. He like insults him, like some calls him. For, he's from the DEA. So Rick's like DEA. And they're like, you're not here about our, our gang citywide meth ring. And Rick's like, there shouldn't be laws. So go ahead and break them. And he's like, sorry about the dead guys. And a dude laughs. He's like, oh, it comes with the territory. But then Rick's like, well, where do you get your fortunes from? And the dude's like, the same place ever as everyone else. And so the, and he's like, the truck is still out back. Rick says that he's just going to take it in exchange for not turning them in. So they arrive at this big factory, and it's like pretty high tech. And so they're like, "How much money is is there in fortune cookies?" The truck like drives out. You know, they drive in the truck, and it gets lowered like in this big platform. And then this device turns on. They're about to be retina scanned. So Rick throws some like uh, like spider like things at Jerry, and it like hooks up to his eyes and put makes like a fake scan. Rick's like I guess automatic automatically programmed into his body since his body's hardly even real. So Rick says, he's like, I have a theory. This place is run by Cookie Monster. And Jerry just glares at him. And Rick's like, he's really protective of cookies? And he's like, what? He's like, you can't crack a smile? Then he's like, oh, yeah, you're worried about doing it with your mom. So then then Rick has like a robot eye that goes out and detects cameras everywhere. Jerry's like, well, can you disable them? And Rick says that disabling 300 cameras draws more attention than just changing your outfit. So Rick says some stuff, and then his clothes change into a suit. 
then Jerry's changed, but it, it does this like whole like animated like sequence. Obviously, it's all animated, but Jerry's like, "What the heck was that?" And he's like, "Reusable Sailor Moon sequence." He's like, "If we ever have to, if we ever have to show you becoming my assistant, we can reuse it and save lots of money." So they sneak around. Rick looks behind his curtain. There's like, you know, they're like backstage somewhere. And he sees there's a bunch of people like Be- Bezos, uh, Bill Gates, the prime minister. He's like, and weirdly, Billy Zane. So this woman comes out and says, she's given this big presentation. You know, she started off living in her parents' garage 15 years ago, eating ramen out of a toilet when she discovered fate isn't fiction. She's like, anything you want can be yours if you ask for it. So to find out how, you'll get the answers when you become a level seven investor. So Rick's like, oh, we're not getting any answers here. So we have to go deeper. Rick discovers that they're controlling fate for profit. And Jerry's like, can't we just blow up the building or something? But Rick wants to take the power for them. Jerry's like, you mean for you? And Rick's like, it's like, what? I'd share it. And Jerry's like, then then you bleep my mom. He, and Rick's like, well, that's not how it works. And I already have. He's like, what? He's like, Jesus, Jerry, come on. So security then finds him. They say to, to take out the emergency fortunes. Rick has a bunch of devices like just coming out of him because the, the security guys are leveling up. The first guy reads, you will have success in a fight. And then Rick's text like shirts out. So Rick uses Jerry as a human shield and they escape. And like Jerry's like freaking out. This, the owner lady comes in and she's told that they have intruders and one has an unresolved fortune. So she's like, we need to get his mother. Rick and Jerry are crawling through air ducts. Jerry wants to talk about Rick using him as a human shield. And Rick's like, you have an unresolved fortune. He's like, you're basically immortal. He's like, you should be happy. And Jerry's still going on about it, whatever. Then Rick's like, okay. He's like, I promise if it comes down to it, I'll put a bullet in her head. And he's like, no. So Rick's like, yeah, the fortune didn't say she had to be alive. <laughs> Did it. So they make it to the main factory level. There's this, like this old man and this giant creature like hanging. And Jerry's like, He's like, oh, great. We have no idea what's going on. And Rick's like, it's a Locrian. It's a species that eats chaos, but it has a digestive disorder. Its stomach is stripping randomness from space time and leaving pockets of energy that bends them into outcomes or something like that. He's like, that's how fate works. It's a force like gravity. So the fortune cookies are basically alien poop. And Rick wonders, you know, he wonders why the fortunes suck. The old man talks to them. He, he says that they do so that the good ones come at a premium. So you just get a bunch of lame fortunes, but if you want good ones, you have to pay more. So the man, I guess, wants to marry the creature and have relations with it. He's like, they can't until they're married because he's, he's Catholic. So Jerry asked, you know, what does that have to do with him? You know, why leave him that fortune? And the dude said he's been trying to get people's attention. Then the woman enters with like a swarm of security guards. Um, they say like, hello to Jerry and they show him his mom's there, his whatever meemaw's there. So uh, his mom says that they picked her up in a limousine, said that he won something and that she should be the one to give it to him. Then the, the lady kind of like shoves her down like this like ramp thing, whatever, and her dress kind of rips a little bit as she's like goes down. So the guys or the soldiers are, are told to take these prototype cookies and then they have these crazy powers and they start shooting at Rick. Like one's like, you will shoot headshots only. And the other was like, you'll control fire, you'll control water, you can't die, you'll stick to walls. <laughs> so uh, the, the guy that can't die gets sh- like shot a lot, but he can feel the pain. So like little things like that. 
uh, Rick reaches into crates of cookies and starts eating them, but they're all like lame ones. Then he's like, where are the fighting ones? So he opens up his other crate and the old dude tells him to stop that those are empty. So with no fortune, they're unpredictable. Rick loads him up and into like a gun and starts shooting him at the shoulders. So he shoots one and he's like shooting in their mouths. This, the first guy turns into a bird. Another guy's head goes like super big. And then you see two other guys, they start making out. One guy t- turns into a teleprompter. It's like, what? Rick comes up to the lady and she says that he can't kill her, that she also has an unresolved fortune, that you will become the most successful businesswoman on earth. So he takes out like his phone or device, or whatever. He buys some company and he takes all their money and makes her the most successful woman. Then he empties her accounts and gives the money back. So she became, he's like, congratulations, whatever. She chomps this other cookie and turns into this big, kind of like a Kira monster, like just all mutated and everything like that. Rick goes like up to the beast and like squeezes out a fortune. The creature is now free and it's like eating these soldiers. And then the creature also eats the old dude or, like, or tears him apart or whatever. Someone hits like this device, like grenades, like a black hole grenade or something like that it accidentally triggers the device so everything's starting to get sucked in jerry's mom's like getting pulled back and hanging on and her dress like rips open and her bits are like blurred out jerry's like hanging on too and of course his pants get sucked off so he's all blurred out fuzz out whatever he's like trying to hang on but he's getting pulled in um then he starts flying like towards his mom with his, his stuff sticking out. So Rick does some like tech stuff, or whatever, and he shoots, he, he writes Jerry, no sex mom on a fortune, loads it up, shoots it into Jerry's mouth. They both fall. And then he's like, Oh, that was close. And his mom's like, close to what? And Rick says, everyone getting what they want, except for Jerry. And Jerry's like, you saved me. And Rick's like, I will never stop holding this over you. So Jerry's mom says, it's like, Oh, we should get you some clothes. And Rick's like, Oh, oh, and then the Sailor Moon sequence pops up again, <laughs> and Jerry's dressed as, as Rick's assistant again. He's like, you could just feel the savings. So Rick, Jerry, and Mima arrive at the house. Before they enter, Jerry hands Rick a fortune cookie. He says, it might look like someone just shoved in a handwritten fortune at the last second, but that's how it came. Rick eats a, the cookie. Uh, he eats a cookie and reads it. It says, thank you, smiley face. And he's like, Jerry, I appreciate the sentiment, but this is a huge waste of the last real fortune. He's like, oh, sorry. And he's like, oh, it's cool. And he's like, thanks, friend. Friend, friend, did you just say friend? You bleeping idiot. I'm not your friend. What makes you think I'm your friend? And he holds up his fortune because uh, he had had a, a fortune. He's like, look at this, you piece of poop. And it says, you will make a new friend. He's like, I was immortal. I was immortal for the whole fight. All I had to do was not make a new friend. And Jerry's like, fine, we're not friends. And Rick's like, it's too late. It doesn't say you'll make a permanent friend. All friendships end, especially new ones. Jerry says, then that's a fate they still control. Rick just like stares at him <laughs> and he slaps him. He's like, oh, he like starts crying or something like that. And Rick's like, oh, I'm sorry I did that. And Jerry's like, it's fine. And he goes inside. Then Rick pulls out the fortune from his pocket. He looks at it as a theme from Taxi Place. And he goes inside. So does Rick want to be friends with Jerry? I mean, if you think about it, he saved him from going to the zoo so his family wouldn't bully him. He saved him. He, he saved it so he didn't have sex with his mom. And, you know, he basically destroyed any chance of anyone having these, the power, fortunes, whatever. So I think he wants to be friends with him. At the zoo, 
there's this like ad for like zebra. Oh, because Jerry had eaten zebra or animal food because it's like comes into gumball machines like at the petting zoo, and he got like sick and diarrhea. So he like comments about this, and they're like, "Well, you're not supposed to eat it." And he's like, "Well, why is it coming gumball machines?" So there's a an ad for zebra food, like, and you see like everyone getting sick, then people start fighting. And so it's supposed to be an ad targeted to zebras because Morty's like shocked and confused. He's like in a gift shot. He's like, why are they playing this ad on a loop? Because he's like, people were actually murdered in there. So he it's just it was kind of weird. That That's that's the end. That's after after credits. So a uh, very weird episode. <laughs> I don't know, but it, it was good. So so that was Rick and Morty. Okay, then House of the Dragon season one, episode seven, Driftmark. Oh man, this was this was a weird episode. This was a good episode. It was weird because at the beginning, I, I'm kind of like, man, nothing really is happening. It, it starts out like there's a funeral at sea for Lady Lena of House Valerian. They're, you know, they're they're gonna send her to the Eternal Waters and stuff like that. So everyone's there. The king's there. Allison, Rhaenyra, um, Damon's there. Uh, all this stuff like that. And as they're doing the ceremony, like Damon starts chuckling. It's like, dude, this is your wife who who just died in childbirth. And, you know, she was just, her her coffin was just like shunted to the sea and you're laughing. <laughs> so then uh, Rainier is looking for uh, Laner, her, her husband. Uh, she asks her son, Jace, and he says that, or, he, you know, she's like, you know, your cousin lost her mother, you know, the, the two girls. She's like, they could use a kind word. And he's like, well, I have equal claim to sympathy. And he's like, we should be at Harren Hall mourning Lord Lionel and Sir Harwin, because Harwin is his dad and he figures that, whatever. But she sternly says, he's like, that would not be appropriate. She's like, the Valerians are our kin, the Strongs are not. She asks him if, if he understands, whatever, and she just walks away. And Allison, she's just like stupidly staring at her like in this questioning way. It's like, okay, a mother's talking to her child. Why would you be suspicious about anything like that? It's just weirdly, really weird that how like Allison has evolved. She's just like turned and I don't even understand because they were like best friends. And she becomes a queen and she kind of like worms her way into being the king because her her dad i i think there's some i mean otto is just super scheming so i i just but man just 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 hang on it's just, just really weird and she's standing with sir Kristen, so he's like her guard and you know all she does is complain about rainier the king is like sitting damon's just like standing around not saying anything then aegon um looks so the king's son looks at his cousin uh or, you know rainier's daughter and or something like was it rainier's daughter uh, he, he's saying, you know, they have nothing in common. He, and But then, you know, the, one of the other brothers says something about ma- marrying to keep the Valerian blood pure or whatever. So Aegon is just like, he's such a jerk. Um, Kristen tells Allison Lionel's strong son has been staring at her since the moment they arrived. So, you know, he's there, like staring at her unabashedly. And she's like, oh, it's just a look of pride. He's the new Lord of Harrenhal. Jace goes over by his cousin the two girls doesn't say anything he's just like stands there and one of the girls like grabs his hand like just to hold his hand so that was kind of sweet Coralise talks to uh luceris about his his birthright uh his brother will be king but luceris will be the lord of the tides and rule the seas and he's like i'm sorry i don't want it and the the, the kids uh he says that if he's the lord of driftmark that means that everyone's dead or something like that rainis so Coralise's wife goes to the girls and like hugs them, you know, because she's their grandma. And, you know, they're like, we don't want mother to be gone. 
uh, Lanier is he goes out to the water. He's he's starts he's just standing in the water like alone because he's probably been drinking everything like that. Corley sees him and then he goes to I think he's going up to Coral Quarrel, uh, the, the dude that uh, Lanier is hooked up with, and he like kisses. He's like retrieve your patron because I guess it's not appropriate for him to be out there. But he's sad because his sister's dead. And he he didn't wasn't there for her or whatever. So there's just lots of awkwardness. The king finally goes up to Damon. He you know compliments the girls being the image of their mother. He's like that's a comfort and an, and an anguish as I remember. He's like the gods can be cruel. And Damon says it seems as if they've been especially cruel to him to the king. So which is kind of not appropriate to say. Uh, and Rainier is like watching them as they talk. The king tells Damon that he should return with them to King's Landing. It's time that he came home. Damon's like, Pentos is my home. He's like, and that of my children. The king's like, he's like, ah, he's like, I know we've had our differences, but let them pass with the years. There's a place for you in my court, you know, if, if that's something you need. And he's like, I need nothing. And he just like walks away. Otto's there. And then he, as, as Damon goes walk by him, he's like, oh, sorry for your loss. And he's like, no matter how fat the leech gets, it always wants more. And he just, so Damon's like, he doesn't want anything to do with Otto either. And Rainier's like, just like watching all this. So the king tells Alicent that he's off the bed. And Sir Harold uh, asks if he should see after the queen. And the king looks at her and he's like, no. And then Harold tells Kristen he has the night's watch. Otto finds Aegon drunk and yells at him. He's like, go to bed. And he's like kind of rough about it and everything. He's like, geez. Lanier is brought up from the water and he like just like walks past her and I guess maybe he's going to bed too since he's been drinking. Rhaenys and Corlys talk. She says that, uh, you know, she wanted that their daughter, their dead daughter, wanted to come home, but Damon denied her. You know, and because like Damon only does what's best for Damon. Corlys says, that, well, the surgeons in Pentos are just as well trained as there so he's like there's nothing that you know would have made a difference she's looking he says that she's looking to place blame for an act of the gods she says that well perhaps they're being scorned for their desires and you know, he's like well the, the crown was plucked uh, from you by the council he's like is it wrong for me to want it back for you she's like i gave up the idea to crown a generation ago he's the one that's still hanging on to the ambition and then he says that she wants driftmark to pass through lena's uh, line to Bela, or she says that she, to, she wants it to go to true Valerian blood. So she's like, declare it now in front of everyone, and then they'll say that this is how they'll honor Lena's memories. He's like, and disinherit our son. She's like, well, he, he'll be the king consort. You know, his son will one day sit on the Iron Throne. She tells him that he can speak plainly. Rainier's children are not of his blood, but Lena's are. They are her legacy, but he's like, history does not remember blood. It remembers names. So he doesn't want to, he, it would just be like an insult to take this away from Lanor. Rainier and Damon, they're walking down the beach. She's talking about Lanor being useless, you know, but at least, uh, you know, she puts up the pretense. She says that, you know, they did try to conceive, but to no avail. There was no joy in it. She found that elsewhere, they talk of Harwin and his loyalty to her. He shouldn't have come back. You know, they talk about, uh, about a curse from their lands. Damon's like, oh, that's just a ghost story. You know, one that Otto and Alicent will surely exploit. Rhaenyra says that, you know, she doesn't believe Alicent's capable of murder. Then she talks about him abandoning her. You know, he, Damon just left. He's like, I spared you. She's like, I was a child. She's like, look at what my life became without you. 
And he just like mentions like, well, what about mine? She's like, well, I know little of it. And then she's like, did you love her? You know, Lena. And he's like, we were happy enough. And she's like, well, that in itself is a great achievement. She says that, you know, she is sorry. And he's like, don't be. And she's like moving closer to him. And then she like puts her kind of her hand on his chest. And he and she's like, Damon. And he's like, she's like, I'm no longer a child. And then he's like, Rainier, what are you doing? And they kiss. She says that she wants him. And then they go elsewhere and they continue do to do. It's it's like this is her uncle. Blah. It's like what this, I just don't understand. Eamon runs out on the beach. So the king's other son goes up to a sleeping dragon. So I guess it's Lena's. You know, at first I'm like, well, whose dragon is this? He like reaches for like uh, like the ladder, or whatever, like that, and it wakes up. It like snarls, but then it closes its eyes. He reaches again, and it opens its mouth, and he, it's about to shoot out fire. He starts yelling out commands, or whatever. Like I don't know what it means. I don't remember. And then it listens. He climbs up, sits in the saddle, calls out some more commands, and it starts flying. So you know, it gets up, starts like shaking, and he's barely holding on. His cousins from like a nearby building, they see like the dragon start flying. They don't know what's going on, uh, you know. But as it goes up, Eamon's barely uh, holding on. He manages to climb back on, and he's like yelling as it's flying and soaring and everything like that. So the girls go and wake up Chase. They're like, "Someone stole Vaghar." I think that's how you say it. Um, Rhaenyra wakes up. Damon is outside. The dragon flies back. Jason and girls see it's Aemon, and one says that Vagar is her mother's dragon. And so the, the the kids are off on on their own. So they're they're not with Rainier and Damon. In case that was clear. So she's like, "That was our mother's dragon," and he's like, "Your mother is dead." And Vagar has a new rider now, and she's like, "She was mine to claim because this is a daughter that doesn't have a dragon." And he's like, "Then you should have claimed her." Then he says, you know, maybe your cousins can find you a pig to ride. It would suit you. So she charges at him and he like knocks her down. The other sister comes up, like punches him. And then he punches her back. And he's like, come at me again and I'll feed you to my dragon. Then Jace attacks too. He like shoves him back. Then the three start ganging up on him. And then the little brother is there too. Eamon um, grabs him by the throat and he picks up a rock. Like he's about to smash him. He's, he's like, you'll die in a flames like your father. And the kid's like, my father's still alive. And he says to the other, like, he doesn't know, does he, Lord Strong? So then Jace pulls out a blade, uh, and then uh, Ag- Agman, he swings you know, with a rock. Then the little brother picks up the blade that got knocked out of Jace's hand. Jace is on the ground. He like flings sands and, sand in Eamon's eyes. And then the little kid like, whoosh, like ah, slashes at his face, like at his eye and everything. And then Harold and like the guards come. And it's just like that, like escalated very fast. So the king finds out. He demands to know how this happened. You know, he's mad at Harold. You know, because he's like, "This ha- how does this happen on your watch, whatever?" And Harold's like, "They're supposed to be in bed." And he's like, "You know, the a young prince attacked by his own cousins." So the doctor's like, you know, stitching his face. He's like, "The flesh will heal, but the eye is lost." So then Allison slaps Aegon and says that, you know, this is. Because, you know, he wasn't there because he was, he's like, ah, he's like, she's like, that's nothing compared to what your brother suffered while you were drowning in your cups. So Coralise and Rhaenyra come in, look at their kids because, you know, they, they got hit. You know, they were, they they all start complaining that, oh, he attacked us, he attacked, you know, whatever. He stole my mother's dragon. He was going to kill Jace and all this stuff like that. And they're all like yelling at once. But the thing is, Eamon, he was going to kill his cousin 
he had a rock. He was going to smash his head. So the king yells. He's like, enough. And then they're still bickering or whatever. And again, he's like, silence. And Jace whispers to his mom. He's like, they, he called us bastards. And the king tells Amond he will have the truth of what happened. Allison says, what else, what else is there to hear? Your son has been maimed and her son is responsible. Rhaenyra says, it was a regrettable accident. Allison says, mentions that you know he brought a knife or whatever. Rhaenyra says, it was her sons who were attacked and forced to defend themselves. She's like, vile insults were levied against them. The king's like, what insults? So Rhaenyra, you know, there's a pause. She's like, the legitimacy of my son's birth was put loudly to question. The king's like, what? And Jace's like, he called us bastards. Aemon smirks a little. And then Rainier is like, my sons are in line to inherit the Iron Throne, your grace. This is the highest of treason. Prince Aemon must be sharply questioned so he might learn where he heard such slanders. And Allison like looks at her incredulously. She's like, over an insult? My son has lost an eye. The king's like, you tell me, boy, where did you hear this lie? Allison like answers for him. It was a training yard bluster. It's like, the lot of boys, it was nothing. And he's like, Aemon, I asked you a question. Allison interrupts again. Where is Sir Lenor, I wonder? The boy's father? Perhaps he might have something to say in the matter. It's like, shut up. Then the king, like, yes, where is he? Rainier, she's like, I don't know. She's like, I couldn't find sleep, so I went out for a walk. Then Allison's like, entertaining his young squires, I would venture. And Kristen, like, kind of smiles at this, and Harold, like, scowls at him, and he, like, stops smiling. The king asks Aemon again. He's like, look at me. Your king demands an answer. Who spoke these lies to you? And he, like, looks at his mom. And, and, but then he's like, it was Aegon. And he's like, me? The king goes to him. He's like, where did you hear such things? He's like, answer me. He's like, we know, father. It's like, everyone knows. He's like, just look at them. The king kind of like looks around. Then he bellows. This interminable fighting must cease. All of you, we are family. Now make your apologies and show goodwill to one another. He's like, your sire, your king demands it. And Allison's like, that is insufficient. Aemon has been damaged permanently, my king. Goodwill cannot make him whole. So he, and he's like, I know, but I cannot restore his eye. She's like, no, because it has been taken. So she's like, there is debt to be paid. I shall have one of her son's eyes in return. And he's like, my dear wife? She's like, he is your son, Viserys, or Viserys, or however you say his name. He's like, your blood. And he's like, do not allow your temper to guide your judgment. She's like, if the king will not seek justice, the queen will. So she's like, Sir Criston, bring me the eye of Lucerus Valerian. He can choose which eye to keep, something he did not grant, my son. So Rainier is like, you will do no such thing. And the king's like, stay your hand. And then he's like, no, you are sworn to me. And Criston's like, as your protector, my queen. The king's like, Allison, this matter is finished. Do you understand? And let it be known. Anyone whose tongue dares to question the birth of Princess Rhaenyra's sons should have it removed. She says, thank you, Father. Allison grabs the king's dagger, and she charges at the kids with, and Rhaenyra's like, interrupts, like, hold, holds her back. Harold yells at Kristen, is like, hold back. And, and then Damon, like, steps down, and he, like, because he's just been, like, kind of leaning against the wall, just, like, watching this all, like, not doing anything. But he steps down and, like, stops Kristen from, from going up there. And then Rhaenyra looks at Allison, you know, as she holds her back, she's like, 
you've gone too far. And she's like, I? What have I done but what was expected of me? Forever upholding the kingdom, the family, the law, while you flout all to do as you please. The king yells at Allison. It's like, let her go. Where is duty? Where is sacrifice? It's trampled under your pretty foot again. And Otto's like, release the blade, Allison. She continues like, and now you take my son's eye and to even that you feel entitled? Rainier is like, exhausting, wasn't it? Hiding beneath your cloak of your own righteousness. But now they see you as you are. Allison kind of like makes a move, like shove her. You know, they're separated, but then you see Rainier is bleeding. So as she like moved, pushed her away, she sliced her with a knife. So it was like in the arm. Allison, like she's kind of like shocked and she like drops the blade and there's like silence. Then Eamon's like, do not mourn me, mother. It was a fair exchange. I may have lost an eye, but I gained a dragon. And the king's like, this proceeding is at an end. And Damon goes to Rhaenyra's side. And you can kind of see that like the, the room is clearly divided. And they're just kind of like stare at each other. So then um, the hand, Otto, goes to Allison. And she's like, she tells, she's like, say your piece. He's like, what piece is that? She's like, that I've conducted myself in a manner unbefitting my station or any other. I've lost composure, insulted the princess. Already the word is, is spreading, gossip speculating that I've gone mad. And Otto's like, all true. She says that you know, she disgraced herself and ensured her husband's favor will forever rest on Rainier. Otto's like, and yet, I've never seen that side of you, my daughter. I even doubted its existence. She says it's an ugly thing and she regrets it. And he says, you know, we play an ugly game. Now he sees for the first time she has a determination to win it. He says the king will forgive her. You know, like what else can he do? So he's like, go to him, you know, plead, whatever. And in time, she and, and he will prevail. So it's like, wait, uh, what do you have to do with any of this, Otto? And he's like, what the rogue Aemon has done in winning Vegar to our side? The boy was right. It's worth a thousand times the price he paid. So Rhaenyra's arm is being stitched. The doctor's like, you, you know, she will scar, but the wound will heal. She's like, Valerian steel cuts clean. Because it was, it was like the king's like special blade, what passes through family that they he talked about a couple episodes ago, or last episode, I remember. Rhaenyra finally comes in. Um, he asks her, is that for not right? And the doctor's like, a broken nose is the worst. Uh, Ray, Rhaenyra thanks him and says to the doctor he could leave. The kids as well, she tells him, go to bed for, for real this time. Lanier says that he should have been there. And he says that, you know, he has fought wars and couldn't save his sister from agony or defend her, his, you know, his whatever, his wife. And she tells him to sit. Eamon called our son's bastard and he like sighs. He says that he has failed her, their marriage. He's tried, you know, their boys. He does love them. And she's like, I know. And she says that, you know, she did hope to bear his children. You know, things might have been different. And he's like, he hates the gods for making him as they did. And she's like, I do not. She's like, you are an honorable man with a good heart. It's a rare thing. He says that they made an arrangement all those years ago to do their duties and explore happiness. And she kind of laughs. He says that, you know, there are times he believed these things cannot mutually exist. And he's like, you know, Sir Coral will return soon to the fighting in the Stepstones, but he recommits himself to her and to strengthening their house as they prepare her for her ascension. He will raise her sons to be princes of the realm. So she deserves better than what he has been. She deserves a husband. 
Alicent, then like the next day, she's kind of tending to the king during the carriage as you head to the ship. She's like, I told him to prepare some wine so he could sleep on the ship or whatever. And, and she's like kind of looking at me. He's like, we'll speak no more of it. Corlys stares at the ship as it leaves, whatever. Rainier is watching it too. Damon comes up to her. She says that, you know, fire is such strange power. Everything that House Targaryen possesses is owed to it, yet it cost them both what they loved. Damon says perhaps the Valerians knew the truth of it. The sea is a better ally. She says that, you know, fire is a prison. The sea offers escape. Then Larry's, Sir Larry's, whatever, is talks to, to Allison on a ship about the perversion of justice, the young prince defiled. He says that if it's an eye she wants, he is her servant. So, you know, this is a dude that killed his own father and brother for her, supposedly. And she's like stares at him and she's like, that will not be necessary. But your devotion has not gone unnoticed. The day will doubtless come when I require such a friend with not only skill, but discretion as well. He's like, I shall await your call. Rhaenyra is saying, she's like, I need you, uncle. And then starts speaking in the dragon language or whatever. She says that she can't face the greens alone or something like that. She says, with you as my husband and prince consort, my claim would not be so easily challenged. The Valar- Valarians are, are of the sea, but you and I are made of fire. We have always been meant to burn together. And he's like, we could not marry unless Lainer was were dead. And she's like, I know. So then you, uh, Damon's in a cloak. And he goes to talk to Sir Coral. And he says that he's heard of his exploits in the Stepstones. He's said to be a knight of remarkable skills, but alas, he's common born. He's like, you're a landless knight with a with the Lord's taste, you know, because he's wearing fancy clothes. He says, Sir Lenore has been kind to him. Um, Damon says, do you know there are places across the narrow sea where it does not matter what a man's name is, only how much gold he possesses? And he's like, what are you asking of me, my lord? And he's like, a quick death, one with witnesses. And he puts, he like puts something in his hand, I'm assuming it's gold. So does he want him to kill Quarrel, his boyfriend? Rainier says that, you know, she will not be a tyrant and, you know, she will not rule through terror. But Damon says that if a king isn't feared, he is powerless. And then we see him like some church, or whatever. He goes up to some dude and like kills him, like snaps his neck. Lainer sees Quarrel and he's like, who let you into my father's hall? And he's like, you have always looked down on me. So Coral is picking a fight with Lainer. Rainier is, you know, so she's talking as this like happening. She says that, you know, she does love Lainer. Um, Damon says, then grant him his kindness, set him free. Coral draws his sword and Lainer's like, you forget yourself. And he draws his, and they start fighting. There's like a squire. There's like, I'll alert the guards. So they're like really going at it. Rainiera says that this will cost Coralies and Rainice, their only remaining child. Uh, then we see Lenor's body is in a, he's dead and he's in a fireplace. And, and, you know, they're like pulling his body out and his parents are brought in. Rhaenyra says that the realm will whisper that she was somehow responsible. Damon's like, let them whisper. They will know the truth of it and our enemies won't. She says that they will fear what else they might be capable of. And then they have this like blood wedding ceremony with a you know between Rainier and Damon their kids are there like as witness but there's not really anyone else and then you see this like little this guy gets in this little boat like rowboat to going out to the ship you're off the beach and then you see the, the guy in the boat it's Lanier with a shaved head so him and, and Coral sail off to the ship so Lanier didn't die 
They faked his death so he and Coral can go off and live happily ever after. Whew. So that was a that was that was pretty crazy. I I, thought, I was like, oh my gosh, they they actually killed him, but they didn't. So, but the stuff with the kids, man, that was a. Uh, that, that wasn't good. Okay, then The Patient, Season 1, Episode 7, Kaddish. Uh, this this is a, it was an okay episode. It, I'm, I'm just waiting. It's like, it, it feels, it is moving the story, but it's like, we're still waiting for something to happen. So we, we see like several men are like in a prison concentration camp or something like that, and they're like praying, and Alan's like there. He's like standing looking confused. Then we see like SWAT soldiers like bust through like the patio window, and he wakes up. He he talks to Charlie, his dead therapist. He says that he's terrified. He's like he's out there right now putting Ellis's body somewhere, and we see him like dump the body in the alley. So Alan says that they'll find a body sometimes tomorrow. The coroner finds a note, and then the cavalry comes. And then he's like, I'll hit him in the head with the pitcher, stab him, and, and the cops will blow off his head, <laughs> uh, blow his head off his shoulders. Or he's out there right now dumping the body. As he rolls the body out of the rug, the note comes out of his mouth, and then we see Sam at the patio door, shoves the note into Alan's mouth, and then like jabs in there with like a knife, with a big like hunting knife. Charlie's like, well, if he does that, what are you going to do? And Alan's like, if he shoves a knife down my throat, I don't know, die quickly. Then he later he talks to Charlie about Kenny Chesney. He's like, have you ever heard of him? He's like, Sam is very devoted to him. He's a, there's community, a social fans where you know he can be like everyone else. He talks about his dream of being in a concentration camp, and Charlie talks about removing veils or something like that. And he's like, Alan's like, well, what's the point? He's like, you know, Beth is dead, and Ezra is in a religious cult and hates him. He'll probably be dead tomorrow. Charlie's like, well, then what do you want to do with your last day? So there's a flashback with Ezra and Beth and him. And Alan says that, you know, he, he's like, well, you're an adult. You can make your own choices. And she's like, you're joining a cult. And Ezra's like, well, I don't think you have an authentic relationship with God. She just like folds her napkin and gets up. And Alan rolls over into the side. Another flashback. She's fighting cancer, like sitting on, on her bed with like their daughter. You know, they're, they're at her side. Alan gets up. He keeps thinking about like the SWAT dudes like busting in. He starts praying, and then Sam's truck pulls up. Sam, he's he sees him just standing there. He's like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "Well, I was trying to recite the Kaddish for my wife." He's like, "But I can't remember the words." Sam's like, "Well, I want to talk to you." And Alan's like, "It's been a long day, and night." He's like, "I'm exhausted." He goes to the bed. Sam, you know, he's sat in a chair, so he gets up. He's kind of like surprised that he like refused him, so he goes to his room. Then Charlie's like, no hunting knife down the throat yet? And he's like, not yet. In the morning, he hears a truck drive away. He sits up, and he's like waiting for the SWAT dudes to bust in. Sam's sitting outside, and then he sees this guy. He's like, Mr. Buccella. So I guess he's like at his old high school maybe. He's like, do you remember when this one other teacher was screaming and yelling in class and threw a chair, and he almost hit this one girl? Um, he's like, then Buccella asked, to talk to him in the hall he came back and then he told the class he was sorry and he's like yeah sam's like he didn't come back the next year he's like did you get him fired and he's like yeah yeah i did so but then he's like you know it's it good to see you sam he's like but i gotta pick up my wife he's like i don't think my life is good and buchel is like oh and sam's like like it isn't working out and i can't it it just isn't working out and i'm i'm not happy i'm not sure how did you know this would happen uh, you know, from what I was like when I was a kid. And he's like, no, not really. He's like, I'm sorry to hear it. 
He's like, I knew you were a little different. You had a hard time, but you always hoped that you know you, you can turn it around. And Sam's like, will you be my therapist? And he's like, are you looking for some counseling? Uh, he's like, well, I've had some clients outside the school over the years. And he, he's like, they're usually students. He's like, maybe? He's like, let me think about it, Sam. So he, he gives them his number. He's like, give me a call in a few days. Then Sam asks, he's like, what do you think about someone living with their therapist? He's like, could that help? And he's like, Buccello's like, that would not be a good idea. So Alan's sitting, he's waiting, he stares outside, and then he's like sitting with Charlie. He's thinking back, thinks of his kid. Like one time he dropped off his boys and like that. SWAT guy's coming down the stairs. Sam's sitting in his car, calls his ex. And he's like, did you think there was something wrong with me? And she's like, what do you mean? And he's like, did something just seem wrong or different? And she says, you're my husband. And then we broke up. She's like, I think there's all kinds of things wrong with you. Your whole life around food. And she's like, and I was, you know, I was never positive you loved me. She's like, I know you, you loved me, but loved, loved. She's like, overall, I know you're a good guy. Then he's just like, okay, bye, and hangs up. He gets out, and he's like parked on a bridge, and he just looks at the water. Alan's still sitting on the bed. Then he's like sitting with Charlie, fake Charlie. Uh, he starts talking about his son's father-in-law, he just sits around and puts stamps on boxes or whatever and when he's not reading from his whatever book. And he's like, you know, the family's like all together doing stuff, but when they visited, they were like second-class citizens, you know, because they were not Jewish enough. His wife dedicated her life to Judaism, you know, his liberal Judaism, but she wasn't good enough. And when she got sick, he's like, Ezra still couldn't get past himself. He had to get in the last word. You know, she was lying in bed in so much pain. She wanted to go out on her terms with her family around. And, you know, they had all the pills and everything like that. He's like, in a little effort, he's like, said, he's like, it's illegal, not just against God, illegal, like they're criminals. He's like, he would have no part of it. And that last day, you know, he, he gives this holier than thou speech and walks out of the house. He's like, I go after him just, just to talk to him, to try to get him to go back in. You know, so he, you know, it's like, don't do anything that you'll regret. I get this torrent that I never understood him. I was never there for him. I mistreated him ever since he became Orthodox. You know, he, he said, he said the wrong thing to the rabbi. He didn't give a big enough donations to his fudging yeshiva in Israel. He once said that his wife made the best kosher steak he ever had. He's like, how about that? I complimented his wife. He's like, I get that he was hurting. His whole life was a rebellion against his mother. He's like, I support rebellions, obviously. I get it. And his mother, there was a lot to rebel against. But at a certain point, you have to come back around. You have to grow up. And Charlie's like, with all this emotion and pain around his mother's death, Ezra had a bad spot. He's like, you did too. But you know they know these things pass. Alan says it didn't pass. He's like, that day, Beth wanted to die with her family around her, and he had to throw his tantrum. He was struggling to process the pain of his mother's death. Okay, but he's always been like that. He digs in, and he can't see any other way but the way he sees things. He's like, no wonder he became orthodox. And Alan's like, you know, he's like, I've been reaching out over and over, nothing. He's like, I know grief can do this, but, and then a truck pulls up. Sam comes in walking, carrying like this big package. Like, and he says that he's going to print that prayer that Alan can't remember from the internet. And Alan's like, I really appreciate that. He says that he wants Sam to know that that is empathy in action. He's like, that's it. You put yourself in my shoes. You saw what I needed and you did it for me. And Sam's like, yeah, I just, and he like pauses. Alan's like, go ahead. And he's like, you, you can go ahead and say it. He's like, I don't feel good. So he goes into his room. He can hear him like opening the box. Alan's like, what kind of printer is it? He tells him. And then Alan says, you know, it's been a difficult long day, but he wants to talk about what's going to happen when they find Ellis's body. 
He's like, he's sure that it'll be on the news and he'll see it. He's going to have a lot of complicated feelings. He's like, I'm not going to tell you what to feel. Just, you know, you'll have to tell me. He's like, I just want you to be prepared to have a mix of feelings and I'll help you work through them. And Sam's like, it won't be on the news. He's like, I didn't do what you told me to. I was on my way. I had this good spot picked out. And when I was almost there, this truck pulled up next to me at a stoplight. And I could see the driver just looking down at the bed of my truck and my, my pickup. And you know, where the body was wrapped up. He, I just thought, if this is on the news tomorrow and that driver remembers seeing something or my pickup, he, so I didn't do it. He's like, I know it wasn't empathetic. And Alan's like, what did you do with him? He, Sam's like, I put, put it somewhere. I'm pretty sure he said it, not him. He's like, I put it somewhere. No one will find it. And he comes out with the printed pages. He's like, how do you pronounce it? Kaddish? And Alan's just like, oh, man. And he's like, Kaddish. So he hands out the pages to Alan. He, Alan doesn't say anything. Then Sam's like, can I hear you say it? And he's just like, it's private. Sam is like, again, he's kind of shocked, like taken aback. Like he's hurt a little bit. And then he, so he, he just turns around and goes into his room. Alan gets stands. He starts reading a prayer, and Sam's like standing at his door listening. And it's a long prayer. And then, you know, then Sam's like sitting there listening, and Sam keeps reading it. And then the camera pans out, and that's it. That's how it ends. So, you know, it looked like Alan could possibly get freed, but that's not going to happen now. So. I guess we'll have to see. I mean, what what is there to do now? That that was his his only hope. So unless Sam's going to let him you know free for the fun of it, so he yeah he's got nothing, no hope now. Whew. Okay, Chucky is back. Chucky, uh, Child's Play, Chucky. You know, season two, episode one, Halloween two. So Halloween two because there was a Halloween episode in the first season. It starts off, it, it picks up right where the last season ended with the Tiffany doll is making Andy drive the truck or the van, whatever, that, that has a bunch of Chucky dolls in the back. There's three, <laughs> there's three that are out of the box. And it's, I, don't know, I don't know why it's so funny, but there's one without hair. And then he goes to the other two because they they're holding knives. They're like, wait, you got a knife? And the other's like, yeah, they were passed out during orientation. And then the other two are, are kind of making fun of him because he doesn't have any hair and they're just like saying stuff like that. And then the first one, because the, they can kind of see in the front where, where Andy's driving, they see his eyes in like the rear view mirrors. And he's like, wait, do I know you? And Tiffany yells at them to get back in their boxes. And the first one's trying to, you know, they're still like talking and stuff like that. He's trying to figure out it, like if whatever, you know, if, if they know him or not. And Andy says, Tiffany, he's like, they don't know me. He's like, they don't know you either. And there's a flashback to Jennifer Tilly, um, Tiff, whatever, you know, killing Chucky in the last episode, Tiffany, whatever. And he's like, they weren't there. They don't know what you did. So then he starts like swerving the truck and then she drops her little gun. He picks it. It falls in, in the front and like the seat. he picks it up and he shoots her head off like at the neck. And then the first one's like, Andy, then they're like, get him. So the other Chucky doll starts slicing out of her boxes. And he looks at the gun. It's out of ammo. So the Chucky dolls, they go out the back door. And then he sees like in a side mirror. They're starting to climb up on top of the roof. So Andy drives up this like road. There's this cliff coming. He just drives off. This is for Kyle. I guess they all die. Jake goes. So we see Jake. He goes to Devin's house. And he's, you know, he's like, I guess this is it. So 
they're like, well, we'll only be, you know, two hours away from each other because Jake has to leave. He has a, like a new, new foster family or something like that. He's like, well, you know, we could see each other every other weekend. And Devin says, he's like, we both know that's not going to happen. He says that he wants to kiss him right now, but his new foster family's watching. And Devin's like, he holds out his hand. He's like, I love you, Jake. I love you more, Devin. That's not possible. And then he gets in the car. There's, he has like a foster brother too that's in there. The car starts driving away, and Devin goes out to the, like the street. He's like, "Jake, Jake's like, stop, stop." He gets out, runs up to him, smooch, big kiss. The foster parents are looking in the mirror. The little foster brother, because he's like into Batman or something like that. He's like, "Holy secret identity!" And Devin's like, says they're watching. Jake's like, "Well, I don't care, smooch. I'll see you this weekend." Then it's six months later. Halloween night, Salem, New Jersey, but tons of kids outside trick or treating, and we see like one walking. It's like dressed as Chucky, like hair. It's like why would some kid be dressed as Chucky? Knocks on the door. Jake answered it. He's dressed as Batman, but no mask. Whatever. He like slams the door, and it turns out he opens the door. The kid's really dressed as a clown, and he then the kids like says whatever the, the phobia of, of clowns or something like that. Jake's like, how old are you? He's like, why are you out all alone? And he, he's like, whatever. He's like, my parents are all dead. His little brother, foster brother, is dressed as Robin. So Jake gets a call. Is Tamara home? He's like, uh, you have the wrong number. Then, like, it's weird because right the second he hangs up, he gets a video call from Devin. So I guess it's just a coincidence. It's uh, So he answered it, and Devin's like, Jake, where are you? And he's like, you're still in Salem? WTF? And then the little brother, Gary, the foster brother, is like, holy profanity. And then, you know, Jake apologized. He's like, I'm not going to be able to make it. Devin's like, but you're supposed to be on a bus. He's like, I'm cooking for you. Jake's like, my foster parents aren't super crazy about us. And, you know, Devin's like, they're not your family. He's like, but they could be. And Devin's like, it's been six months. He's like, you're the only one I can talk to you about what really happened. Have you talked to Lexi? No. And then the, the video suddenly gets cut. So Jake texts Lexi and he's <laughs> he's like, hey, Lexi, are you avoiding us? And then he gets another unknown call. Is Tamara there? And he's like, uh, that's still the wrong number. Then you're like, is this blah, 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 whatever? He's like, yeah. Then then the caller's like, were you doing anything fun tonight? Uh, he's like, uh, yeah, I should probably get back to it. Why are you home alone with your baby brother? So Jake's like, who is this? And he's like, where's your boyfriend tonight, Jake? So then he thinks it's this kid, Ellis, and then um, gets another unknown call. So Jake goes like, Ellis, I don't do whatever. He's like, you know, you're being homophobic and you know all this stuff like that. And he's like, this isn't Ellis, and I'm not homophobic. He's like, I'm calling to make sure you're home. He's like, happy Halloween. Then the doorbell rings. So Jake grabs a knife, and he, you know, because uh, Gary's about to answer the door, so Jake runs it. There's no one there. Then he gets a video call from Devin. And Devin's like, I got a weird call from some D-bag. And Jake starts to think, he's like, you know, he sounded kind of familiar. Then we see Chucky laughing. Jake says that he's like, they never found his body, right? And Devin's like, how come he's, we've never heard from him? Then a video call while they're video calling each other. So we see Chucky's hand rings a doorbell. And Lexi's sister, Caroline, her little sister, answers the door. Chucky muted them both so they can't hear or she can't hear them. And uh, he says that, you know, he's the ghost of Halloween past. So he has like a sheet over him. And he asks Lex or he asks Caroline if he can use the bathroom. Lexi's in her room with the boy. And, you know, they're like making out and stuff like that. And she's just like 
trying to he, her phone's like buzzing and he's like oh you're gonna get that she's like no so she's ignoring it whatever and then the the video call ends because you see there's like a the camera chucky we're assuming it's chucky is like in the bathroom like out or in the, in the hallway like outside her room and then the video cuts so they're making out then you know the, the kid keeps talking or like that she's just like just stop talking you know she does like she wants to do a bump of whatever drug and and then the door opens up and there's two police officers and she's like or because uh they're the one lady she's like we got a call about a break-in she's like do you know what devin evans and she's like yeah and she checks her phone chucky's back he, in your room and the cop's like is there anyone else in the house and caroline's like the ghost of halloween pass and they're like who he's like he asked to use the bathroom and lexi's like how tall was he and then you know she asks the cops you know and caroline answers she asks the cops to stay until her mother gets home or she'll be pissed. So I was like, is she still the mayor? But it turns out she's not, but we don't hear about that yet. So Caroline's talking, they're like in a therapy session. So it's Caroline, Lexi, and her mom. And she's saying something about, he liked to be hugged. You know, he was my friend to the end. At first he was real nice, then he lied. He had secrets. You know, Chucky always had secrets. So the therapist asked, you know, what were his secrets? And Caroline's like, he killed a lot of people, including my dad. The therapist's like, it was Junior Wheeler, you know, your sister's boyfriend. And Caroline tells Lexi to, to tell her that she saw him too, that he's back. Tell him about Chucky. And she's like, no. She's like, Junior killed all those people. Chucky is just a doll, was just a doll. Then mom says that she's not sure why they ever let that boy in their lives. Lexi's like, you never liked him even before he killed people. You know, she's like, well, I, I can read people. And then they mentioned get rid of all the dolls and stuff like that. And then the therapist wants to try something. She's like, I collect dolls she's, and blah, 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 and stuff like that. She has this doll named Belle. So it has like black hair and green eyes. Her, actually, her name's Wedding Belle. She's very rare. She uses her for therapeutic purposes. So it's like, you should ask Caroline, do you want to hold her? And she's like kind of hesitant, whatever. And the therapist's like, she needs someone to take care of her. She's like, would you like to take her home? And the mom's like, sure, sure she would. So then there's like an interview with like a photographer taking pictures of the three of them. And, you know, they're not, they're no longer in the mayor's mansion, whatever. And the the dude asks her if she misses living there at the mayor's residence. It's, as he's asking other questions, it turns out she was overwhelmingly recalled uh, last year after all the murders. And it's kind of like, you know, well, why are you running again now? And she mentions empathy that, you know, she knows what everyone is going through since, you know, she lost someone too. you know, they all have survivor's guilt and her second term, she will show no mercy to violent offenders. Then the interviewer asks Lexi how she's holding up and, you know, she's almost caught a little off guard, but she's like, it's been a tough year, but you know, I'm getting through it with, with family. And then the interview interviewer talks to Caroline. She's like, whatever happened to Chucky? And then they're kind of taken aback by this. And he, the dude's like, she used to drag that thing everywhere. And then it's like, does Bell tell you to do things too? So, because there was a, a press conference that, from last season where, where Chucky, she's like, Chucky, tell me to kill my mom or something like that. And then the mayor or the mom, she's like, get out of my house. And he's like, we have it on tape. And she's like, get out. So it's just like, I don't I never understand why you'd want to be like a D bag interviewer, like trying to get a reaction. It's like, thank goodness I never had to do that. And I would never will do that. Lexi tells Caroline that the doctor's full of poop. Mom is too. And, you know, she takes Belle. Blam, blam, blam. It's like smashing her against the floor, like over and over again. It doesn't break. But, you know, it, if it's alive, if it's Chucky or anything like that, you know, there would be pain. It would feel it. Ties it to a chair. 
and Lexi says that, you know, Caroline should be afraid. She's like, don't trust any of the dolls. You know, dolls are fudged up. And she's like, you said the F word. And she's like, that's how serious this is. She's like, you can't tell anyone or they'll send you away. And then she's like, and here's this. She gives us like a big butcher knife. She's like, keep this handy. Then she's like, sweet dreams. She also made her say that the dolls are fudged up or whatever. Devin gets a text from Lexi about the doll and, you know, with like a picture. Then Jake knocks on Devin's window. So he comes in, pulls him down to bed, kisses him. Then Jake says, you know, if Chucky was at Lexi's house, why didn't he kill her? Devin's like, well, maybe he's just messing with us. So we see Lexi smoking pot in her room. She does like so much drugs. And it, I forgot how old they were supposed to be. I thought they were, I don't even know if they were in high school, but maybe, maybe, I don't remember. Jake and Devin are at her window. They hug each other. Then Jake sees a joint like sitting on a, on a nightstand. And he's like, oh, I thought you quit. And she's talking about when I was like that, you know, she's like, basically like, get off my back, whatever, not really doing much, but she is. Devin said, you know, says the doll looks a little like Bride of Chucky from that movie, you know, played by Jennifer Telly. And they're like, where's the doll now? So they go into Caroline's room and the doll's not in a chair. It's lying in bed with Caroline. So Jake asked if she tested it and she's like, I bashed the poop out of it. And she's like, and plus it came from my therapist. Then her mom calls her. So she has the boys get in the closet and mom's like what are you doing in here and she's like i was just checking on caroline who are you talking to lexi's like i was just singing her a lullaby so then they, they leave she's like oh that's whatever then the boys leave the room too then there's a, a long pause the camera just looks at like caroline and, and bell then caroline opens her eyes and she pull, pulls out the knife <laughs> at breakfast lexi sees bell seated next to caroline it's like, what did I say last night? Caroline's like, it's okay. You know, she's okay. She's not like Chucky. She's just a doll. And, you know, she's like, I don't want my mommy to get mad anymore. So it turns out she already left. So she's like, you have to walk me to school. The boys are still in her room. So I guess they stayed the night. And, you know, she grabbed them each an apple. It's like, that would not be a good breakfast, in, in my opinion. It's like, I need more of that. Then she's like, you know, I've been thinking, maybe the other night really was just a prank. You know, we were pretty famous for a while. So maybe it was just some sick a-hole jake's like yeah some sick a-hole who was able to get all of our numbers and is two feet tall so she really seems like on edge and jake's like are you okay he's like you seem weird and she's like you're weird (laughs) (laughs) so she goes to the bathroom and then she you know she walks out she she looks in the medicine cabinet there is like a lot of prescription pills there's this one clonazepam which treats seizures panic disorders and anxiety so she grabs a bottle she takes two two pills and crushes them to snort rather than just swallow them now so here's the thing i'm i'm not a druggie i don't know the benefits it does crushing and snorting them get them into your system faster than just popping them in your mouth and swallowing them I, I really don't understand what's what's the point of that, but they, they make like this. I, is it for the scene to make this whole production that you know that's how far gone she is or whatever? But I I just I don't know. Maybe there's a, a different effect. The doorbell rings and Caroline answers it. It's Gary, uh, Jake's little foster brother, holding Chucky. Holy homemade bomb, Batgirl! And he's like holding like something like that. So he, it must be, a, he has like a little uh, detonator in his hand to this like can with like a display on it. And Caroline's like, I'm not Batgirl. Then he's like, oh, sorry. I mean, Batwoman. She's like, my name is Caroline. And Gary's like, you're not playing it right. Caroline's like, but I'm still alive. And Chucky's like, not for long. So the boys come down. Then they see Chucky on the couch with Gary and Caroline. Chucky tells him, sit down. 
So he's like, amazing what you can do with a little fertilizer and some butane. And he's like, it'll kill anyone in a six foot radius. Holy hostage situation, Batman. Chucky's like, okay, that's already getting old, which it is. Jake says that it'll be okay. And Gary says, he's going to blow, blow us to smithereens. And Jake's like, it's just a game. And he's like, how'd you get here? And Chucky's like, we Ubered. He's like, I've been Ubering all over. It's really made being a killer doll easier. He's like, I used to have to take a hostage. So he's been waiting for the three of them to get back together so he could kill them all at once. Lexi's still upstairs crushing the pills. Then Jake's like, let, let the, the kids go. He's like, nah, this is more fun. And he's like, there were 72 of me in that truck. He's like, I was going to take over the world. And you know, would I, you know, I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids and Andy and that GD bitch from hell, Tiffany. He's like, I'm going to kill every last one of you. Then Devin's like, how many of you are left? Enough to make this worth the sacrifice. So Jake's sitting there, he texts on, on his phone to Lexi that Chucky is here, but she's too busy like snorting the pills, so she doesn't even see the text. So Jake asks, what about Andy? And he's like, Andy's dead. What about Kyle? He's like, they're both dead. And he's like, and you'll see them in hell in any minute. Then Lexi walks out of the bathroom. She reaches the stairs. She's like, hello? And she walks down. Her vision's like all distorted already, so maybe crushing it does work so then uh devin like hops up and tases chucky gary picks up the the bomb and he goes into the kitchen then he sees bell and then chucky jumps up from behind and hits the trigger like you see it was overhead shot like just the kind of little green like explosion smoke or whatever so then the three kids are being talked to in the therapist's office of all places and like, you know, basically this big guilt trip is, is being laid down upon them about how, you know, this is just taking the, you know, the young life, you won't be able to experience birthdays and whatever, blah, 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 stuff like that. Each year, Gary's parents will be reminded, you know, that they're robbed from these different events or whatever like that. And Jake's like foster parents. He's like, they weren't his parents. He's like, they didn't love them. I did. So this guy kind of ignores him. He's like, your actions, negligence, and what you figured was just good, clean fun you putting a homemade bomb around Gary robbed him of his life. The therapist, she's like, well, I'd like to point out that they're children too. So they're going to be placed in a facility with other violent juvenile offenders. The therapist suggests an alternative, the school of the incarnate Lord for troubled youths or something like that. So, you know, they are responsible for Gary's death. It was a tragic accident, but they've been through so much this past year. She'd like to think that they could learn from good people. So then they're on a bus. Devin's like, it was a suicide mission. He's like, that means that more than one Chucky made it out of the van. So he's like, he's going to come for us. And Lexi's like, do you remember Trevor Kane? So he was he was a year ahead of us in fifth fifth grade. He made her life a living hell, but he taught her everything that he knows or everything she knows or like that. So he's been there the past three years. So I guess we'll have to keep Trevor Kane. We have to remember him. Then... She says that her mother sent him there. Devin says, well, maybe Chucky will take care of him. And Jake's like, that's not funny. Then he's like, wonder as they're pulling up, Jake's like, why does this place look so familiar? Devin's like, it used to be the Burlington home for wayward boys. Charles Lee Ray lived here when he was our age. So then this nun comes out to greet them, her sister Ruth. I don't know if she's going to be reoccurring or whatever. Then she asks if they know why they're there. And Lexi's like, because God hates us. She's like, God doesn't hate anyone. He wants you, you know, to seek forgiveness. And if you're not careful, you might have a little fun on the way. So then after the bus pulls away and they go inside, this delivery 
truck pulls up, drops off this big, large doll-shaped box package. And that's how it ends. So somehow, <laughs> Chucky manages to wrap up a big box, manages to get some delivery truck to pick it up and deliver it and pay for it. How's, how's Chucky have an Uber account? It's like, where is he getting the money from? I don't know. So the first episode, I mean, it, it was decent. I, I wondered like how they're going to continue this. So it's interesting that they're moving the setting to this, this school, the incarnate Lord or whatever. So I have to see where there's going to be more kids that can be targets, or whatever, because obviously we can't have Chucky kill the three kids right away. Cause then the show's over and they'll probably be safe. They could, one of them could die. You know, who knows, but having all these other troubled kids that gives more opportunity for Chucky to kill, to increase the kill count during the season. And then we'll have to wait and see how it ends. So it's off to a good start. I, I, I like that. So I'm, I'm glad the show's back. Okay. Then star girl season three, episode five, frenemies chapter five, the thief. This was, I, I'm, I'm really not sure what's going on. Like the, the whole, like who killed gambler, I don't know. I, I feel like they're they're pointing the finger. They're they're trying to show us who it is, but there's got to be more to it. So it starts off five days ago. Cindy's standing over the gambler's body, and her wrist blade is out. So it's like, did she actually stab him? And then she sees the laptop. She takes it. You know, she looks at the screen, and then she like hides it, kind of like under some of like the wreckage. And then his gun is is laying there. So she picks it up, and then I don't know. I'm not sure if she meant to shoot it. For some reason, it's shot. And then the, the other, Jesse, the kids, they, they come running up, and she's like, I didn't do it. So it's like, what? So I feel like that's making it too obvious. The fact that she has a laptop, and they're trying to say, whoever has a laptop killed him, and then she has it. So there's got to be, but who else could it have been? Cameron is walking Courtney home, and she's like, she says that she's going to do some reading about what he can do with his powers. And he's like, how and she's like uh, wikipedia and then so he like walked her home she's like you didn't have to walk me all the way home they're at, at her porch smooch inside pat's like why are you smiling she's like oh it was a good day and she's like you know is, is there any dinner he's like well your mom's at, at work and I, I think mike's might be at jakeem's or something like that and she's like well i'll find something and he's like you're not gonna ask for an update and she's like uh is there an update He's like, I've been trying to call you. He's like, Yolanda too. He's like, you must, she's like, oh, I must not have heard my phone. Then he says that Ricky and Yolanda went into the tunnels with Sylvester to see if there's any sign of Dragon King still being alive. And then she's like, he took the staff this time, right? And he's like, yeah. She's like, good. So Pat asks, he's like, well, what are you going to do? She says that, well, if Sylvester's leading the others, so until they hear from them, she has homework. So Pat's kind of confused that, you know, she's, not missing like junk running out the door to whatever catch up. So he goes upstairs. Then she kind of like waits for him to leave. And, and she like sneaks downstairs to look in the, the JSA files. She looks for the one on icicle. She takes it and she like kind of hides it in her sweater and she goes upstairs in the dragon King lab. Cindy's still trying to figure out the password on gambler's laptop to access the dragon King files. Then she's like, Oh, well, why don't I just use his, you know, his tech? He has, there's like some device that she must've grabbed that is able to, like hack through like all the passwords. So within like a few seconds, she's in Dr. Ito's lab locations. There's like a map, you know, on the screen. Then she hears like the stud or whatever. So she switches screens and she sees intruder in tunnel three. 
So there's Sylvester, uh, Yolanda, and Rick in costume. So she grabs the laptops and files, and she rushes out through this other door. Yolanda's, as they're coming down the stairs, she's like, we've never been down here before. And Sylvester's like, it's the ISA meeting room. And then they're looking around. He's like, someone's been working here. So it's like, is this Dragon King stuff? Sylvester says that someone's gone out of their way to cover their tracks and almost killed him. So And he's like, he doesn't like what's going on and then there's like the the big painting of the isa he's like look at them the isa mocking me and he's just like looks at the painting even dead they're mocking me so he's like angry and like yelling he's just like shoots uh, the painting with with the staff and rick and yolanda are kind of like freaked out they're kind of cringing a little bit and he's like whoever did this whoever attacked me dragon king or not we are going to find them and we're going to make them pay so it's like yikes later sylvester's lying awake in bed he gets up goes upstairs and Barbara, um, then like, you know, he's sitting at a table. Barbara's like, what are you doing? He's like uh, polishing silver, like a normal person. You know, he says that he took the kids into the tunnels. He saw the painting. He thought about what they did to him. He lost his temper. He's like, I must've looked pretty unhinged. And he's talking about how he never thought he'd be a parent and all, you know, all this stuff like that. And now he's, you know, he's with these kids. She's like, well, you know, I never thought I'd have a son. You know, it was always Courtney and me. And then, you know, Mike came along with Pat. And she's like, you just do your best. And she's like, Mike, he's my son. She's like, I'm grateful for every day of it. In the morning, Mike's like looking in the cat in the cabinets, whatever. He's like, where's the super sugar something cereal, whatever. Sylvester comes in. He's like, I put everything in alphabetical order. And Mike's like, that's not an answer. So Sylvester's like, oh, it's the third shelf, the second front left, or you know something like that. And then he's like, you don't like me very much, do you? He's like, what? He's like, we're, we're different people. And Mike's like, oh, you mean like you're JSA people and I'm not? And Sebastian's like, no. He's like, the JSA were good people, but you know, we didn't always get along. And then he's like, well, you know, plus, you know, you killed Icicle and you know, Icicle killed me. So in a way, you got justice for me. And Mike's like, yeah, that was an accident. Sylvester's like, yeah, but you know, you also faced you know Eclipso. He's like, that's the stuff of heroes. Then he's he's like, well, you should tell the others that. Or, you know, not according to others or whatever. Then Sylvester's like, you know, when I was your age, no one took me seriously either. You know, so he's like, well, what'd you do? He's like, well, I made things happen. Then the others come down for breakfast. Pat's going to make omelets. And Pat's like, you know, how to go into tunnels? And Sylvester's like, oh, we came up empty handed. You know, he's like, the Dragon King has other labs. So, you know, I, I want to check out another one nearby. He tells Courtney, he's like, you know, I can wait for you to be done with school if you want to go along. And Courtney's like, nah, she's like, I'm good. You can go ahead. So then they're like, kind of like, what? And she's then she leaves. She's like, enjoy your waffles. And Pat's like, omelets. So at school, Jakeem tells Mike that, you know, the tunnels being empty should be a good thing. And Mike's like, yeah, that means we still have a chance at solving this. And he's like, Starman said we should. And he's like, uh, he did? And Mike's like, uh, basically. So he's like, we have to step out of our comfort space. Then these two older jocks come collecting money for the hungry for them. Jakeem He's like, oh, okay. You know, he wants to go along with it. But Mike's like, oh, you know, I really wish there was something that we could do. And Jakeem, he's like, ah. He's like, yeah, I wish that, you know, you two bullies were nicer to us. And the one's like, give us some money, please. And the other is like, yes, give us some money or we'll be have to, you know, do whatever, like threatening them. They're all very super polite. So again, these wishes just don't work. Cindy comes up and she like harshly takes them down, like twisting their arms. Like the one guy's like, it's like, yo, you're breaking my arm. And she's like, if I see you threatening freshmen again, I'll break way more than that. And they're like in awe. And Mike's like, I got an idea. So this part was weird. Sylvester flies through the woods. He like lands. That was fun. 
It's like, what? What? Why was that fun? I do not understand that line. So he uses a, the staff as like a leaf blower and he finds this hatch. You have so many uses. <laughs> so there's like this keypad, but it needs a passcode. So he <laughs> he just sticks his finger to his ear and automatically calls Beth. You know, like one of those like hidden earphone. Whatever's like, all right, whatever. It just perfectly calls. He, so she's a uh, she's she's in class, and you know she's taking a test. And he's like, oh, you know, I, I found this hat. She's like, there's there's a, a code. Can you hack it? She's like, I'm in the middle of a test. And I'm not a hacker. He's like, come on, it'll only take a second. She's, and so she's like, fine. So she's like doing some swiping stuff like that. You know, she figures out his location or something like that, and she's able to open it just like that. Then, then she looks down at her paper, and the goggles start giving her all the answers. She's like, no, no, no. And Sarissa's like, oh, that was great. And she's like, no, you know, because when she says that she's getting all the answers, she's like, that's cheating. And she hangs up. So he goes down his ladder, and he starts looking around. A Pat and Barbara are at the diner, and Pat's concerned about Courtney, and Barb laughs. She's like, she's got a crush on someone. And he's like, what? And she's like, this is what we wanted, for her to be a normal teenager sometimes. Then Crusher and Paula sit at their table. And they said that they're taking a page out of his do-gooder handbook, that they're doing their own investigation into Stephen Sharp's murder. So they started by interrogating everyone that he owed money to. And he's like, yeah, we, you know, we dangled them off a rooftop and stuff like that. And they're like kind of shocked. And Paul like, like kind of shakes her head or whatever. So Pat's like, okay, that's great. But, you know, you've done your part, you know, whatever. And they're like, oh, no, you know, we're going to, you know, find out who did this. In science class, they need to partner up. Courtney goes up to Cindy. She's like, oh, do you want to be lab partners? And Cindy's like, are you going to apologize for squeezing me out of the JSA meetings? And she's like, no. She's like, but you've been, you know, you're the one who's been ditching us at lunch. And Cindy's like, okay, fine, lab partners. Then Courtney asks her about growing up in Blue Valley. And she mentions like hanging out with Cameron. She felt guilty about his dad, you know, and he's in a bad place. And Cindy's like, you can't tell him. And she's like, why are you telling me all this, you know, and not cat girl or someone? And Courtney's like, well, because I knew you wouldn't judge me and you'd give it to me straight. And Cindy's like, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd do that. And she says that she also likes the idea of her and Cameron, but no one wants to hear about how awful their father is or was, you know, she's like, you should know, you know, would you want to think about like how awful your father was to her? And she's like, you know, she, she wouldn't want him to feel like them. Mike and Jakeem are like during the halls, like peeking around a the corner, they're like stalking Cindy. So she, they go up to her and hall and Mike's like, we have a proposition for you. And she's like, I don't think that's what you meant. He's like, you know, Courtney and the others aren't your biggest fans, but a woman with your skill needs to be appreciated. And Devin's like, even worshipped. Mike's like, why not ditch the JSA and join us? The young all-stars wink. She's like sitting there like, fighting it but she can't help it and she laughs she's like that's adorable she's like it's never gonna happen like never he's like and i mean that in the nicest way and she walks away he's like but there's perks <laughs> and jakeem's like maybe she didn't like the name he's like that's the best part at lunch they're like well you know what should we tell cindy about dragon king you know he's still out there and beth's like you know she is part of the team yelan is like i don't trust her but you know i'm willing to be open and they're like, Courtney, what do you think? And she's just like looking at her phone. She's looking at something and like totally oblivious to them. And she's like, what, huh? They're like, you're not listening. She's like, yeah, yeah, you know, let Sylvester in. They're like, that's not what we're talking about. Then <laughs> Cameron walks up, hi. And she's like, hi, right back at you. <laughs> it's like, what does that even mean? Hi, right back at you. And then he's like smiles at, at the table. And Rick's like, dude, we're in the middle of a conversation. 
And he's like, okay, so get lost. Then he's like, what exactly is your problem? And Rick's like, I'm staring right at it. And Courtney's like, uh, she's like, we're in the middle of a project. And Beth's like, yeah, it's for the science fair. He's like, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. And Rick's, you know, after he leaves, Rick's like, don't tell me you're hanging out with that creep. And she's like, he's not a creep. Don't say that. Beth says that they're trying to find a killer. They need her. Rick says that, you know, Sylvester is great, but he has a temper. And they're like, like, you don't? She's like, I finally found someone I like. Shouldn't you be happy? Then they mention his dad. Courtney's like, he's not like his dad. And just like, I'm not like mine. And she gets up and leaves. Cindy talks to Cameron. So you're dating Courtney. What's that matter to you? Well, Courtney and I are friends now. Real BFFs. He said, I'm just looking out for my girl. He's like, he sees, she says that it's hard to believe, but people really do change. Have you? And he's like, what does that mean? She asks if he's told Courtney about summer art camp between second and third grade. He's like, she's like, oh, was it more like an institution where boys go to learn to stop breaking things? He's like, why are you doing this? Where the walls padded, you know, talking about your mommy. And then his eyes like frost over. He says that he's like, I don't know why you want to hurt me, but what you just said proves that you haven't changed. And she's like, she's like maybe. And then she walks away and he just like glares at her as she walks away in the garage. They tell Sylvester about Courtney, like walking away from them. You know, that wasn't like her. And Sylvester's like, well, it does sound like you guys went after her. You're on her side. And he's like, there are no sides, Yolanda. He's like, you shouldn't think that way. He's like, you know, we pick sides, you know, when they're talking about Bruce Gordon, like what to, you know, to go after him when they're in the JSA. He's like, and it destroyed us. He's like, even when we got back together, you know, there, that tension, it was still there. Yolanda still thinks that Cindy isn't telling them something, you know, maybe about her dad. So Vister's like, well, you know, go with your gut. Then Beth's parents call. So they want to help since, you know, Barbara mentioned the Crocs were helping. She's like, they're like, give us a mission. You know, they're all like super like whatever and like that. And she's just like, uh, you know, at the diner, Courtney's sitting alone at the counter with a, sh- a shake. And then Maria is like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah. And then Cindy walks in. She's like, there's one big difference between them. Courtney sees the good in people. And she sees a bad. Courtney's like, what are you talking about? Cindy says that she talked to Cameron about her and she, because she knows that his grandma's a freak. Her eyes went white with ice last summer when she made her mad. So she pushed Cameron's button to try to trigger him and she did. So he has his family's powers and she's looking at her. She's like, and you already knew that, didn't you? Courtney's like, I'm going to help him control them. Rick is working on an hourglass again at, at the garage. Sylvester says that, you know, he's talking about how it doesn't really work and everything like that and how it's not reliable. And Sylvester's like, you know, maybe it's the limiter. Rick's like, so I could just remove it and have powers for 24 hours a day? Sylvester's like, I don't know. You know, he's like, your dad was was a genius. He, he probably invented that for a reason. So, you know, you should be careful. Beth is looking at a computer at gambler files. The parents come in. How can we help? You know, she says that they can help her most if they stay out of her Dr. Midnighter stuff because it's dangerous. Sylvester had mentioned, or she talked to Sylvester about she doesn't know what to do. And he says how, like, his sister, you know, found out and she was killed and, you know, stuff like that. So he's saying how you have to protect them. That's, like, the number one thing. So she tells her parents it's dangerous and all this stuff like that. And then they're like, we understand. And they walk away like she kicked her puppy or something like that. It's like, how old are you two? At the garage, Rick's looking. He removes the limiter, and it's like everything. It's, this thing looks like it's made out of plastic or whatever. 
and then he closes up the the top of it. He puts it on, flips it, powers up. So we and we don't find out like what that means, like how long does he keep it? Cindy goes down into the other lab where Sylvester was, and she's like, "Oh, the answers have to be here." And she's just looking around. Wildcat enters a window. She goes into Cindy's bedroom. She's looking through all the drawers. Pat knocks on Courtney's door. She's not in her room. So she's at Cameron's and they're like looking at this book in front of, I think a fireplace like that. It's the ice in. So it's like a, like a hotel made out of ice. She's like, it's a perfect example of what you might be able to do. So this, I think she was looking this up on her phone is so she tracked down the book and then he's like, Oh, I could do this. He makes a little ice sculptures. Like I could bring you to, or the, the hotel to you or, or something like that. So she takes it, you know, it's cold and the grandparents see from the hall and they're like not happy and they rush off. Yolanda's still searching you know, the little run room. She's going through the closet and drawers. And then she looks under the bed and she finds a laptop. I knew it. And I'm going to kick her ass. It's like, oh my God. I I really enjoy the show, but sometimes it's just, come on. <laughs> it's just a bit much. But the whole thing still, it's like, what is going on with, with Cindy? Can she be trusted or not? I, I think she can. I think they're trying to make us doubt but you know she's doing good things like she's looking out for courtney but why does she have the laptop what is this experience why is she drinking chemical stuff and what's going on with her shoulder why is she turning scaly i mean that's probably she wants those answers she probably wants to figure out how to like fix herself or cure herself so we'll see okay then she hulk season one episode eight ribbit and rip it it finally happened this is the episode here now the bummer is on Instagram the day before, on the Disney Plus Instagram, on the Marvel Studios Instagram, and on the uh, maybe Avengers Instagram, they they post like the same content on all the channels, and they show a clip with Daredevil, like the the one that we've seen before. So it's like, hmm, I wonder if Daredevil is going to be on this week. So we see a couple guys are stealing TV, like from some electronic stores, and then this guy comes up and bumps them. So he's like, I'm the 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 guard frog. And they're like guard frog, whatever. And he says that he his he's leapfrog, and he's about to do his signature move, the ribbit and rip it. So he it's shorted out because he has these like rocket. He flies up or whatever, and but his his legs catch on fire. He falls to the ground. His bottom, you know, from his like his shins down, they're like on fire. So then he goes to She Hulk's office. He wants compensation. It turns out that Luke Jacobson, he's like, Luke Jacobson specializes in special suits. This is the same guy who made gen suits. So she goes to her boss to see if maybe like Pug or someone else can take it. The boss says that Eugene Patillos is like one of her biggest clients. She's like, Leapfrog? She's like, no, his dad, because I guess he's Eugene Jr. or something like that. I don't know. So it's a, you know, since he's one of her biggest clients, it's very important that they keep the Patillos happy. And she says that she'd feel like she'd be ethically compromised. And he's like, you know, they'd be willing to sign a conflict waiver or whatever and, and all this stuff like that. She's like, fine. Uh, she's like, you know, maybe we could just try to come up with some agreement with Mr. Jacobson. So she goes to talk to Luke about a defective suit. He sold, and he's like, how dare you? And, you know, he says that he's never made a defective suit. And then he looks at her, cause he's making a gown for her, for the gala, for her like female lawyer of the year thing. And he's like, defective, huh? And he like just rips it. And she's like, hey, I prepaid for that. And he's like, well, you should have thought it before. You're blocked, reported, and blacklisted. Then she's like, yeah, I'm going to take you down. And he's like, oh, down to your level where you get your clothes, you clown, or whatever all this stuff. So in court, 
they're like, uh, Mr. Jacobson, are you uh, representing yourself? And she's like, God, that's you know, that's the biggest mistake. And he's like, uh, No, I'm not. And then his counsel walks in. It's Matt Murdock. He comes in with his cane, and he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. I had trouble finding parking." He's like, "Just kidding." He's like, "My driver got lost." So then he wants, as he's sitting down, he wants to ask that the motion to compel production of the defendant's client list be rejected, as it is not relevant to the litigation. She-Hulk looks and she's like, "Who is this a-hole?" And she said that to us. She tells the judge that she believes this information to be incredibly relevant given the nature of the complaint. There could be multiple instances of Mr. Jacobson's other clients sustaining injuries from faulty merchandise. Murdoch says that she'll find his record of customer satisfaction is spotless. She says that if the defendant has nothing to hide, why not hear from his clients? Murdoch says that that is a gross invasion of, of people's privacy based on a very shaky what if. She says this is a very common procedure in product liability lawsuits. Murdoch brings up that he also makes suits exclusively for superheroes, so it necessitates anonymity. May he remind the you know the, the court or whatever that the Sokovia Accords have been repealed. So I think that was for our sake, too, so now we know that. She says that the superhero operation uh, that they operate in the public eye. So as public figures, it is assumed that there will be some loss of privacy. Murdoch's like, we're not talking about celebrities, but superheroes who have enemies who will try to harm them and the people close to them, ones who didn't ask to be part of this life. Ms. Walters chose to make her identity public, but this isn't about privacy for privacy's sake. If this information isn't protected, not only would it ruin his client's career, but it could put a lot of people in a lot of danger and over one man's misuse of a suit. The judge says that he's in agreement with Mr. Murdoch, so the motion to compel discovery is denied. Then Leapfrog stands up, wait, does this mean I don't get a new suit? And she hulks like, sit down. So he pulls out his suit. He's like, how am I supposed to wear this? And Matt's like, sniffs. He's like, what kind of fuel did you use in your boosters? And he's like, jet fuel. Then Luke's like, wait a minute, you use jet fuel in your boosters? Because that's not what my instructions said. She hulk hisses, what? And Leapfrog's like, uh, no, I, no, I didn't. And Matt's like, he's lying. And to Luke, he's like, don't ask me how I know. I just know. The judge's like, we can all tell he's lying. If the plaintiff ignored the manufacturer's explicit instructions, then the defendant is absolved of all liability. He, so he's like, I'm dismissing the case. And then he, uh, Leapfrog's like, am I going to jail? And She-Hulk's like, no, but I would like you to. So then as they're getting up, She-Hulk calls Luke. She's like, He's like, yes, clown. <laughs> she's like, uh, I would like to apologize for, for daring to question my craftsmanship. And she's like, is there any way that you know, we could go back to you being my tailor? He's like, Jennifer, Jennifer, Jennifer. And then very nicely. And he's like, no, because I hate you now. So at the, the lawyer bar, bartender gives her a green martini, apple teeny. She's like, what's this? He's like, oh, it's for that guy over there. So it's Matt. And she's like, ah, cute. Then he's like, do you mind if I join you? And, and I like as he walks over, he asks the bartender if he could like grab his drink and take it over. So she's like, what's your story? You know, you're from New York, but you flew all the way out here for a product liability case. He says that Luke Jacobson made a couple suits for him, so he owed him one. And she says, it doesn't look like it. And he's like, oh, that's a low blow insulting a blind man's clothes. And he's like, I'm wearing pants, right? And she laughs. Then she says, you have your own practice. And he's like, have you been checking up on me? She's like, yeah, you came out of nowhere and you made my dumb client look even dumber. She's like, she's like, how'd you know about the jet fuel? He's like, oh, a hunch. He asks, he's like, what's the deal with that guy? She's like, oh, I'll give you one guess. It rhymes with rich parents. She's like, oh, no, I, I said it. 
he mentions that he has a practice in Hell's Kitchen. You know, it's mostly pro bono work, but every now and then he takes a big client when the bills start piling up. And she's like, wow, secret double lives of Matt Murdock. You know, how do you do it? Because she's like, by representing them, you know, big corporate people, whatever, she doesn't have time for other stuff. And he says that, you know, she's in a unique position. You know, Jen Walters can use the law to help people when society fails them. And She-Hulk can help people when the law fails them. So she can, if she chooses, and as she finishes, be the best of both worlds. His phone, like buzzer, was like that, so he excused himself to take the call. Then she says to us, we're all feeling this, right? Not just me. So I think, you know, the, the flirting, tension, whatever is going on there. Then uh, she gets a text from Todd, you know, one of the, the guys she went on a date with. He's like, I have a legal issue I would like to discuss immediately, 8 p.m. at Hoof and Fleur. She reminds us that he was a gross tech bro with a She-Hulk fetish. Then she asks Matt, would you like another round? He's like, oh, I'm sorry, but, you know, something just came up with work. So then he's like, uh, you know, it's a little awkward or whatever. You know, when he's trying to say goodbye, he's like, uh, it was nice meeting you. You know, he leaves. She gets another text. I was assured that GLK and H was a 24-7 firm. I can call Holloway and, and ask if that's inaccurate. So she's like, ah, fine. So she goes and she's like, okay, Mr. Phillips. He's like, it's Todd. But, you know, she doesn't want to call him that. She's like, what was the urgent matter you wanted to discuss with me? He's like, so I was at an auction recently buying art and they had an authentic Wakandan war spear. I, of course, won the auction, a milli, and he like chuckles. She's just staring at him. He clears his throat. It's like a million. She just keeps staring. And he's like, dollars? She's like, I got it. Then he shows her like a selfie of him with the spear and he doesn't have a shirt on. He's like, oh, I love Wakanda. He's like, I actually studied abroad there. And she's like, really? Because I don't think they would actually do that. He's like, Wakanda forever. She's like, that makes me uncomfortable. Then she's like, is there a legal issue with the purchase? He's like, no, no, no. Well, okay. They want it back because apparently it was stolen by colonizers, but whatever. I got the receipts. Then he like um, scoots closer to her and he puts like a glass of wine in front of her. She like clearly puts it like on the other side of the table. And he's like, listen, babe, let's just drop the whole coy thing because I don't play games. Okay. Because I can feel it and I can feel that we're both feeling it. And he like kind of takes her hand and she's like, no. And she like scooches the tail like hard, like kind of pins him against the, like the booth. And she's like, goodbye. Oh, and I'm billing you for the whole hour. At home, she like crashes on the couch, you know, lays on. And then her phone buzzes again. It's Leapfrog. He's frantic. Says that he's being attacked. And she's like, legally or physically? He's like, definitely physically, uh, but maybe legally too. So he's he's driving in a, in a car, like speeding car. She's like, somehow she's able to see where he's at. And she's like, okay, I'm a, or he says that he's on his way to the lily pad. And she's like, am I supposed to know what that is? He's like, it's my famous secret lair. So she sees that he's close. She's like, I'll meet you in the middle. And then she's about to leave. But then she goes back to her closet to get her super suit. It's in this like parking garage, you know, like going around up or whatever like that. There's someone on the roof of his car. He has his like green sports car. Then She-Hulk like stands in front of it and like stops the car. I think he like actually hits her. And then the front end dips up. The dude goes flying off. It's Daredevil. And then he's like, you need to back off. And she's like, and waste this outfit? It's just her sort of super suit is like her like kind of unitard type of thing, whatever. So she tells Eugene, she's like, get out of here. And then DD um, Daredevil charges at her and says, like, you made a mistake. And she's like, you made a mistake when you messed with my client. She's like, now I'm going to whoop your ass. He starts to run and then she like pounds on the ground and cracks it. And like he jumps up like almost like falls to the level below. And he's like, huh. My ass remains unwhooped. And she's like, yeah, let's fix that. 
So she charges and then he jumps off the the, the level and then she looks down and he's like chung, chung, like kind of catching hold as he's like jumping down and swinging whatever. Then he does a like backflip and he lands like right by, you know, leaps frog speeding car. Rip it and rip it. Daredevil starts running after him, but then She-Hulk lands right in front of him. Where are you going? We're not done. He's like, you're very persistent, aren't you? And then she like swings, but then he like goes like leans back and then he does like a back kick up, he, you know, dodges, whatever. And then he runs. She picks up a car and throws at him. He like ducks and like slides. And then she's like, oh, come on. He's, so then she like jumps over by him and then she does a big sonic clap and sends him flying against the car and he's like ah because obviously it hurt his ear and everything like that she picks him up and he's like whoa 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 jen she pulls off his helmet just like that and then she's like matt he smiles she sets him down hands the helmet back and she changes to to jen she depowers de-hulks and she's like wait do you pretend to be a blind man? Because that is really problematic. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I'm blind. I'm blind. He's like, relax. He's like, I have a, a, a spatial method that I use to see. And she's like, oh, like echolocation? He's like, uh, yeah, kind of. It's basically I have really good hearing. Or at least I did. Because the sonic clap. Then she's like, why are you attacking my client? He says that Leapfrog is a bad guy here. He kidnapped Luke Jacobson. He's holding him hostage. And she's like, why didn't you tell me that before we fought? And he's like, oh, why didn't you ask me that before you tried to whoop my ass? And she's like, I'm sorry. I assumed the guy dressed as a devil was a bad one. He's like, okay, that's a fair point. Then she asks if he's like a superhero, like, like the gold devil. He looks at her. He's like, I'm daredevil. And she just like shrugs. And he's like taken aback. She's like, it's very daring to use ketchup and mustard as your color scheme. And he's like, how about I tell Luke you said that? No, 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 please, please don't. And he's like, okay. He's like, if, if you're done, I need to save my client from your client. So they start walking. Then he, he asks, have you ever destroyed a parking lot before? And she's like, crap, I'll go leave a note. At the lily pad, there's, there's, so there's like two-story building. There's like big neon letters that says lily pad on top of the building. So then as they're, they're getting other, Jen's like, hmm, subtle. Inside, he's telling Luke that for version two, they need to go all out. So Luke is like tied to a chair. He's at a sewing machine. He's like, I'm talking bulletproof shields, fancy AI with a British voice that talks to you. He's like, oh, snap. And those poison darts like, like the tree frogs. Luke says, he's like, I don't know who told you you can pull off these colors, but you should go back to them and shoot them. Outside, looking in the window, they're up on the roof. Jen says, that, she's like, I can't believe this, this Dodo has henchmen. Then she's like, actually, I bet these goons work for his dad. Daredevil's like, well, that's where you're wrong. Goons and henchmen are two completely different animals. Henchmen believe in a cause. Goons are just there for the paycheck. He's like, there are 25 goons in that building. Seven below us, eight in the front, and 10 in the hallway. And she's like, how do you know that? He's like, I can hear their heartbeat. You can hear their heartbeats? Come on, that's a little far-fetched. He's like, I can hear yours too. It's beating pretty fast. And she's like, kind of like moving closer to him, like, are they going to kiss or something? Like that? Then she like snaps out of it. She's like, what? She's like, no, it's not. It's like, I'm healthy. He like laughs. He tells her that he can go inside and take the ones out in the back one by one. He's like, it'll need about a, a minute each or whatever like that. She's like, I'm not going to wait like a half hour. And it's like, I'm a Hulk. Why don't we just smash my way in? He's like, well, they have weapons. And she's like, good thing I'm indestructible. He's like, stealth is the way to go. He's like, I've done this a million times. And he asked her to remind him how many times she's broken into a warehouse full of goons. She asked him, she's like, well, remind me again, who has the superpowers here? He starts walking away and she's like, I'm pointing to myself. He's like, yeah, I know. I have, and he does like finger quotes, echolocation, remember? So there's this hallway. He takes out five 
guys. It's it's kind of violent. It's not you know Netflix Daredevil violent, but it, you know it's pretty good. Like he whacks someone with his billy club, and he's got the retractable one, and does some kicking and all this stuff like that. And you know they have a walkie-talkie, and they're, they're like, oh, someone's you know send backup, whatever. And they're like, backup's coming. So then five more run in, you know around the corner of the hall, and they start like moving towards him, weapons drawn, and everything like that, and then. Whoosh, She-Hulk like smashes through the ceiling, lands on top of them. And she's like, She-Hulk smash. In the main room, there are other goons and, you know, they hear some noise. She-Hulk smashes through a wall. She picks up a Frogger arcade, you know, unit and leapfrogs like, that's vintage. Then she's like, he's like, what are you doing? He's like, you should be helping me. And she's like, I am helping you by, you know, not getting into more trouble. And then she like rips the rope off of Luke's like midsection. And she tells him, go call the police. He's like, don't you yell at me. I'm already stressed out. She tells Eugene, she's like, I have some legal advice. Stop now before you rack up even more charges. It's like, you know, legally, we could say this is an episode of mania. And Daredevil, you know, he's fighting someone you know, nearby. He's like, yeah, temporary insanity is murky, but it's not a bad strategy. I'd angle this more as a form of traumatic expression due to undiagnosed PTSD. Leaf Frog's like, is Devil Ninja guy a lawyer? And Daredevil's like, no, nah, I'm just a big fan of legal dramas. Then She-Hulk says to us, this guy is really doing it for me. So then a goon hits her like in the shoulder with a baseball bat. She turns and quietly said, it's sad that you thought that would work. Leapfrog puts on his helmet. No shame in retreat. Rip it and rip it. Oh, he like jumps through like this big window. Thud. Wasn't a good idea. Outside, you see he's being wheeled away in a, like a, by paramedics like on a gurney. Luke comes up to her. Well, 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 I guess all is forgiven. And she's like, will you make my gal address? Yes, of course. I'm not a monster. Just try not to get too bloated between now and then. And he walks away. And she's like, great to be strained professional acquaintances again. Daredevil's up on a roof. Jen goes up as, her, as Jennifer and sits next to him. She asks if he's going to give a statement to the cops. He's like, well, I'm not really a stick around and talk to the cops kind of guy. And she's like, oh, so brooding. And he's like, oh, more of a secret identity thing. You wouldn't understand. So she says, thanks for his help and all this. He's like, thanks, thank you for your help. And then they start arguing over who was helping who. I was a lead hero here, whatever. Then she's like, you wanted to spend half an hour picking off goons one by one. And he's like, well, you were the one who wanted to cause excessive property damage or whatever. She's like, when do you go back to New York? And he's like, tomorrow. And she's like, oh, well. He's like, well, maybe next time I'm in town, I can take you out to dinner. She's like, or maybe we can skip all that and just, and then they're back at her place making out and then they're going at it. She's like trying to take off his costume, but she can't figure out where, you know, where to, how to zip her. They move into the, the other room. You know, all like all her clothes is like laid out on the floor, close the bedroom door. Next day, <laughs> there's this lady walking her dog. Daredevil's walking down the sidewalk carrying his boots. Good morning. He's like, walk of shame. Jen's like, she comes out in, uh, into the living room, sits on a couch. She's like, it's weird you guys are still here. She's like, doesn't it feel like this episode should be over? Then Nikki barges in. Hello. She's like, you weren't answering your calls. She's like, by the way, there's this guy outside dressed as a devil doing a walk of shame. Cause, and then Jen is smiling. Oh, you did with the, and she's like, yeah. And, and you're good. Okay. She's like, yeah. Then into us, she's like, seriously, what's with the scene? It's like, this episode already came to a very satisfying c- conclusion. Trust me. Nikki tells her, she's like, come on, we have to do your hair and makeup. You know, where's that gown from Luke? And Jen's like, for the gala? She's like, wait, are we doing the gala? She's like, this just doesn't feel right. Is the next episode the finale? It's just, you know, like tacked on, set piece near the end of the season. She's like, or is this a big twist, isn't it? Like, but the question is, is it the kind of twist that's like, oh, there's another Hulk, but this one's red? 
or like I'm getting fridged. She's like, well, whatever, I'm game. So a big like Escalade pulls up the red carpet. She Hulk exit in her gown. Nikki comes out, pictures and everything like that. Guys giving a speech, blah blah blah, makes the jokes. You know, for female lawyer of the year, Jennifer She Hulk Walters. So she gets up, people are clapping, and then he starts reading several other women's names, including Mallory Book. So they got up on stage. And they're like, what's it like being a female lawyer? One answers, whatever. And Mallory says, double the work and half the recognition and getting asked what it's like to be a female lawyer. When it comes to She-Hulk, she's like, she just wants to take this opportunity to thank her parents who are, you know, they're there to, you know, filming and stuff like that. Her colleagues and then uh, on the screen behind them, the Hulk King avatar thing appears on the screen and a distorted voice asks, do you want to see who She-Hulk really is? And she's like, uh, my identity is not a secret. And then on the screen, two dudes like these blank masks, like, this is the truth presented by Intelligentsia. She-Hulk does not deserve your attention. She does not deserve your praise. She does not deserve the power she stole from the Hulk. And then like several images start popping up on the screen. There's like some from like her dating profile. Like, you know, she took pictures of the guys or whatever like that. There's like Captain America, kind of Captain America's back, like his butt. Then you see like her bank account information and like texts and emails. She's like, oh, can someone like cut this off? The video continues. It's like keeps talking and she's a slut. Then this video plays <laughs> and it has at Hulk King, like watermark on the video. So it's her bedroom. It's like her and Josh. Then Mallory's like, don't do it. Don't do it, Jen. And she's like, ah, and she like punches a screen like behind her. There's like a bunch of whatever screens, sparks, like glass shattering and stuff like that. People start screaming and alarm goes off and red lights flashing. And there's some, some dudes in like black masks, like in the back and you like one's filming or something like that. So then they like, everyone's running out. She smashes through a wall. She manages to grab one. She like roars at him. And then there's these armed guards outside with these rifles and are pointed at her. So she just like drops the guy. He gets up and run. There's like all these laser sights on her. She's like breathing heavy or something like that. And then she looks and she sees someone and it fades to black. No idea. No idea who it could be. And I, and I love the fact that I don't know who it is. Is it going to be the leader? Is it going to be Modoc? Who is it? Who is it? Is it going to be someone else? Is it going to be Josh? Maybe it's going to be Josh. Maybe Josh is a leader of intelligentsia. That'd be kind of whatever, but there you go. So that was, uh, we got Daredevil finally, but that's it. He's, he's gone. He went home. So hopefully we'll see. When's Daredevil startup? I don't know. What costume is he going to have in that? I don't know. That was She-Hulk this week. Okay, Star Wars Andor Season 1, Episode 5, The Axe Forgets. And, oh, man, this, like, as, as I said before, well done. This is, it's, I'm so fascinated by the show, just the, the settings and the acting and everything like that. But what the heck is going on? There's, like, nothing. It's so slow. It's, it's, and it's hard because it's, it is so cool to see all these little details and just, it's definitely, you know, slow burn. But, my goodness. So it starts off that that security dude Karn, this guy, he's such a weenie. He's sitting in his room and his like eyes are watery and then later he's at his table like playing with his cereal or whatever and his mom's like you're slouching and you know she's going on about how he presents himself that you can't just turn it on because then you'll forget and whatever and you know being a leader, you know it's not you can't just turn it on and off or whatever. And she talks about how he has no prospects ahead of him. And she says that she's going to call Uncle Harrow. You know, she's going to finally call in the, the family favor. And he says that, you know, she assumes that he'll remember her or whatever. So she just wants someone like to take him on or whatever like that. 
it's, it's like, okay, dude, you dropped the ball big time. This is your fault. And you're just boo-hoo wallowing in your own misery. But it's like, this is your fault because you just handled things. You were specifically told, let it be. And or Clem, whatever you wanted to call him, he's wakes up in his hammock, so he's on on his you know mission to infiltrate you know whatever not infiltrate, but he's he's do, going on his mission. He wakes up in his, in his hammock. He's like his pack's gone, so he like he's kind of like freaking out. His necklace is he still has that. He finds that dude Skeen. He's kind of like washing up outside, and he's like, oh, it's all there. He's like, Vel asked me to take a look. And, you know, so he, like all his weapons and stuff like that, he's like, oh, you know, she maybe she's having second thoughts or something like that. And then he's like, you know, you didn't come with with much, you know, plus or that plus the, uh, your bad arm means it's pretty clear you left wherever you were in a hurry. And there's the gun that he had in there. He's like, oh, that's corporate issue. Or he's like, and, you know, whose is it? And or it's like, I didn't get a name. So then Skeen points out this like tattoo on his chest. He's like, oh, you must know what it means. Like, you're, I saw your eyes go right to it. He's like, crate head. He's like, yeah, the others don't know. And he points to the other one. And he's like, what about this one? By the hand. And Skeen's like, where were you? And he's like, Sippo, youth center, three years. I was 13 when I went in. Skeen's like, oh, I never heard of it. He's like, oh, but, you know, they built a lot of cages or whatever like that. He says, I'm like, the axe forget what the tree remembers. So it's the name of the title of the episode. Name of the title, jeez. Then uh, he's saying, you know, it's their turn to do the chopping. And, you know, Andor's like, oh, so you just doing this for revenge? And he's like, for now, yeah. So then we see Mon Matha. She's sitting at her table. Her husband's like, oh, the driver's here. And she's like, Cloris. She's like, he has a name. And he's like, oh, yeah, whatever. She's like, you know that. And then the daughter comes down and she's like you're you're not ready he's like we need to get going she's like well i don't have an early class so i just thought i'd go with that she's like uh no it's like we talked about this and you know we're doing this and she's like you just want to like show off or whatever and she's like what, what do you mean you know show off and she's saying blah blah, blah you know all this stuff like that so there's something like that and and first of all it's, it's like the dad the husband is like not saying anything or whatever because first he's like oh you got to clear it with her and then, you know, so finally she's like, oh, I so appreciate the support. And he just doesn't say anything. So this guy is like, what the heck is his problem? Um, at the camp, you know, they're getting ready. To, they're going to go out on their mission. So they ask Andor about the ship and stuff like that. They're like, wait, you don't know how to get out? Of-? There's like some lever thing or something like that. He's like, you don't know how to how to, how to to get it out of there, how to fly it? And he's like kind of shocked. They're like, no, we just want to know. He's like, is this a test or something like that? Then he's like, well, I'm piloting it. And Vel's like, no, you know, we're going with the plant. He's like, if it's my ass, I'm flying it. And he's like, he, then he's like, you can say it's your idea. It's like, I don't care. Because it was it was her and, and Tamara were, were, were talking about this. And then that Lieutenant Gorn guy who's working with them, he's yelling at a couple soldiers. Because there's like this little like structure, like some stones outside. And there's like, it was supposed to be cleared out. There's like a garbage can lid or something like with target practice. And, and so he's he's just like trying to keep everything like meticulous or whatever. And, and so he's like having them clean it up or whatever. Then Andor, he's getting like this like major attitude. He tells Tamron cause you know, they're, they're going through some stuff like that. And he like kind of, he's like, don't touch me. Uh, he's like, cause when he's explaining parts of the plan, he's like, you can tell me where to go, but don't touch me. So it's like, just calm down, dude. So they're like marching around practicing, be soldiers, whatever. And they're like, act like you belong do like this or whatever. Then Andor's like, he's left-handed so he should be on the other side and then he uh i, I think it was skeen he's like well you know this one you just let me handle this part whatever like that then vel's like comes up he's, he's like well what do you think or something like that and she asks him she's like 
what how does he shoot like and so basically he knew like how each person like shot like is like what about what about uh nemec what about you know Sinta? and you know so he's like you know he's right-handed right-handed uh, he's like favors the left or shoots with the right and everything like that so she's like impressed because he, he's making a suggestion he clearly has been paying attention he knows everything like that so they're like okay well, you know take it into consideration we'll switch and then Tie Fighter comes, it's nearby, start covered guns or whatever, and it's like it comes over, it's like swoops over and, and and what was the point of this? I don't know, but it sounded so cool and it's like so close to the ground, just you know that that noise. Dedra, that uh, Imperial officer who's like really trying to get to the bottom of things or whatever, you know, whether she's just so she can advance her career, she's, you know, talking to her assistant or like going over records and stuff like that. She's trying to find something that she can use, I guess. But and she's they can't find anything because everything's like explained or something like that and her assistant's like you know you're onto something like that and she's like you know there's these little incidents she's like they're too spread out you know to be organized but you know so she thinks that something's going on i'm assuming that this is like the start of the rebellion you know that they're making these little attacks or different things like that but because they're so random and spread out there's like no connection so they can't really pin it on anyone but she's like if it were me, that's how I would do it. And then he's, she's like, well, you slate, like, you should go home. He's like, oh, no, if you're doing this, uh, you know, I, I'll be here too or something like that. Edie, uh, Karn's mom, she's talking to him. Uh, she, she says that she didn't tell him how wrong he was about Uncle Harrow. You know, he's, and he's just like playing with his food again. It's like, how are you, like, like seven years old? He said that, uh, I guess Uncle Harrow said that he felt police work was never Karn's chosen path. And, he just he seems so immensely ungrateful you know because he's the one that, that screwed up and it's just like and you know he's at his mom's place so i don't know if he got it for her paid for it or whatever or if it's all her but it's just like dude Andor asks vel about gorn you know why is why is an imperial soldier involved and you know she finally says that you know he that's a typical story he fell in love with a local woman he got a demotion, then he lost a woman, and he has, you know, so he has no love for the Empire. Gorn is again, pushing a couple of soldiers. Like he, he talks about like they didn't do what they were supposed to, and you know he wants it painted. Some like engineer from Coruscant's coming, and then one's like, "Can I speak plainly, sir?" So he says that like Ald Aldhani is not like a great assignment with people. You know they they know when they get it that it, it's it's gonna suck. But he, the, with this big like lunar event thing or whatever that's that's coming up, he's when you know that you're being assigned to this planet, there's the fact that you could possibly see this. That's that's a big deal. So he's like, it would you know be really you know, their morale would be really be crushed if they had to miss it and everything. He's like, so you know if if it's possible if we can only have like essential employees down here while everyone else gets to see it, you know, then he's he finally is like okay you know he concedes to it or like that he's like but i want this you know the painting done the day after or whatever but this is probably exactly what he wants because he probably wants not that many people there so they can do their part of the plan then skeen goes up behind andor puts like a blade to his neck and then i always think this is so rude when he do this he like cuts the necklace you know, because whenever they, they like rip it off someone's neck, you know, break the chain here, he cuts it. So he he's like, "What is this? Look at this!" And he's like, "It's a Sky Kyber, the, the one that that Luthen gave him." So, you know, Andor's really been protective of his stuff, and you know, he's because he's reacted when Skeen's been you know touching or moving or or thing like that. 
Skeen's like, he's like, I knew he was hiding something. And he's like, he, you know, he comes in with nothing but his clothes on his back and a stone worth 30 credit or 30,000 credits. And Val's like, you know, she's like, if you have a problem, you should come to me. He's like, well, here I am. And he's like, he's like, I'm topped out of question. I've reached my limit. You know, he won't say why he's here, where he's from or what he believes in, you know, who knows? Or he's like, who brings a treasure to a robbery? And then Andrew's like, you know exactly who I am. He's like, and that I'll kill you for it. And he's like, oh, so I guess we know it's not fake, huh? So and and uh, Andor's got like a blaster like on the back of his like his belt, whatever. He, he puts his hand on it, and, and then he's like, you know, it's your call. And Tamron's like, let's not go too far, Clem. And then Val's like, enough. And he's like, put the weapon away. Give him back his stone. Should like, kill each other later. And Namek's like, oh, a ship's coming, whatever. Then he's like, oh no, it's actually headed towards the garrison. So they're and they're like, move out. Then yeah, as they're as they're packing up to move some more because they're they're starting to move towards getting closer to the base or whatever and or it's like i'm being paid paid to be here and he's like you need to know that's it and they're just like looking at him and then it's like what because you know they're all doing this because they hate the empire or whatever you know it's all they believe in the cause he's like yeah i'm here for the money he's like you can't live with that i'm not worth it i'll walk away and wish you luck he's like but that's what it is i don't want to walk in look looking over my shoulder and tamarin says the like you knew this and she's like the the choice was take him or call it off and Skeen's like, we should have been told before. Andor's like, then it would have been something else. It's always tough the day before. And he's basically saying they're scared or something like that. And they're like, oh, and you're not? He's like, no, I'm scared. He's like, but there's a difference between scared and losing your nerve. He's like, just don't use me as an excuse. Then we see Mon Mantha and her husband are in a car. He mentions uh, talking to some dude tonight. He's like, he knows more about you than I do. And she's like, oh, that must be embarrassing. Then he's like, when were you going to tell me about the new foundation? And she's like, oh, I didn't think you'd be interested. And he's like, why is that? She's like, it's charitable. He's like, hmm. And then, uh, I don't know what this is. He's like, what's the driver's name? So she tells him. And he's like, take the expressway. It's like, okay, what what does that have to do with anything? Then we see Karn. He's still sitting around. He's looking at the whole of Andor. So he's still like, so obviously something's going to happen with this. You know, he's gonna, they're going to have some sort of run-in. And he's going to try to redeem himself. They're camping for the night. Vel talks to Skeen he goes to Andor and he says that she wants him to tell him she so Vel wants Skeen to tell Andor about his brother he's like there's a long version but what matters is they killed him he was a farmer uh, an imperial prefect came in took his land and flooded it you know, his brother couldn't fight him he couldn't bear it so he went on a boat f- filled his, his pockets with stones so Skeen has always hated the empire he's like I don't know what to call what I feel now and Andor's like what kind of farm so there's like pepper trees or something like that. And you know, then he's like, that's as close to an apology as you're going to get. Andor's like, it's close enough. So Vel tells him that Tamarin's in charge now, um, completely in charge. If all goes well, they'll see her tomorrow night. And Tamarin's like, I need to hear that you can follow the plan. Andor's like, there won't be any problems for me. So then Vel and Cinta head out. They wouldn't say what they're doing because he asked and they're like, you don't need to worry about that. I, it just seems crazy. You should tell them, but whatever. Luthen is in, like fiddling with the radio. Clea, the woman that was there in the shop, whatever with them, says, you know, she's talking to him. She's like, stop playing with that. She's like, nothing's coming in tonight. So he's like nervous. And she's like, you wanted this. So it's, you know, he's like hoping to hear something about from this mission. And, you know, Luthen says that maybe he wanted it too much, that maybe, you know, bringing an Andor was too fast or whatever. And she's like, it'll all be over tomorrow by this time. He's like, or they'll just be starting. And she's like, or that. And that's how it ends. It's just like, wait. And I was like, wait, there's six and a half minutes left. 
because it's all credits. So, like I said, it's very well done, but oh my goodness, it's just so slow. But it's but it's good. Okay, then finally we have Cobra Kai season five episodes nine and ten. Episode nine survivors. So Miguel is looking for, for Sam. Sam is like uh, pushing Tori outside. You knew Silver cheated at the Ah Valley and you did nothing. She's like, you don't know what it's like in there. What I've had to deal with. And Sam like keeps like trying to attack Tori. My entire family has suffered because of you. It's like give me a break. Are you serious? Robbie and Miguel come in and get between them. Miguel tells her, he's like, that's enough. And she's been working with Chris the whole time. Why did you only come forward now, huh? Because you're a coward. And she's like, screw you, LaRusso. I knew this was a mistake. And she leaves. Sam goes in the opposite direction. Robbie and Miguel just stand there watching him leave. <laughs> you know, just like instead of trying to go after them. They're like, did you know about this? And he's like, no, I had no idea. Carmen and Johnny are, they're at a hospital. They're looking at the ultrasound. Uh, Johnny comments that like with Robbie he never went to any appointments he didn't realize how big a deal it was so then they they leave they get in the elevator I guess to go to parking garage or something like that and then as they go down like a floor or something then Silver enters and then he congratulates Johnny on what he and his partner have accomplished he's like who told you about the baby he's like uh, I was talking about you know you and LaRusso and the Sakai Takai he, he says but I understand all about the future and he like motions towards you know He's like, theirs, motioning towards Carmen, and mine. So savor, savor every moment of it while it lasts, or something like that. Johnny tells Daniel and Amanda and, and Daniel's cousin that he thinks Silver, or you know, his cousin thinks that Silver must have them under surveillance. You know, like That's how he knew he was at the hospital. And he thinks that they should counter-surveil. But Daniel doesn't think that Silver would do anything to jeopardize his spot in a tournament. Amanda's like, you know, we've all earned a night off. So she wants to call Carmen. And Johnny's like, oh, I don't know. In her condition, that might not be the best idea. Then they're like, her condition? So then they're they're all like super excited that, you know, you're going to have a kid and stuff like that. So then, uh, so Louis, uh, the, the cousin, he wants to arrange a celebration. He's like, oh, let me do this, whatever. And, you know, they're, they're at the, the dealership. So Anoush, he wants a pass. He's like, yeah, go out with, with the guy who punched me. He's like, no, no thanks. He's like, I have a date. He's like, congratulations, though. At the, the Miyagi-Do kids, they find out the silver paid off the ref and the crease was arrested for a crime he didn't commit. Sam doesn't want to tell her dad, I think. Uh, Bert, the kid, says that Stingray is still his friend, so he thinks that he can get him to talk. Miguel tries talking to Sam about last night. She's like, I don't want to get into it right now, about him kissing that other girl. Cobra Kai kids are training. Uh, Kim tells Tori, double time. And Silver asks Kim, what excuse did she give for leaving? And she's like, lies. Robbie walks in. Silver like, Mr. Keene, what, to what do we owe displeasure? He says that he came to apologize. And he looks at the kids. He's like, I let you down. I turned my back on you. I didn't understand at the time, but I realized I was wrong. I shouldn't have just left. I should have taken you all with me. Everything you're taught here is BS. He's like, there is pain in this dojo, and it's built upon fear because this man is not your sensei. He's your enemy. But it's not too late. You're not past the point of no return. And he looks at Kenny. He's like, and I promise there's still another way. Slow clap from Silver. Bold move, Mr. Keene. Bold move. He's like, we heard you out. Now it's my turn to speak. He says some, some command. And they go, oh, you know, they get in position. Then he does another one. They move again. And it's Robbie. He's like, there's a difference between being heard and being listened to. They heard you, but they listened to me. Now, if you don't mind, 
we've got some training to do. And then to everyone, he's like, if Mr. Keen or any of his friends step foot in this dojo again, what will we show them? No mercy, sir. And even Devin has, she's been drinking a Kool-Aid. And Tori's just like standing off the side. And like Kim's like kind of looking at her. So she sees that Tori's like on the fence. So like she's like, hmm. So Louis takes them all to a club. You know, get this like super long like SUV limo or whatever. Escalate I don't know whatever. They get like scanned. Chosen has two sides in his jacket. And the bouncer's like, you can pick them up. He's like, no weapons. You can pick them up when you leave. So he's like sad. They go to the bar. Johnny's like, White Claw. He's like, that sounds badass. I'll have one of those. He drinks it, like spits it out. Tastes like a watermelon. Took a piss. But then he takes another drink. Daniel orders, if, if you care, I just think it's interesting. He orders a kettle martini straight up, a McAllen 18 neat. And for Chosen, he's like, nothing for me. He wants to keep his mind sharp in case silver attacks. Daniel's like, I appreciate your commitment to you know protecting my family, but I give you permission to take the night off. And he's like, so he's like, you know, what's what's your your drink? Long Island iced tea. So then Louis brings shots, which is weird because they're talking to the bartender and Louis got shots from somewhere else somewhere, but none for Carmen. So it's like, oh, you're going out to celebrate, uh, you know, being they're having a kid and everything. So you go to a bar, but she can't drink. Stingray and three other guys are playing Dungeons and Dojos instead of Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, he's he's a dungeon master. Like, you're the worst dungeon master, whatever. And so they're all mad with the stuff he did because they all, like, get killed and stuff like that. Bert knocks on a door. And then uh, the three take this time to leave. Hawk, Miguel, Sam, and Dimitri, they walk up in the hall. He's like, oh, this is a trap. You Admiral Akbar'd me. And Hawk's like, cut the crap. He's like, Kreese never hurt you. And he says, well, according to the court transcript, for me, he did. He goes to close the door, but Sam, like, stops him. He says that, they know that he lied to the court and her dad, but you're not going to lie to us. And they just walk in. He's like, well, did you just walk? Okay. Daniel tells the story about like him and Chosen at the village. Then Daniel goes to get another round. And Amanda and Carmen, they go to the dance floor. So Johnny starts talking to Chosen about how he always thought his life was affected by one kick. You know, He thought about it, that if he could go back and dodge or block it, it would fix things. But he realized he has to stop focusing on what was behind, start looking at what's right in front of him. And he's looking at, at Carmen. Chosen says that he made mistakes too and felt the pain for it. Now they have friends, family, children. You know, They always wanted the same thing. Johnny's like, oh, is there there's someone waiting for you back in Okinawa? He's like, no, but there is someone special. Cobra Kai kids are running laps around the mat, and they're all dismissed except Nichols. Terry needs her to stay longer. So they bring out like the torture punching machine thing that was in Karate Kid 3. Uh, like, you know, defeat your enemy. She looks closely at it. She's like, it's solid stone. So it's it's upgraded from the wood, the the one that Daniel had to hit. She's like, it'll it'll break my hand. And Kim's like, that will heal in time for the tournament. And then she kind of scoffs. She's like, this is crazy. I'm going home. And then the three dorky senseis crossed her arm and they stand in front of her. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's real cool. This, I, I don't know, Tori might be 18 now, or I don't know if she's still underage, but you're going to prevent this girl from leaving because this, whatever. So Kim says, you will go home when the lesson is over. So she like punches it and she's like, ah, she's punching rock. And Kim's like, not hard enough. To break it, you must use all your power. She punches again. There's like a spot spot of blood on, on a stone. Are you even trying? And then like three more punches. And she's like falls to her knees. Something is holding you back. I can't do it. It's the boy, isn't it? You act strong, but inside you're soft. Tori's like, that's not true. Your feelings have made you weak. No. You care more about this boy than your own dojo. So Tori 
gets up. She's like, I broke up with him because of this dojo, you bitch. And she goes a hit, uh, goes to punch Kim in the face, but she moves and she hits the stone and it shatters. And Tori just like groans and she's like back on her knees. And Silver's like, that must have been a hard decision, but you made the right choice. Let's hope you keep making them. And Kim looks down at her. Lesson over. So the five are trying to get Stingray to talk about what happened at night. You know, who hurt him. They're getting annoyed with Stingray because he's he's just annoying. Sam's like, says that her dad went through a lot of pain because of him and Silver. Now a lot of other people will go through pain as well if he just sits back and does nothing. He finally is like, he's like, well, I can't say anything because he'll find out. He's like, it's not that easy. He's like, actually... I've been working on a D&D campaign. And they're just like, oh my gosh. So he talks about this Dwarvian monk who was banished when he, uh, you know, that's supposed to be him. When he returned, the guild was under new leadership and he was denied re-entry. So the monk made a pact with the new silver-haired guy who would usurp the other one. One morning before the other warriors arrived, the king struck the monk down again and again and again. Then they framed the leader for, uh, for the assault and they... And he was put in chains and the silver-haired king took over the guild. The monk was let back in with benefits. So why won't he say anything? Sam says that, oh, because you don't want to lose your benefits. And Stingray says that the monk would give it all back if he could. But the silver-haired king almost killed the monk. So he just wanted to get back in to be proud and noble like them. But he's neither proud nor noble. He's definitely not a warrior. So the monk's just scared. And he's just like, sorry. And Sam's like, great. Thanks for nothing. And she like walks out. Miguel goes after her. Then like out in the hall, he's like, yeah, you know, I know not getting answers sucks, but you know, there's a lot that sucks. And then he's like, you know, sorry about last night. You know, we just met. I just met that girl. And she's like, you don't have to apologize. We broke up. You're allowed to do whatever you want. And he just says like, well, you seem so upset. He's like, I'm just trying to understand. First, you, you said you wanted to quit karate and just be friends. And now you're joining a, a world karate tournament. And apparently you're not happy seeing me with someone else. She's like, well, it's just this summer. I just wanted everything to go back to normal. But everything was based on a lie. It's all Tori's fault. <laughs> it's like, oh, give me a break, Tori's fault. So Miguel's like, I know you hate Tori and you have plenty of reasons to, but you have no idea what it's like to be in Cobra Kai. He's like, I do. And it must have been so hard for her to admit what she knew. Should she have said it, said it sooner? Yeah, probably, definitely. But the fact of the matter is that she did admit it. And now, now it's up to you to decide what to do about it. Daniel and Johnny talk about how good of a guy Chosen is. Daniel feels bad that he doesn't have a date. Johnny's like, yeah, too bad that Kokomo chick lives a million miles away. And he's like, wait, you mean Kumiko? He's like, yeah, that's it. You know her? He's like, yeah, she's an old friend. Johnny's like, well, the way Chosen talks about her, he's got it bad. Car then Carmen pulls Johnny to the dance floor. Chosen's getting pretty drunk. So Daniel brings up Komiko, and you know, he feels bad for his disgrace at the village. But Daniel's like, you should go after you should go after her, whatever. Then they go on the dance floor and start doing stuff like that. And then it turns out Anoush is there. And then it's like, oh, he's with his date. But it's like weird because for a long time they're just showing his date from behind. They turn her around. It's Louis' sister, Nessa. So Noosh starts talking, and then Louis just punches him in the face. And Anessa slaps him. She's like, what are you doing? And Anoush, you know, they're like talking. Then Anoush charges and tackles Louis, and they're on the you know, they're fighting on the floor. Chosen calls Kamiko outside. And it, well, I, I was so sure that while he's kind of drunk talking on the phone, or leaving a message, that he's going to get attacked by someone since he's drunk. 
where he says that he'd like to see her when he comes home. He's glad he came here, but he made one mistake. He should have taken her with him. Amanda and Carmen decide it's past her bedtime. So the boys are going to go into limo and they're just going to go back home or something like that. Tori's like icing her hand. Sam knocks on the door. What are you doing here? And Sam, she's about to say something. She sees her, her bruised and swollen hand. She's like, oh my God, what happened? She's like, don't pretend that you care. Sam's like, well, I don't want to be here, but if you're having problems with Cobra Kai, I'd be willing to listen. So Tori just like walks inside, you know, like basically, all right, come in. So Sam's like looking into place. There's like garbage and like containers and stuff on a the table. Then she sees like like a hospital bed in the back room where her mom is because I think her mom's dealing with cancer. So Tori's like, I wanted to win All Valley more than anything. It's like when they handed me that trophy, it was the best moment of my life. But then I saw silver in that ref and it just killed me. So she says that she felt like a fraud. She wanted to get back at Silver so bad. So that's why she listened to Crease, but got caught up in more lies. And now her life is a living hell. Sam's like, I didn't know what you're going through, but now that I do, maybe we can help each other. She, you know, she said she tried to talk to Stingray, but he, he basically admitted it was Silver who assaulted him in a dojo, but he's afraid to go to the police. Tori says that she, you know, she knew Silver was involved, but she had no idea that he did it with his own hands. Sam says that the problem is they can't prove it. Tori says, well, if it happened at the old dojo, maybe they can. Kim is at Silver's place having a drink, talking about crushing nickels. Uh, Kim mentions youth and potential. Silver is like, well, you really think that Devin can you know, step up and win? So there's more talk about youth and energy and blah, 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 whatever. So he says that one more thing, uh, that money it's one more thing money can't buy is like you know youth he's like but it doesn't matter because if they win cobra kai lives for, uh, forever she's like well what if your enemies crush your dreams he says oh we won't let that happen and then ida tiger starts playing and it continues to the limo they're like singing really badly in the limo like daniel johnny and chosen louis and anush make up but they're the, the limo like left without him so daniel Johnny and Chosen are still singing. Then Daniel, he's like, oh, are we almost there? It's taking forever. The Reggie, the limo driver, he asked Louie back at the club. He's like, have you seen a limo? It's like, I parked it right here. And Anush is like, wait, if you're not driving it, then who is? Daniel knocks on a divider. And then you know, the other one's like, check the, the doors are locked. And then the limo starts going faster. And they get like thrown side to side. They're going down. And he's just like, drr, drr, like the driver's whipping the car back and forth. That's the end of the ninth episode. Episode 510, Head of the Snake. So this is like an oversized, it's like 48-minute episodes instead of like 30. Kreese is talking to his therapist. He says that it's uh, the end of the line. He's going to spend his last days here. She's like, well, if you can find meaning and purpose, that, you know, even in here, you know, you can you know, be happy. He said that he's made some mistakes and he's learned hard lessons. And he's like got tears. You know, he's like, everything that he's fought for will be erased. And she's like, says who? He's like the best student I ever had. He was like a son to me, and now I've lost him for good. And he's like all teary-eyed. She tells him that, you know, he said that he's fought his entire life, so he has to keep fighting. Then uh, in the cafeteria, you know, the, the big dude that is calling him sensei, whatever he's picking, like he's fighting with this other one. So Kreese finally gets up, and he's like, that's enough. He's like, he's not worth it. And then the big dude, he's like, oh, yeah? Whew. He stabs Crease with a shiv over and over and over again. And he just like lays on, on the ground and it's like, they just killed Crease. The limo screeches to a halt. Daniel opens the door, but he's like, gets yanked out and thrown on the ground. It's Matt Barnes, the, the kid from, uh, the guy from Karate Kid, the furniture store guy. 
He's like, you ruined my life, LaRusso. Chosen comes out and he's like, it's not Daniel's son's fault. Then he's like, whose fault is it? Johnny stumbles out. He's like, get your hands off of him. He, he throws like a, a beer at, at him, but ends up hitting Daniel in the, in the forehead. So he tries to attack, but then like Barnes like flips him over his shoulder. Johnny gets up and like kicks somebody, blocks. Daniel and Chosen like get between them. Uh, Mike or Matt, Matt, Mike Barnes, Mike, Matt. Barnes says that his life was great until you know Lurusso showed up. You know, that the sir was leveraged to the hilt. He's like, now it's just ash. He's like, I'm broke. And and my wife, Daniel's like, I understand. But Silver, he's the one responsible. He made all our lives living hell. You know, he he's like, I never meant for you to get end up in a crosshairs. Daniel's like, I'll do what I can to, to you know to make him make you whole. Mike's just like, I just you want to help make me whole? Help me tear Silver apart. Daniel's like, sooner or later, he'll get what's coming to him. But Mike wants to beat the ponytail bastard's butt tonight. Daniel's like, well, we can't just go to his house and assault him. Johnny and, and Chosen are like, oh, we like your attitude. Joe's, Chosen's like, I know his address. <laughs> so Daniel tells Johnny, he's like, you're all, you know, you're all drunk. And judging by the size of Barnes' pupils, he's on something even stronger. But then uh, they they go inside, and then you know Barnes is like, are you coming or whatever? And he's like, we can't. And they just leave Daniel behind. Miguel, Robbie, Hawk, and Dimitri were told to meet Sam and Tori, uh, or were told to meet Sam. So they both show up. Robbie asks her what happened to her hand, and she's like, it was a training accident. Tori says that if Stingray's attack happened at the old dojo, Silver installed security cameras. Miguel says that, you know, maybe it's on tape. Robbie's like, well, that place was cleaned out. Dimitri's like, oh, it might not matter. The systems they sell at Tech Town all ha- save the footage to a central server. And it's like, what? No one would do that. I, I, having a central server, that would cost money. And if you have security tapes that, you know, usually you record stuff for like 24 hours and then it's erased or whatever. I, I just find it hard to believe that it would be all safe, backed up on some server somewhere or whatever. So he says that, uh, he, you know, he probably took the server with him. So maybe he has, I don't know. Yeah. Tori's like, I think he did. You know, there's a server in his office at the flagship dojo. How do people even know what a server looks like? Unless you're looking for it. Sam says, you know, to get a hold of everyone else, they're taking down Cobra Kai tonight. Kim talks again about Silver's promise to bring her father's cry. She just keeps going on and on about this. She's concerned about his rivalries. He says that he'll send him a message before the tournament. And she's like, saying what? He's like, stay the fudge out of our way, and it won't be subtle. Then uh, she sees a limo bust through the front gate because there's like an iPad that just happens to have the security footage playing, like sitting there. So Barnes, Johnny, and Chosen arrive. Barnes is ready to like kick the door down. Johnny's like, oh, no, no. He's like, it looks like solid oaks. Like, you'll break your foot. Johnny's like, I'll do it. And Chosen like stops him, tries the door, and it opens. They find Silver and Kim like sitting there like in front of the fireplace. Silver, he's like, Mike Barnes. And like he, he laughs. He's like, it's been a long time. I'd say you're keeping well, but all evidence to the contrary. And he's, he's like, well, that's what happens when someone burns your life to the ground. He's like, oh, what a crime. Speaking of crimes, the one you're all committing is called trespassing, which means any violence inflicted upon you will be justified. So then a sensei goon walks in. Barnes like, oh, classic silver. I mean, why get your hands dirty when you can pay someone to do it for you? Silver is like, this guy doesn't fight for money. He fights for the legacy of Master Kim for Cobra Kai. Barnes like, I don't care what he fights for. He's, I'm going to knock his butt out. <laughs> Something like that. Then Silver, he's like, then you're next. Barnes goes for, for the guy's midsection. He like lifts him, slams against the wall, like hits him, like knocks him out or something like that. 
And then he yells at, at Silver. He's like, get up. And Johnny's like, behind you. And the dude gets up, hits Barnes with like a pedestal or something like that. And he's out. He's completely out. He's done. So then there's like five more guys that come in. Silver's like, uh-uh. He's like, uh-uh, fellas. He's like, I don't think it's going to turn out the way you thought it would. So it turns out Carmen is over at Amanda's having tea or coffee. She's like, I thought they were going to bed. You know, they're, they're calling it a night. Amanda's phone goes off. And uh, Daniel, it says like hubby-san. It's like, really? He tells her about Barnes hijacking a limo. He's stranded out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, he's like, I'll, I'll drop you a pin. But then uh, there's like screeching of wheels. His his call's like cutting in and out. Someone pulled up at at the at the house, and she's like, "There's someone parking in our driveway. It's Cobra Kai." And in Daniel's phone, the the call drops. He's like trying to get her attention. He's like, "What, Amanda? Amanda?" His phone just cuts out, and he's like, "Amanda." He has no idea what's going on. Kids arrive at Cobra Kai. Tori says, "You know, they're like, oh, should we just break in?" What she's like, "Well, you can use my key card." So Dimitri access to the server there's still a, you know there's camera watching Tori's like ah oh. they just Robbie's like oh, I know how to disable it he just rips it down but there's like another camera like behind the desk it's like right there red light they leave that one on and Tori's like I can't believe it's finally happening Kim sees Nichols and the others are you know at, at the Cobra Kai they're hitting us on two fronts Chosen and Johnny they're fighting they're doing pretty well Daniel comes, he's walking down the road. He's, there's like some guy peeing like on the side of the road. He's like peeing against his truck. Now that I think about it, you know, he's at the back. He's like, oh, I'm so glad to see you. He's like, I, I need it. You know, I need you to give me a ride home. He's like, leans forward. He like smells the booze on him. He's like, I just need to get home, whatever. And he's like, and, and this truck is getting me there one way or the other. And then the guy's like, oh, really? Hits the, the car. Three more good old boys comes out. And then... Daniel gets ready to fight, and his car speeds up, drives past. Like they, they have to like jump out of the way, like the good old boys. And then uh, it's Stingray. So he's like, Mr. Luzo, come with me if you want to live. And Daniel's like, what? And then Amanda pops out. She's like, get in. The kids are in trouble. Dimitri finds the file. So Silver goes up to Stingray. You want to be Cobra Kai? And then it cuts out. So they're like, Silver must have erased it. Tori says that there must be other footage. Uh, and they're like, do you know the date? She's like, yeah. So she enters something. Then there's some noise downstairs. The Cobra Kai kids are there. It's like, why are they there? Kenny uh, like apparently kicked Anthony or something like that. Then Devin sees Tori. You're with them now? Kenny says that they know what would happen if they ever set foot in a dojo again. Sam wonders how they all knew that they were there. Then Kyler is like, hey, Mitch. He's like, get over here. Get your butt over here where you belong. So the big kid, he like goes over there. He's like smiling, opens up his jacket. He has a Cobra Kai shirt on. Um, Bert, whatever that nerdy kid, he's like, penis breath, how could you? And he's like, gee, I don't know. Maybe because they don't call me penis breath. He's like, I didn't and I didn't even want to leave here. He's like, look at all the stuff they have. They have snacks and swags and chicks. He's like, no offense, Sam. Then Kyler's like, all right, shut up, penis breath. And he like looks at him like, what? He says that they both have a, a traitor, so it cancels out. He's like, let's throw down. Tori's like, I'm not a traitor. He's like, I'm just not buying what Silver's selling. And neither should any of you. Robbie's like, Silver lied to us. And Kenny's like, us? The only one who lied to us is you. And he like steps forward, but Miguel gets in the way. He's like, you know, he's right. Kenny, he's like, I don't think you want to do this. And Kenny looks back. And then he's like, he's like, clearly he's going to like sucker punch. He's like, yeah, I do. He swings, but Miguel like easily dodges. And then there's, there's just way more, you know, Cobra Kai kids than the Miyagi-Do. In the car, Stingray apologizes to Daniel. 
He says that, you know, the minute he got the group text from the Cobra Kai kids that they were going to ambush, you know, his students, he knew he had to warn them. Silver is watching from the one camera that's like still running. He's in his sword room, like having a drink. Then Chosen comes in and Silver chuckles. He He's like, what was it you said that if I crossed the your line after I crossed it again and again, you will beg for mercy? He's like, right. Well, it's time to find out. Block, block, block. So then Silver like finally gets a kick. And he's like, oh, disappointing. I'd hope you'd give more of a challenge in LaRusso. But again, Chosen's like drunk. So Johnny's like, you think you can hurt me? He's like, I'm running on whiskey and white claw. And he gets kicked. He's like, oh, that hurt. So this is not going to be good for them. Chosen, uh, he he does deliver a painful blow to Silver's thigh. And he like goes down. He's like, oh, not bad, Taguchi. So of course, what's he do when he you know, gets up? He reaches for a sword. But now, time to find out what you're really made of. And Chosen says that... I'm not afraid to kill. And he pulls out his size that he, he has like in his like jacket and his pants or belts, whatever. Terry's like, and I'm not afraid to die. So Johnny is still trying to fight like three guys. It's not going so well, but he's he's still up. Terry and Chosen, they for some reason, they move outside by the pool. Chosen uh, gets in a couple kicks, silver blocks. But then they, for some reason, step into the end of the pool. You know, it's, it's pretty shallow, like up to their ankles. Uh, it's like by this fire pit. Silver's like, you know, despite all of the Miyagi talk about defense only, he's like, I knew you're a warrior at heart, just like me. And he's like, you are no warrior. You know nothing of Miyagi-Do. But it's like, wait, where's Kim? As I think Kim went to Cobra Kai, right? Silver manages, you know, to fight. He manages to, like, slash at Chosen's arm. Jo- inside, Johnny's still blocking, but he's getting uh, kicked and hit. There's, like, four guys around him now. Silver manages to slash Chosen's leg again. Chosen uh, knocks his leg down, and he holds the side to his face. And Silver's like, I was meant to die in the battlefield. Do it. But then Chosen hears like Johnny like cry out or whatever like that. He looks, and then Silver slashes at his back. And I guess that's enough to knock him out, because then he like falls back into the water. Kids are still fighting. Tori tries telling Devin that you know she doesn't want to be on their side. Dimitri's still trying to you know log into the YouTube channel and upload stuff. Kyler and a couple other kids go up the search to the office, and he goes on about Kenny being right that he's just faux hawk. And Hawk's like, yeah, so what? He's like, that's life. You win some, you lose some. He's like, but you move on. You haven't. He's like, you're still the same bully you've always been, and everyone you've bullied has kicked your butt by now. Demetrius tells the computer, he's like, I haven't. Uh, and Hawk's like, oh, you'll get your turn. Kyler's too stupid to ever learn his lesson. And then that makes Kyler attack, but Hawk hits him and like knocks him down and like kicks the other two. Fight is still going on downstairs. Kenny's like, come on, Robbie. And Robbie like grabs him, like holds his arm. He's like, I'm not your enemy. And Kenny kind of like does this headbutt thing or whatever. Then Robbie's having to fight like two or three other guys at the same time. Well, you know, he throws you know Kenny aside. They come at him, everything like that. So Kenny, of course, because he's he's a little baby, he uses advantage when like Robbie's fighting another guy to deliver that that stupid silver bullet move. It's like so stupid. I don't even whatever. Robbie's like gasping for breath, or whatever. Now he can't breathe. Johnny's like spits blood. He's barely standing. He's like there's so many around him now. Then uh, he's like being held up, and Silver walks in. Johnny smiles. He's like you look like poop. So then a sensei asks, he's like, where's the other one? And he's like, outside and off the board. So Johnny's like, I'm going to kill you. And then the other like punches him. 
server's like, that's unlikely. He's like, Chris always said that you were his best student. I never saw it. He's like, you got guts, but just not much upstairs. He's like, attacking me on my own turf? He's like, you never stood a chance. If it's any consolation, you won't be around to screw up another kid. And then he says that he has another mess to clean up at the dojo. He's like, take care of this. Finish him. It's like, so again, you can't do it yourself. Robbie's trying to get up. You know, he's still breathing and getting hit and, and kicked and it's like that. It's, like, uh, it's Kenny and the other two are just like beating on him. Then Miguel comes. He gives Kenny like a flying kick. But it doesn't really do a whole lot, but it knocks him like away. Dimitri gets in on the fight. He kicks a couple guys and he kicks Kyler. Man, that felt good. Hawk, you know, he goes to the computer. He starts uploading it, the video to the Cobra Kai channel. I guess he happens to know the password or maybe, I don't know. And then um, there, it's, it's uploading, so they, they leave it. And they, they leave the room instead of just, what if someone does something? It's not automatic. You can still cancel it. Kim has arrived. She kicks like Tori in the foot or something like that. And she's like, you disappoint me, Nichols. And she's like, yeah, likewise. And she said that she warned Silver that she couldn't be trusted. And she's like, let this be your final lesson or my final lesson to you. And a more painful one than the last. Dimitri and Hawk come down. I tell Miguel they got it, but then Kyler comes down and he like hits Hawk from behind. The iPad goes like flying out of his hand, slides over to Anthony. Kenny gets up, he's like holding his side, and he's like, get him. Miguel yells, protect the egg. Like when they did their egg training thing. So they all circle around. The video is at 18%. It's like the slowest upload ever. It must be like a huge, huge file. Their fight's going on. Kim's uh, putting some hurt on Tori. So, and then, you know, Tori's on the ground. She, like, steps on her wrist. She's not wearing her shoes. So I guess when she got there, she took her shoes off, whatever she was wearing. And uh, Sam sees Tori on the floor. She goes to make a move. Tori moves. Sam and Tori versus Kim. But obviously, Kim is, like, just so much better. Devin sees them and goes over. She tells Devin not to let Nichols cloud her judgment. You know, she could be a champion of the dojo. And she's like, I'll be a champion on my own terms. Then outside Cobra Kai, there's four kids outside. Daniel, you know, they come up. They're like, "I just, we just want to get our kids, whatever." He's like, "We don't want to fight. I don't want to fight some kids, or whatever." They're like, well, "They're not going to let them pass." So Amanda's like, "We should just call the police." And they're like, "Go ahead." It's like, "We're not the ones who broke in." Stingray's like, "I'll deal with them." And he kind of goes up and he like takes them down. <laughs> the fighting is going on. The videos uploading, uploading. The videos up. So Tony's like, or Anthony. <laughs> I'm Tony, not Anthony is like trying to get it to airplay on the screens there. Uh, then, you know, they're, they're still on the center. Then the video starts playing. So it's the, it's silver and Tori when they're, they're talking, he asks if she's ready to take things to the next level. She's like, well, what's the point? You'll just pay another ref. And he doesn't say anything. And then she's, he's like, Oh, you won't deny it. He's like, well, he just wants you know, Cobra Kai to make sure they won. Uh, the kids are like, kind of disillusioned. You can see this. Silver comes in. He's like, that's it, LaRusso? That's your big plan? Break into my dojo to steal footage? That means nothing? Tori's like, it wasn't his plan. It was ours. And she's standing next to Robbie. And Robbie's like, and it changes everything. Silver starts talking to his kids. Our enemies think they can keep attacking us with no repercussion. And what does the enemy deserve? But no one says anything. It's just silence. Ke Even Kenny's like bummed. Silver asks, he's like, you think that this is you know only dojo to go to these lengths? He's like, their senseis broke into my home tonight. My home. They attacked me unprovoked. Yeah, right. But here I am, the only one still standing. They think they're still entitled to victory because their way is right and ours is wrong. There is no right and wrong. 
and we see like Johnny still get still getting beat up at the, at the house. The fight's moved into the sword room, which that can't be good. He's like, there are only winners and losers. So as as Johnny gets knocked down again, the ultrasound picture like flies out of his pocket. Silver says like Cobra Kai builds winners because we're willing to do whatever it takes to come out on top. Johnny sees the, the picture and he gets motivated. You know, some, some metal song comes on. He gets the second wind. He starts attacking, fighting the guys. The room is getting smashed. One guy grabs a sword and then he ends up like swinging it, slashes another guy's like finger off. And then Johnny's still, uh, he's like fighting him. He gets kicked down and another guy grabs a sword and then Barnes is back. And he knocks him down. So it's like, he's like, where's Chosen at? So Chosen's outside. Is he dead? What's going on? Silver's still talking. He tells Daniel that you know he got his ass kicked, that he can either accept that or he can kick it again right now. And Amanda's like, we're all with you. She's like, do what you have to. Everyone kind of like steps back. And Silver's like, first I took care of Chosen, and now you. This is where Miyagi-Do ends. And Daniel's like, it existed before any of us, and it will continue to exist. So Daniel dodges. He gets, he, you know, he's putting in a good fight, whatever. Then uh, he thinks back to Silver's training whereas, you know, and from Karate Kid 3. A man can't stand, he can't fight. Daniel hits him, he's like on the ground, and he gets ready to do his punch. His like he's probably gonna do his like flying or silver bullet thing, whatever. But Daniel like blocks it with his knees. So then he thinks back to rule number two. If a man can't breathe, he can't fight. So Daniel does almost looks like a Dragon Ball like Kamikame high, whatever. He hits him or something like that, knocks the wind out of him. Silver's like up against the wall. He like grabs a trophy, he's like, is he gonna hit him with it? But then Daniel gets ready to do the crane kick. Rule number three, a man can't see, he can't fight. So he kicks him, Silver goes flying back a little bit, hits the, the glass, it shatters, he's down on the ground. Um, then you know, Sam hugs him, Amanda hugs him, the other kids look sad, whatever, and Kenny's like, there, stupid Kenny. He takes off his Cobra Kai shirt, Kyler takes his off, they start like walking out, like walking past Silver, like just throwing their, their shirt on him. On a, he's still on the floor in broken glass. Outside police have arrived, Kyler's giving a statement that, you know, he was a hero. You know, he's like, yeah, it was all kind of cultish or whatever. But, you know, I decided to, you know, try to save everyone. Yeah, right. Stingray is telling another detective that his testimony might have been off because he was under duress or whatever. Robbie goes to Kenny and Kenny's like, not right now. He's like, you know, he doesn't want to talk, but he's going to probably listen. Tori's like, Robbie's like, oh, Kenny will come around eventually. Robbie's like, I owe you an apology. And she's like, well, I probably owe you one. She's like, I'm not really in the mood for all the you know, sentimental stuff or whatever. So why don't you just kiss me? Smooch. Miguel asks Sam if she's okay. You know, she's hurt, whatever. And she's, you know, asks him. He's like, uh, I'm okay. They're both okay. Then she pulls out the necklace. She's like, is this yours? He's like, uh, it was supposed to be yours. And she asks if he, he really wasn't fine breaking up. He's like, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's not what I wanted. But you wanted time. To, you know whatever so that's all that matters he's like it's what you do when you love someone and she's like you've never said that before he's like well i do i love you too smooch then the reggie limo arrives uh johnny comes out carmen hugs him and he's like like oh i don't look that bad do i and she's like oh but you know we should get you a doctor or whatever she's like i thought i lost you he's like you can't get rid of me that easily he's like the, the thought of missing out on you and miguel and robbie he's like it kicked me into high gear and then, like, Chosen comes out. He's barely standing like that. They're like, oh, we got to get him to hospital, you know. And he's like, oh, it's just a flesh wound. Daniel asks Barnes, you know, he's looking in the back. He's like, is that a Rembrandt? And, you know, in the back of the limo. He's like, oh, it might be worth at least as much as a furniture store. Then uh, Silver comes out in handcuffs. 
you know, Daniel's like, oh, I never thought, you know, I'd see the, the, the day when he's in handcuffs or arrested or whatever. And, and this is so, like, so wrong. This detective nearby, he's like, oh, yeah, what's his name? Stingray's real name. He doesn't say Stingray. He's like, yeah, his revised statement, you know, with, with that, he's in for a litany of, of charges. So Silver's lawyers are going to be, you know, pretty busy. And, you know, Silver's just, like, staring at them from the back of the squad car. Johnny's like, well, here's hoping Silver and Crease become cellmates. Then the detective's still like eavesdropping. He can't disclose all this information. He's like, you mean John Crease? You didn't hear what happened? So then, which is crazy, Crease is, is just being wheeled to like the doctor, infirmary, whatever. Like, how long ago did this happen? Wasn't it like hours ago? So just now? And a guard's like, yeah, you know, that crazy bastard tried breaking up a fight. He got what he deserved. It's like, what? So then the doctor's like kind of looking at, at the wound and it's got blood on, on his, his chest or whatever. And then, then he, he tastes it. It's like, ill, But then he's like, it's just melted jello. And then Crease opens his eyes, sits up, hits a guard in the neck. He slams the other one like on his knees because, you know, he's on, on, a, on a table on a gurney, whatever. Then Doc like puts his hands up. Crease gets up, kicks the first guard. And Doctor's like, please, please, no. And he's like, I'm begging. He's like, for what? Mercy? And we see Crease walk out. He's in a doctor's clothes and lab coat, whatever. Some guards like running. Uh, then he goes to the end of the door at the end of the hall, but it's locked. He pulls out a badge, but it's a therapist badge. So he like pickpocketed her when he was talking when he's in tears. Uh, my way start playing. He just rolls right out of the prison, looking. I did it my way, but and it fades to black. He would have gotten released because. He it, he's been cleared, but now he escaped. So he, it, that's how the season ends. So pretty pretty crazy. Oh, it feels like it took me forever to watch, but see, I like that because it, it made it last longer. I was able to enjoy it more. Oh, but it was exhausting. So that is your Cobra Kai coverage for who knows how long. And now this week's main feature is Hellraiser. So this is. The 2022 remake, this is directed by David Bruckner. So um, I'm not sure. Let's see. What did he do? He He's an American film director with Jacob Gentry and Dan Bush. He co-wrote and co-directed 2007 horror film The Signal, which I haven't seen. He also co-wrote and directed the Amateur Night segment of the 2012 horror anthology VHS, which I've always been curious about that movie. I've never seen that. And he directed a 2020 film, The Night House, which I did see that, right? I think I did. So here's the thing. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of torn with how I feel about this. Uh, according to Rotten Tomato, Rotten Tomatoes, it's at, I believe it's 68%. Uh, I can't say that I love the movie, but at the same time, this is like leaps and bounds ahead of some of the last movies like i know there's some that i haven't seen and they're just they're they're not not good it, it's just really like kind of breaks my heart because i i just i loved the original so much and just I, there's something about it i can't explain it it's not the most uplifting movie i mean it's just it's kind of disturbing in a way and just like the whole you know just getting torn apart and the, the, the pain and pleasure you know whatever like it's so weird and I just really, really got into it. The second movie, and and I, I watched these are available on, on Amazon Prime for now, and I don't know if they're they might they should be on Hulu. I would imagine 
So I, I last the weekend, last weekend, not this past one, I watched one and two, and there's just something I really liked about the first one. It's I, I, I always say it's kind of intimate because it mostly takes place in this house. And even though it has multiple levels, it's, you know, an English house or whatever, where they're, they're seem like they're more scrunched in. They're just higher up. And it's just interesting. It's just basically Kirsty, her dad and, and her stepmom and an uncle Frank. And, you know, that's the whole story. Frank gets this puzzle box. He gets basically obliterated, taken to hell or wherever he starts to escape. He needs bodies to become whole again. So Julia decides, you know, because she had a fascination with him, even though she was married to his brother, she's willing to kill and bring in dudes, you know, to sacrifice to get with Uncle Frank again. And then the second one just continues. So the second one, I'm I'm really torn with the second movie because there's some really cool things. You know, it, it explores more the idea of like what, where do these Ceno, like the Crete, the Cenobites, the priests, where do they come from? And then you see about their god Leviathan, this whole you know other world. So there are some parts that were cool, but some parts are like mm, I don't know about that. And I I just remember in some interview, uh, I'm pretty sure Clyde Barker, so like it, it was a good. He's like that's not what I would have done. So it's like he maybe politely was saying that he wasn't super crazy about it, but you know, he was like a producer. He was involved in somehow watching that movie again. Some, some of the dialogue was, was kind of cheesy and it really made me roll You know, my eyes, the doctor character in that movie, it just, I hate what, what he does. This dude becomes a Cenobite. He's a Cenobite for like two minutes and he's like, kicking pinhead's butt who's been doing this for decades or you know you would assume for eternity but no you find out more and then i hate when just pinhead gets like depowered it's just it's just so wrong it is great opening sequence where you see like how he gets turned into pinhead is just disturbing where he's his head's getting like sliced and he's in pain but then he's there's also shots of him smiling so it's just it's so disturbing um the third movie I haven't watched it in years. I just remember there's like one of the new Cenobites has like CDs in him because I don't know if he's a DJ or something. It's like, oh my gosh. And like most people, some people today, like what the heck is a CD? They might not even know anymore. And then there's, I don't know how many of the other ones I've seen. I don't even know how many there have been, but I know I saw the the last one, which was kind of like, a, there's a new pinhead, not Doug Bradley, which is so wrong. And, I, I talked about that in an episode, one of the, the secret podcast episodes. And that that was just a, like barely an okay movie. It's like Pinhead was hardly even in it. And it's just like, whatever. So this new Pinhead, this new Hellraiser movie, it's just really hard to figure out what I think about it. There's some some good ideas. And again, when you compare it to some of the other movies, this is like, it's this is an amazing movie compared to that. But there's just parts of it. Just it, It's like the whole, like, plot purpose of the movie it doesn't really feel like it adds a whole lot and i will say you know there there's here's my like prudish thing you know i'm, I'm okay with the bloody and violence and people's skin like hanging off being pulled apart people shredded or whatever but then you got the sex it's like again i don't have anything against sex but in the movie it, it doesn't feel like it added anything like there was no absolute there's absolutely no reason for the pseudo sex scenes that we get. It's not like hardcore pornography or anything like that, but it's just like 
what 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 are you what are you trying to say here? Like what what is the the purpose of this? How does this add to the plot of the story? Maybe it's showing that this this uh lady uh this this girl you know our main character Riley that you know she's serious about this guy but it's like really so the way it starts off I'll I'll just I'll spoil like the intro starts off in Belgrade Serbia this lady meets some guy he's like sitting on a bench and. He's. I think back to like the original guy in the first movie, opening shot that's selling the box to someone, and it just seemed like it was just it was almost creepy in a way, whatever. But this guy, he just seems like totally normal. He's like, "Is that my case?" And and or she says that or something like that. He's like, "That one's yours," or that you know that this one's mine, or whatever, like that. And he says, "How it's not to be taken lightly." And and so she's buying this for some guy named Voight. And the, the seller was hoping that he would show up, but you know why would he show up? So it's like the super rich guy. Then it cuts to the Berkshires, Massachusetts. You see this young dude wearing like a muscle shirt at a party. He's like drinking whatever. That uh, lady is there, uh, so she's talking to him. So the dude's name is Joey. His Joseph, but his friends call him Joey. Her name's Serena, and she mentions how she works for Voight. You know, this, this reclusive mil- millionaire dude or whatever and he'd probably want to meet him she's like there's a door at the end of the hall it's like be there in 10 minutes so joey enters this big room there's like these different artifacts and in, in cages cases and stuff like that and then there's like a puzzle box like straight in front of him on this other like pedestal thing but it's not enclosed in a case so he goes up to it actually as the camera pans it's not a cube. It's like it's like an elongated box. In Hellraiser 2, you, you see more so how the, the puzzle changes and whatever. So he he picks it up and he's like looks at it. Then this Voight guy comes out. He's like, beautiful, isn't it? And you know, Joey gets scared. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. And he's like, no, it's fine. He's like, what is it? He, and he's like, it's a puzzle. The only one of its kind. And it's almost finished. Then uh, some parts start moving, whatever. And he's like says that if he solves it, Joey says he's like if I solve it, do I get a prize? And Voight's like I do. And then there's like this big click, and he like you know pushes the the pieces together, and then this big blade like cut cuts through his palm, like pops out of it. He drops it, and he like goes to leave, but Voight hits the switch, and his like gate closes over the entrance. And then uh, Joey starts getting dizzy. He's like, dizzy. He's like, what'd you do to me? Whatever. And then the puzzle on the floor is like moving on its own. This hallway opens up and then a chain like pierces his leg, starts pulling him. He's like, ah, oh, the pain, whatever. And then the puzzle is like in the Leviathan shape now, whatever. More chains start getting Joey. Like he's lifted up, whatever. He's screaming. And he's like, what's his name? Uh, Voight. He's like, I am a penitent of the great Leviathan. Grant me the, this audience. Grant me this boon. And uh, the skylight above the, this room is like in a kind of a, a cube shape or whatever like that. Then this is where it cuts to this couple going at it. And it's six years later. Later, So it's like, okay, whatever. So, um, and the dude's like, oh, I love you, whatever. She kind of freaks out. She's like, what? So they, they go out in the, the other room and there's other people out there so riley didn't realize that like they were there so her brother matt is there and his boyfriend and i guess her roommate nora which is like weird that it's her, i think they said it was her roommate when she introduces them but she i also thought she was i thought she was living at her brother's place but then who's this roommate now i'm really confused about that did i get that wrong so we, we find out that Nora was in a 12 step program and he's kind of questioning that, you know, 
that she met this guy trevor that she's with she met at a meeting and they hooked up it's like you know you're kind of not supposed to do that but then he's like oh the first of the month is coming he's like i can't keep covering you so riley's thinking how she should be getting another job you know because she's tired of being broke trevor has this idea but her brother probably wouldn't like it so he says that you know he does some runs there's this place that looks totally abandoned and you know there was just one one place had this last shipment but he has no idea what it is uh it's something for probably some like rich a-hole and he's like they probably won't even miss it he's like if you give me a hand i'll cut you in so it's like raining they go this in this big shipping container they open it there's just a safe in there so they're trying to open it as a sledgehammer. Then, you know, I guess she's trying to do it because he tried doing it and got tired. And then she finally managed to knock the dial off. And I guess that's how we just knock the dial off and it opens the safe automatically. I thought there's a little more to it. So inside there's a, the wooden box, whatever, the, the one that's, that Serena bought. Riley opens it and there's a puzzle box inside. And Trevor's like bummed. He's like, that's it? She grabs it and starts like feeling it, whatever, like that. She's like, well, I'll take it if you don't want it. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess you can hang on to it while I look in to see if it's worth anything. So her brother Matt is in bed with his boyfriend, and then he hears Riley, and he's about to get up, and the boyfriend's Colin. He's like, just leave her alone, whatever, just leave it be. But he can't. He gets up. Where were you at? Where are you? You know, were you drinking? Then she's like, what? She's like, well, why don't you sleep it off and you pack your crap up in the morning? And she's like, are you serious? So she basically, she packs up then and she like, she goes outside and the, the Colin's out there. He's like, Oh, just, you know, don't leave now. You know, just talk about it in the morning, whatever. So she goes to her car and you know, she's got this little like container thing in a trunk with like some pills. She dumps them out. Then she goes back and picks them up. So she like takes one, she grabs a puzzle box. She goes to the playground. It's like right there. And she starts like moving some parts of the box there's like and there's at one point there's like a hole in it she sticks her finger in there whatever but then it makes like the sides push out more turning snap together the blade pops out but it like misses her hand then it starts kind of getting windy the drugs are kicking in she's like sitting on a, a merry-go-round so she's like lays down it's like spinning then she sees someone like standing there and she like kind of freaks out and you hear like a voice says that blade was meant for you then another one's like, come with us. And then we see Pinhead, and Pin is like, if not you, bring us another. Which that, what, what is up with that? That's not how it works. It's like, okay, you open, you access the, the puzzle box, and then it's like, if you open it, you're you're the one getting all the chains and torn apart or hacked or whatever. It's not like open it, it's like, oh, crap, let me bring someone in else and you can like obliterate them. So it just doesn't make any sense. And then uh, there's like like kind of like a hole in her chest. The chest fly out, but, but then it grabs her brother, pull, pulls him up, and then he like wakes up from a dream. So it's like, wait, did he dream? What, what's going on? He decides to, to get up and go look for her. And Colin's like, what? No, no, whatever. So he goes to her car, sees that she's not there. And then the park is, again, right, right next to where she parked. So he sees her laying there. And then he's like, what'd you take? Whatever. And, you know, he takes a box uh you know out of her hand or whatever it slices his hand and he just like tosses it so she's like kind of up barely awake so he he goes to rinse the cut off you know to off it there rinses the uh, the blood out of off his cut there's like a public bathroom right there so he tells her just you know stay right there and you know, stay awake and the, the the box is like nearby the blade pops back in and it's like moves on its own a bit matt's vision starts getting blurry uh, in a bathroom you know then the lights are like really bright and then the blood is bubbling up from the sink the wall kind of retracts out and you're seeing like the dark like brick hallway stuff like that 
the puzzle box is in this new shape. Matt screams from inside. Riley runs in there. She just sees the blood, but her brother's not there. So she gets checked out by a paramedic, and the police start, you know, talking to her. Nora and Colin are there, and then basically, uh, and then Colin's like blaming her. He's like, "I told you not to leave," or whatever, like that. They end up going. Uh, they they find out who whose name was like on the shipping container or the warehouse or whatever. They find uh, Serena. She's like in this like mental hospital or something like that they're like trying to talk to her they find out that she worked for royal and vaught he was monstrous and sadistic and you know she's like what you're after ended his life so riley puts a box on the table and serena's like who opened this he's like this is not the first configuration who opened it and and she's like says that um her brother or something like that or then you know who are these people that are after him so roland called him angels but you would think a devil would know a devil so Serena wants to take the, the box away and you know lock it up. Uh, Riley fights her for it and stuff like that. And then a part gets twisted, the blade pops out, and then Serena gets cut. So basically, Riley then she wants to go to try to get answers because she feels like if her brother's been taken, maybe she can bring him back. So she wants to go to Vaught's house, which is nearby. The others don't want anything to do, so she goes there. And it just kind of goes from there. There's more stuff with like the the Cenobites and and the thing is, I, I feel like I maybe I don't know if I spoil too much, but um, that's the, not even half half of the movie. Some of the Cenobites were interesting design, but I feel like it was like just a lot of like almost like pink and white the way they looked, just looked very very fake, very like rubbery or plastic. Uh, the new Pinhead. She has a very interesting design. You know, I, I really like the neck, like the the neck being ripped and like the choker, like some little thing stuck in there. But the outfit is is, is okay. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just used to like them always wearing like black leather, which I don't know. It's supposed to be like sadomasochistic or whatever, you know, S&M stuff. So you don't really have that as much. There was one part that was was interesting. You know, the the pins and her pinhead, the original pinhead basically had like nails in his head. She has more like almost like push pins, but like thick push pins. Because at, at one point, she actually pulls one out of her head. And it's like maybe like six inches long or something like that. So really kind of gross if you think about it, that that's like in her that far in her head. And then she like sticks it in someone else or whatever. So it's just a whole... I think what just bothers me is, is the whole idea is if someone opens a box, you can't just appease them by bringing someone else. It's like, what's the point of that? But then, you know, there was this book that talks about, like, you can choose these, you know, six things or whatever. I guess if you solve it, you get the, you know, you can make a wish to the god Leviathan to grant you whatever. And I just, I don't know. It just, just seems weird. So, I, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it... It's it's a good movie, but it just it just feels weird, feels wrong. I mean, it's not. I wouldn't say it's a bad movie, and I don't know if I'm just like being so, not necessarily being a snob. I don't think I'm being a snob about it, but it's just there's something about the the original and these these other ones. It's just weird. It's almost like are they blood vampires? Because you know, there's one where it's like the blood's dripping on this one. It's kind of like a chatterer from like the the original one. And he's just like kind of soaking it up. Like a lot of times you see the blood from the blade on the puzzle box and it just like soaks up the blood. But that's not the whole point. It's They're not vampires gathering victims to feed. You know, they're like explorers and angels of some, demons to others. And, and 
basically granting pleasure and pain to people and uh, I, I don't know so i'm just i am curious like you know to, to see this explored more uh I, I did think it was interesting that the box had some slightly different designs too so i thought that was kind of cool in a way you know the box i feel is so iconic i actually drew a picture i have like a, a model uh layman configuration that i, I referenced to, to try try to intricately draw reproduce it draw it it's just kind of stupid on my part. It took way way longer than than I should have spent on on drawing a dumb piece of art that no one's going to care about. But I did it for myself, I guess. But anyways, I, I like in the movie that they they changed the design, so it's it's similar, but it has almost has like a more modern feel to it, which again in some ways is kind of wrong, but in other ways it's fitting for this new movie that it didn't feel as old as original ones. I, I don't know if that really makes sense because they're just weird designs, or whatever. But I, I thought it was kind of cool to see the different ones. Some of the, like, the shapes that the box took over time was kind of weird. But that, I feel, does add a different level to this. So it's not just like a straight reproduction or just like another just another sequel. That they are trying to add some more layers and a little more originality or to this sequel rather than just doing more of the same. So that was a movie. It, it, it was good. I, I enjoyed it. I'm glad I saw it. Um, I didn't love it. I can't say I loved it. I think it's just because I love the original so much. But it, it was good. I, I I thought it was interesting seeing this new Hellraiser. I was very skeptical in the beginning, and I'm okay with it. You know, I I thought it was good. Keeping an open mind. It's not the original. It's something different. So that's all fine. Check it out if you're into horror movies or whatever. Because you know the, the stuff does get a little gruesome. So there's that. It's not for everyone, and definitely not for the kids. But hopefully this podcast. Is this podcast for the kids? Eh, whatever. But that is going to be it for this week. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And last week I talked about a Batman story from 1960 with Batmite and Batwoman and Batman and Robin and Ace the Bat Hound. It was just weird and crazy. I'll probably do another old classic one. Um, I'm reading off the DC Infinite app, so they don't have the next. They don't. I think it was issue 133. Fortunately, they don't have 134, but there's another one like close by. So maybe I'll do that for a bit. I'll probably do another off my mind soon as well. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or five. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. So what is going to be next week? There will not be any Cobra Kai next week. There will be Werewolf by Night. So I'm eager to watch that. I'm probably going to, I don't know if I'm going to watch that tonight, maybe tomorrow, but very soon. So I'll definitely talk about that. More Star Wars Andor, more She-Hulk, more Stargirl, more Chucky, more The Patient, more House of Dragon, more Rick and Morty. The main feature is, it's, it's kind of crazy this coming out so soon, is going to be Halloween Ends. So that comes out. So I, I yeah, I like went ticket buying. I got my ticket for Halloween Ends for Black Adam and then for uh, Wakanda Forever. I don't know what I'm seeing uh, the week of the 28th. I'm not sure what's, what's coming out. I'll have to look at that. I'll look at that later. But a uh, lot, lot of stuff coming out, so a lot to do. I hope you are doing well. 
I hope you get a chance to relax. I need some time to relax and unwind, but I hope everything is going well for you. I hope you are taking care of yourself. Hope you're taking care of others. And I hope you remember to be good to each other.